those of you guys who don't know, sometimes we bring on special guests. This is Tim from Mountain Lakes Brewing Company, and he is going to introduce himself right now. Hey, everybody. Tim Hilton, Mountain Lakes Brewing Company. Uh, we've been open about four four years now. Uh, I'm a brewer and an owner there with my partner, Dave Basrao. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we'll, we'll dive into some brewing news and stuff. Uh, Tuesday, Peter is going to go uh, be on the Homebrew for Life Hoppy Hour live stream Tuesday at what time? I don't know. Seven, six, something like that. CH, get on the stream right now so you can tell everybody where, what time it starts. Yep. I think six. I think it might start before that, but uh, I think six. Jiang Hakao, thank you so much for the super chat. Yep. Uh, for Cheers. B- for beers that we have on, we have the Not Mai Tai Seltzer is our newest beer. Mm-hmm. Um... What new beers do you guys have on at Mountain Lakes? Great question. Um, so we have a Maybach. Uh, we have a New Mexican lager. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Not a New Mexican, like from the state, or like a new... Yeah, everything's from New Mexico. It's right out of Santa Fe. <laughs> no, it's a, uh, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a recent uh, Mexican lager. We uh, brewed it with uh, Inland Ale Works from uh, Chini. Yeah. yeah. We're pretty excited about it. I wish we had some over here. So, ooh, soon. we're gonna get to try that soon. We're drink it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah uh, I don't think there's too many. We we put on an IPA from Terminal Gravity. Yep. We uh, we've been making a lot of beer, but selling it very fast. Uh, we're also pretty much doing everything on a two barrel system here, so you know, not everything is uh, everything goes really fast in two barrels. You probably know, yeah. know the feels. Yeah, we're we're huge. Actually, we can brew up to three barrels at once, but it's three separate barrels, so you know, <laughs> we're pretty fancy. That is pretty fancy. Yeah. Yeah. Finally, a live stream on the Hoppy Hour. 77 Trans Am guy is brewing. Well, welcome to this live stream, and then we'll see you guys on the CH uh, Homebrew for Life one. And yes, Tanner, Goat Fest was great yesterday, and it was awesome seeing you, and your beer is safely in the beer fridge. So Safely in quotes. Peter has not touched them yet. <laughs> um, uh, we're doing uh, Washington Brewers Fest in June. If you'd like to support that, feel free to either super chat and say, hey, this is for gas money or whatever, or uh, you can just say, hey, I'm going to meet you guys up somewhere over there and buy beer off you, and we can send the people going with uh, some Genus Brewing beer. And, uh, hey, Tim, uh, our, our Tim is here. So, Well, I'm going to hang out until he actually walks in the door. <laughs> That's smart. Um, and I have coffee for him. I'm betting he's going to need it. Yep. <laughs> I needed coffee this morning. Bet you guys can't guess why. Uh, yeah, Washington Brewers Fest. So if you are over in the Seattle area, check us out there. I will be going over with, uh, I think it's Sky and Jess who were on the live stream last week. Yeah, and then and Warren's going to be over there too. Yeah. Warren. Uh, so, and we are planning to, uh, that Father's Day uh, is probably going to be a later live stream, just as NFY, because since Peter is here solo. Uh, I'm probably going to spend that time with my family. Yep. And they're uh, going to be doing some stuff over there. And so, yeah, we're, uh, the Brewers Fest doesn't start until 11 uh, a.m. Pacific time, but uh, me and Jess are talking about how to do some live streaming from the Beer Fest itself. Yeah. So, and now there is a Tim. Um, the pad key on the mixing board is the one with the little light un- white under- underlining ness Okay. And so if you turn hit that pad key, then you'll have regular volume over there. Lord. Jason Gannett. Appreciate the help of the faucets yesterday. Heading out to the cabin this morning to install them on the keyser. Jason Gannett, thank you so much for the super chat. I'm sorry that I wasn't here, but I'm glad to hear that. I think it was Josh that was here. Um, did such a great job. Yeah. Um, we are on, oh, five barrel naked live stream where we teach you guys how to brew on a five barrel completely in the nude. 
It's happening on the 29th? 29th, right? You know, uh, relatively. Yeah, one of those two. If we can ask Reese nicely enough. Is it nude brewing? Yeah, that's the, that's the new, it's for our OnlyFans. Hey guys, oh, let me know. That's fantastic. Not actually naked. I was gonna say, that's, that's dangerous. We're probably gonna, yeah, I know. Yeah. So yeah. My thought is we're gonna get uh, like, uh, like fishing style waders, um, yeah. but, but the cutoffs. Oh. So, and then maybe just like some, I like it. some, some, nice some brewing, I don't know, coverage. Yeah, I like it. Tim, I made some coffee if you want some coffee too. I got liquid IV. <laughs> it's the IV of liquids. It, it's just like an electrolyte. Well, Addiction, like but it's, nice. a, it's actually really nice. An electrolyte yeah. full of addiction, as you said? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Uh, I did a uh, article in, the, in Trending Ooh, Northwest. Trending Northwest is a me. new local publication <laughs> in the greater Northwesty area where I talk about beers. So if you haven't checked that out, check out the Trending Northwest article. And Tim, Wheat Wheat Don't Tell Me, this Thursday you're talking about something kind of exciting, actually. Yeah, so uh, we have... Um, uh, Chris Indrick, who is the host of that show, uh, is starting uh, a craft brewing certificate program uh, at Eastern, and uh, with some help, some donated money from uh, uh, the folks over at No Lies. So we're going to have the president of Eastern there, um, and uh, we're going to have uh, John Brighton over from uh, from No Lie. Hey, for those who don't know, what is Wheat Wheat Don't Tell Me? Oh, Wheat Wheat Don't Tell Me is a, a monthly podcast. Uh, we film it the third Thursday uh, of every month. It's at Mountain Lakes. Uh, starts at 6.30. Doors open at 5.30. So come and we drink lots of beer and uh, we talk about uh, beer and beer things and have some prizes and games and, and shenanigans. Yeah. Logan and I were on it once and we, we, we sang and made up a singing song. We had a contest. Yeah, we had a contest, a, a jingle contest. Um, I can't remember... Do you know your jingle? I forget. I, I have long since forgotten really the jingle. Good. It was really good. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's good. It's something about how great Genius is. That was episode like three or something, right? That wasn't it? It was one of the early ish ones. Maybe five. I don't know. Nine? Anyways, we, we don't tell me podcast. Man in the chair is probably going to find it and then maybe link it if you can find it. Oh, I've already linked the Instagram. Nice. So. Awesome. Thanks. So, certificate program happening at Eastern. Uh, what? What's? Do you know? Uh, you work at Eastern, right? Yeah, I work at Eastern, but I'm not going to be involved in this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Just going to watch the magic as happen. an Eastern employee. <laughs> uh, so, I, as far as I know, um, and and you know, the uh, I, I don't know tons of details, but I think it's I think it's like a 12 certificate uh, thing. I think it's going to involve uh, some fundamentals of brewing, but it also is about service and beer style, sort of beer appreciation. I think the idea is that it's for folks who are interested in the brewing industry, getting introduced to it, um, and it would be a, you know, a cool thing to happen if somebody wants to work uh, in brewing, but not necessarily be the brewer. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Well, I'm excited for that to happen. Actually, yeah. having a, I know the one certificated program that we have in Washington right now is over at uh, Central, right? As far as I know, and I think that's more focused on uh, brewing, brewing. And, and brewing, and you know, I think this this may. Uh, this may develop into more uh, some some component of brewing. I know right now uh, the plan is that the some of the brewers over at Noli are going to um, show folks the fundamentals of brewing, and I think they might even brew a batch with students. Oh, um, cool! So you know, I think uh, it's it's the kind of preparation to give people an understanding of what brewing is and how it works. But I, I can't imagine that a, a novice would be a professional brewer by the end of it. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. 
but probably still some good information. Right. And you get a crack into the beer industry. Uh, Tim, so far we've only mentioned the, that Tim, some, we've only mentioned the Mai Tai Seltzer for recent beers out. Was there anything else that's on the docket or about to come out? Uh, bread beer. Oh yeah, bread beer. We've got to put that uh, on. There. We just put on a uh, beer blanche. And uh, the uh, Belgian Brett Pale. Oh, that'll be fun. I actually been tasting the Belgian Brett Pale. A lot of tasting really good. And uh, the whip beer. Did we talk about the whip beer last year? Last week? Oh yeah, lots of new stuff coming out, and the uh, the bread beer, bread making the bread video will actually probably be out on the Genus Not Brewing channel in the next uh, couple of days. So stay tuned for that, and that covers all our Genus Brewing news, which means it's time for our. You ready? Yeah. It's time for our beer of the week. Beer of the week. I like it. And the beer of the week this week is the Berliner. I always love throwing that at people on the live stream. Um, we're talking about a Berliner, Berliner Weiss uh, this beer of the week because you you have a Berliner, Berliner Weiss, right? We just we just did our first Berliner Weiss, and and actually it's probably our first real sour, because nice. um, uh, you know we we're not huge sour fans, but we like a little tartness. So Berliner Weiss is perfect for us. The, little, all right, was it a proper Berliner Weiss or a modern interpreta- interpretation? Because a proper Berliner Weiss should be about the most sour thing you've ever had. No, it's a, it's a, it's an interpretation. Modern one, okay. Modern interpretation. Yeah. Me, mine too. Yeah. I was actually at Community Pine a couple weeks ago and uh, tasted. I think they had three Berliner Weisses on, and you were inspired. Yeah. Well, you know, and we tasted talking to the bartender. I can't remember his name, but he's a brewer as well. And uh, he, uh, he and I decided that we liked the fake Berliner Weiss the best. Because it was the cleanest and tartest and the nicest. Yeah, and what you kind of expect when you're getting into the sour world. You yeah. got the yeah. you got the beer standard flavor. You got the sourness, and then whatever flavors you want to throw on top of that. That's right. I like it. Yeah. Um, overall impression on the Berliner Weiss is it's a very pale, refreshing, low alcohol German wheat beer with a clean lactic sourness and very high carbonation level. Right. Uh, a little bit of bread dough, mild flavor supports some of the sourness, which shouldn't seem artificial. Uh, any Brett funk is restrained. If you need to like really, really OG Berliner Weisses, um, it's really fun because they were um, Brett. They were Brett, and they were mm-hmm. wild, wild culture. The thing that made them sour wasn't like just it obviously it wasn't a pure lacto pitch. Right. And, um, they had uh, if uh-huh. you've seen the old school bottles, they had like really long neck bottles, and they would actually make like a scoby oh, um, from right. the fermentation, and right. it would float up into the necks and then dry out. <laughs> It'd be like a cork. Uh, that that's what I mean by like a traditional right. to a modern interpretation. Most right. Berliner Weisses <clears throat> out that you find now. Which is all right, is kettle sour wheat beer instead of getting that co-ferment, raw, lactose, uh, brett fermentation on traditional. But the uh, brett funk is, right, (laughs) they never had brett funk even when you have brett in there. You should be getting brett acid rather than funk in there. It's kind of fun that they add, add, you know, at least even mention uh, um, brett funk being available. And it's just, Mm -hmm. I mean, they said it's restrained, but... It's, yeah. they, it's fun that they mentioned it in the BJCP. Sometimes BJCP and, you know, they take whatever is the mass culture of beer right now, and they don't always just, you know, they don't look at where the things came. Well, they look, they know where the things came from, but they but. describe the beer as of what's on the commercial shelves today. Yeah. Sometimes. Right. Right. Um, appearance, a very pale, strong color, because, you know, wheat. Um, clarity <laughs> ranges from clear to somewhat hazy. Large, dense, white head with poor... Poor attention, that would make sense. Uh, always effervescent. So the high carbonation, right. 
is a I mean, that's something that's not really talked about in beer. But very uh, champagney. I mean, very lively, high dancing on your palate for that. A lot like brute carbonation. Yeah. Do you uh, do you play with carbonation levels too much? We do, uh, and when I say we, I mean uh, Dave, my partner, because uh, <laughs> after the brewing's done, uh, he's the guy. Uh, he's the cellarman. He's the cellarman doing all of that. But we do, we do, um, we 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 measure and and uh, yeah, we 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 target. We uh, try levels. to, but also sometimes just whatever goes on is what goes on. If we were to try to be very very stickler about our own beers, which we're really not. Um, uh, we would probably dial in a lot more than we do, but the carbonation going into the keg is pretty well dialed into what they should be. But we have the uh, tap yeah. lines balanced out right. to about a really good craft Standard. beer level. So right. sometimes they come out just a little bit more foamy, like the Belgian Strong right now that was carbonated by Brett and super lively. And uh, some of the other ones, like the barley wines, just needed a little bit, a little bit more help. Uh, come out a little thick so yeah you know, and but. a challenge for us i mean that's probably the log jam if any is the you know three small bright tanks and so yeah sometimes you're dealing with time and uh you know we find that i don't know if you guys find this but the longer the longer brightening uh tends to give them more it gives you a little bit more freedom to get the, the yeah the right levels mm. and the bubbles they they feel better the bubbles feel better yeah they just dance across the yeah the palate or whatever <laughs> that's why we spooned so I can just yeah it gets a little, you get some a little find in there right um, uh, Shannon Tejeron applied to Central for her masters, his masters one of those two things um, applied to Central for masters unfortunately won't be in brewing but brewing safety and management cool don't come here don't look at us after you get your safety and ma- safety and uh, management training um, I mean you come here and drink beer but then just keep your eyes closed on what's going on everywhere else. There we go, yeah. Uh, aroma on a Berliner Weiss. A sharply, a sharply sour character is dominant, moderate to moderately high. Um, can have up to a moderately fruity character, often lemony or tart apple. Right. The fruitiness can increase with age, and a light flowery character may develop. No hop aroma. Uh, the wheat may present as uncooked bread dough in fresher versions. Combined with the acidity may suggest sourdough bread. And may optionally have a restrained, funky Britannomyces character. Do it. Do the do, yeah. the, do the funk. Do uh, the funk. The, uh, the funk helps it out, but again, with the bread, if it's going to be in there, you're looking for the acid from the bread, not necessarily the funky characteristics. Mm-hmm. Um, along with that, the no hop aroma, because traditionally there's absolutely zero hops in a Berliner Weiss. It was traditionally a raw beer. It just went from the mash straight into the fermenter. Uh, you aren't adding hops in there because they really mess up the lactose, especially most lactose strains today are not. They don't like hops very much at all. There's a couple out there that do, but most of the common used ones die off somewhere around 4 IBU. So if you're doing a Berliner, I wouldn't even chuck hops in it at all. Just, you know, let the lacto go on it. It'll be tasty. Yeah. We and do a lot of our, uh, uh, our sours. We end up doing raw partly because it saves a lot of time. Uh, yeah, we uh, yeah we use we use little metal, little little hops in our Berliner Weiss. Yeah, did you use raw or do you go uh, back into a boil? Uh, very into the boil, we did uh, a small amount just to some Hallettard. Nice. Yeah, 
Classic German flavors. Yeah. It should also not have any baby diaper, baby barf, or anything like that. Whatever mass-produced Anheuser recently, or not recently, but uh, kind of recently bought Oregon breweries that try and crush that down your throat, having them barf should not be part of a beer leaner vice ever. We never use baby diaper. We use adult diapers. Yeah, that works much better. You get more complexity out of it. If you have butyric acid, dump it down the drain. There's not much you can do about that. Brett will help clean that up. But uh, if you're not working with Brett, that's unfortunate. You should. Uh, so if you, ha- if you have barf, don't do it. There's barf in the beers that you order. Don't do it. Send it back. That's a horrible flaw. Don't let these people get away with it. <laughs> Uh, mouthfeel, light body, very high carbonation, no sensation of alcohol. I'm ready for beer. Yeah. I'm like, I got my, I got my coffee, my coffee done. I'm feeling a little bit more jazz now. I like it. Mm. Tim's got his liquid IV almost done. So what is that? It's actually really good. Uh, it's uh, it literally just like in a nice electrolyte drink to, uh, with with some aspirin to help you get in in there. No. Okay. Not aspirin, actually, but, I mean, it's literally just, like, uh, sugar, dextrose, I mean, cane sugar, dextrose, citric acid, uh, a whole lot of potassium salts in there, potassium citrate. Uh, it's like eating 45 bananas. And stuff like that, yeah. Uh, oh, there's a couple of vitamins. So, oh, I only spilled a little bit. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's good. On the way here uh, this morning, I have this little, uh, this little party tap uh, thing, and... Uh, in my car, the tap was open, and I have uh, beer all over my backseat. Yeah, this is a snafu is what you could call that. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. Are you, saying, are you a brewer if you don't have beer in the backseat of your car? Yeah. At least once. <laughs> I had one time that I had to slam on my brakes because somebody cut me off on the highway going down to Pullman, and I was right. bringing a carboy full yes. of nine-months-age Britannomyces Imperial Stout. Yeah. And uh, I had to slam on my brakes, and my carboy, even though it was buckled in, went ass over tea kettle. Is that what it's called? Is that the thing? Yeah. 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 And then, uh, yeah, it started, like, spilling, and so I quickly had to pull off. And my first thought was, I need to reach down and grab that. And then I realized that I was turning the wheel at the same time I was doing that. And I was like, all right, I need to pull off the road yeah. and grab it. I ended up losing about half that beer, which was a uh. bummer because it was really tasty. Uh, That's right. But, yeah, my, my car smelled very beery. Yeah. Uh, which one's this one? This is the... This is, uh, this is the Mexican lager. Um... And it was uh, brewed with pills and uh, a little bit of um, a little bit of maize and uh, some lime in the boil. Oh, nice! Yeah, the lime comes through nicely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were talking about Mexican lagers last week. That last yeah. week, and we mentioned that you guys did this, and I think we even mentioned that you guys were going to be on today. I wow. think so. Cool. <laughs> it's, it's like I have things scheduled out and planned. I know. Right? Crazy. Yeah, so we made nah. this with uh, Nick from uh, Inland Ale Works and Cheney. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Actually, I think we came the day of brew day and bought a bag of corn from you guys. Nice. Yeah, that's, it's, quite, it's quite delightful. Thanks. Um, where's the, uh, what kind of lime did you use in there? Uh, it was, I think it was called a Costco lime. Costco, and, okay. Uh, five very, bags, very rare. Five bags of the Costco limes. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we started, we were just going to use lime zest. And the Costco limes were kind of small, and our little uh, zesting machine wasn't really working well with them. So we just cut them up and threw them in a bag and threw them in the boil. In the, boil. the zesting machine or the, the Costco limes? Uh, the zesting machine did not go in the boil. Okay. No. no. Yeah, by zesting machine, I just assumed you meant like child labor or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's 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 her name. It's the best use for them. <laughs> Sorry, so she's safe, not in the boil. She's safe. Okay. No, <laughs> Good no. to know. No, you know one of those, uh, you know one of those peelers. Yeah, right, that yeah. Takes takes the zest off. So you ended up using some juice too. Uh, well, yeah, and that was not planned, but um, I think it actually came out. Uh, you know, a fairly good lime level. We thought it might be a little bit, a little bit too tart, but uh, no, it's good. I think it came out pretty well, and we just really threw it in at Whirlpool. I think for you know five minutes at about 175 degrees, and then pulled them out. Nice. Yeah. The uh, um, uh, there's some st- the Pilsner sweetness is is, uh, is definitely it's present, and so having a little bit of the lime. Mm-hmm. I actually don't get extra acidity, honestly, uh, but a little bit of that lime kind of brightness I think balances with the Pilsner sweetness pretty well. Yeah. Thanks. Good job. Yeah, it took yeah, a long time to. It was it was a, the strangest thing. It was. This is about three months old now, and it oh, wow. really took about six weeks for it to not look like a wheat. It was so huh. hazy and still got a, a tad. Yeah, it's, it's, it's much clearer of... than it was, and we don't exactly know why. We we were wondering if if the lime could. He uh, added in the lime juice. That could have been some pectins. Yeah. yeah. A little bit of pectin haze, right? Especially yeah. if you did it in the last part of the boil, last catching the, the boil. heat. Yep. The last, uh, the, I mean, the last, uh, um, whatever this, these are called, uh, Mexican lager that we brewed too took a while to clear out. Actually, did it? Uh, and a lot of our lagers, when he, and we did that down at the Steel Barrel. This is probably almost yep. a year mm. ago now. Yep. Um, well, a yeah, lot of our lagers last clear big out pretty batch fast. Yeah, did. Um, but a lot of we, a lot of our lagers down there clear out pretty fast because it's on a bigger scale, so yeah. it right. you know, clarifies naturally from weight. Our oat cerveza did not that sucker cleaned out almost immediately yeah that was weird because that was like 30 percent oats oh really yeah and that cleared out quickly golden naked oats uh we were using to experiment threw it on um k bueno uh with just pilsner malt heidelberg malt with it and i mean that like it cleared out in almost a week or two yeah i blame imperial for making good yeast yeah well, it, I mean, also probably enzymes and doing like, you know, 12 hour mashes and protein rest and, you know, and shit like that. Tanner just commented that his Mexican lager took a while to clear out, too. It did. Yeah. 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 Nice. And his Mexican lager is also here. Liquid IV will save your life. Shannon Tageron. I mean,. Trust me, I've yeah, I've, I've needed it a handful of times too. <laughs> We're out. It's expensive though. It's like a thirty packs, like forty bucks or something like that on Amazon. So they should like send some to us. I mean, it's appropriately priced, and we are also actively looking for sponsors. So um, someone out in the internet world, if you want to email Liquid IV for us, I mean, a Liquid IV for every every uh, live stream show sounds like it could make it more entertaining. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. And lively. Yes. For sure, can and help cure us. Would you ever use dried fruit in lieu of zest or fresh slash frozen fruit? Pamela Hakala had that question. I don't know. I'm very ADD this morning, and so I'm kind of jumping around between. Yeah. We're talking about uh, dried fruit in lieu of zest. Thoughts? Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, you get different flavor compounds out of the dried fruit than you do the zest. It's actually when you buy from your local homebrew stop sweet orange peel bitter orange peel i mean technically that's dried fruit peel you are getting a little more oils than water out of those so they're more intense than using actual orange peels but as far as like the fruit flesh itself i I mean you get less water content out of it but it's a different flavor that also comes out of it it's not a fresh flavor anymore 
in my opinion. There's nothing wrong with using it. The frozen fruit that's out there is pretty great to use because it's already frozen. Cell walls are broken down. Just make sure they don't coat the fruit in anything to preserve it or keep it fresh, not chunky to each other. Um, cause that could severely affect your brew, like citric acid. That's a huge mm-hmm. one. That's, uh, fruits are coated with keeps them fresh and you can't really taste it, but it could change the pH of your beer enough to kill yeast. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than that, those are pretty darn good to use. Uh, you know, if that, it just keep in mind the flavor of the fruit that you're adding in and the flavor you want to come out and tailor what you're using to get that. As if this was a great transition into topic number one. Well, I mean, we were still on, like, flavor. Yeah, Almost there. Almost, Almost there. You ever used yeah, so. Uh, dehydrated fruit? I've never used dehydrated fruit, as far as I know. So I don't know if I... I mean, I think I have from, uh, like, I've used raisins in the, one of the yeah. beers, and that's about my only... We forced like, Logan to use, like, uh, raisins in, like, the very first Willet Brew. Yeah. I've used um, raisins in my cookie stout. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and it's definitely not a fresh flavor. It's like added sweetness. I'll say one of my right. favorite beers out there, uh, Red Beer, um, Freak Cake uses dates, figs, raisins, and like dried cherries and stuff like that, and it is an amazing beer. So it, it yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, use it. it. Just keep in mind that's the if you eat it and you like that flavor, that's the flavor going into your beer. So if you like it, do it. Put it in your face. Yeah. Um, comments, light body, high carbonation. If it's got bread and it's going to clarify, we're back on Berliner Weisses, by the way. Ah, For those of you following along, especially if you're not watching. (laughs) All right, we're at what? Flavor? Flavor. Uh, I think we're on flavor. Flavor? I thought I just did. No, no, I just talked about flavor. That was the last thing I talked about. So we're on mouthfeel. Light body, high carbonation, no sensation of alcohol, crisp and juicy acidity. Uh, Britannomyces, especially on a light bodied beer, these things start at what? uh, 10, 32 at the highest OG, maybe a little bit higher. Uh Mm. Um, If you're doing the american thing which i love to do um which is make things bigger like texas <laughs> i don't know i don't know what i'm saying but uh britannomyces will dry all these out which is going to make them very very low body so even with the high carbonation it should the head should fall right. um and if you have an oversized glass if you're one of the glass snobs that does the giant glasses you can actually trap in a lot of extra aroma and flavor in one of those just fill the entire thing up and plan on drinking half of a thing full of beer after the head falls and get your face in there it's a good mm. idea we, we use mostly shaker glasses because they stack. Yes. We have a small space. That's uh, very understandable. We uh, got that little thing so oh, we can kind of organize. Nice. Do some stemware. Make us look a little fancy. That's pretty. Yeah. We do have some glasses this size, which are which can be nice. But you don't <coughs> want this size of a Berliner Weiss. You want, you want yeah, large. That actually really depends on if you have some nice simples to mix with it, and then I want a flight of Berliner Weisses, all different flavors. Yeah. yeah so right now we have a we have a raspberry and uh, a woodruff. Thank uh, God we're using. And, yes. Uh, it's I'm surprised the woodruff has really been pretty popular. It's so good. It is good, and especially with a proper Berliner Weiss. Woodruff is amazing, and it more people need to actually get over the fact that it's bright green and use it. <laughs> I'd like to see but. what it tastes like outside of the syrup, because you know, to yeah. me, to me, it tastes like a really it, like lemon lime lifesaver is what I get from it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, it, it's I bet you, I bet you, in a tea, a yeah, tea would be a, a tea would thing. be a way to see what it tastes mm. like. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the little spice shop that's close to us uh, yeah. might have some in, in or, there, actually. 
we can maybe just collaborate a beer with them and then uh, see if they can order it in if they don't have it. They yeah. would probably be willing to do that. They're awesome little ladies down there. I, their sisters, I forget the true name of it because it was Spice and Vine for a long time, and it, it's like tea and something else right now. Look it up, man, in the chair. They gave <laughs> us, actually, and that'll be important for the uh, bread beer. They gave us uh, the Nagella seeds, the pre-pre peppers, and the Bassar seasoning for that. Uh, and was actually one of the ladies in there helped me out really well to find good Egyptian spices to throw in that beer. So L's tastes and tea market. L's taste and tea. Uh, they, I mean, they have some oh, amazing spices in there. Uh, they'll order things in for you if they can get it. Uh, it's well as some awesome balsamic vinegars and oils, great teas and everything like that. Plus, while you're there, you can go down to Steady Flow and, you know, have some beer as well. Yeah. So. Did you know that in Germany, a uh, Berliner Weiss is classified as a shank beer, denoting a small beer of starting gravity in the range of seven to eight Play-Doh, uh, often served in addition with a shot of sugar syrups, Michus, flavored with raspberry, mm. Himbeer, Woodruff, mm-hmm. Waldemeister, or caraway schnapps, kumel. Oh, that could be really interesting. Caraway, caraway yeah. schnapps. Account of a substantial right. sourness, and has right. been yeah. described by some as mostly pure, the most pure and refreshing beer in the world. And I could honestly. Stefan Stoudemire, confirm or deny that? Yeah. Well, they're really hard to find in Germany. No, well, because of Rhein Heinzenbold. This is a beer that is pretty much half, if not mostly, wheat. And uh, Reinheinsenbolt plus the lacto fermentation, Reinheinsenbolt kind of kind of killed that a little bit. Yeah, they just need to get over that. They didn't mm. even know what uh, they didn't even know what bacteria was when Reinheinsenbolt got started. <laughs> I mean, at least let these amazing traditional styles come back in, and right. Yeah. But yeah, no, I would agree with that. A nice low alcohol Berliner Weiss, I would drink all day. They're they're so nice. That's part of the uh, part of the fun of it being low alcohol is you can't drink it all day. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We we did it for uh, a beer tasting with Alpine Deli on Third Avenue in Spokane. And, oh, nice. And uh, the owner, I'm blanking on her name, but she's a German woman and wanted us to make a Berliner Weiss. So paired with uh, with her meal and uh, pretty well. How was the uh, How was the meal? What was in it? That's a good question. I was working the tap room, so. Oh no! <laughs> so, it's a good so meal Dave, and it's a good Dave, beer. My and... partner was over there. Apparently, it was really good. <laughs> I had a meal of popcorn that day. Uh, that's a, that's not as good. Uh, right. Was uh, uh, Alpine Deli? I haven't been there. Tim, have you been to Alpine Deli? Uh, I have a long, long time ago. I mean, years ago. Right. They've been around a long time. I've also uh, back when they actually had like their deli shop open over uh-huh. on Monroe. I see. Uh, on Monroe. They were on Monroe. Not Monroe. Uh, well, third, um, isn't it? Isn't whatever that one is. Yeah. I call it Monroe. Maple? Maple. Oh, okay. Isn't it? I don't Maple? know. I don't know. It's been a I'm long... Never, it's there. probably coming up on like maybe 10-ish years <laughs> or so. Yeah. Uh, it's been a long time. But I love their stuff. They do a lot of cool stuff for people around all over town that's <laughs> awesome. I know they make uh, Wisconsin Burgers bud, uh, Buns, I think. Oh, was okay. Alpine? I might be false about that. That's possible. Um, but they're delicious. They make great things. Um, you know, I'm always excited to have something from Alpine. And they have they, they have beer on tap too, so they're putting the Berliner Weiss on tap, or was that just like no? A, I think it was just just for that just for that uh, pairing. I don't think they have a liquor license. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. 
Yeah, we can help him out with that. Yeah. <laughs> Historically speaking, a regional specialty of Berlin, referred to by Napoleon's troops in 1809 as the Champagne of the North, yep. due to its lively, elegant character. At one point, it was smoked and used to be Martin Strength, 14 Play-Doh original, hmm. originally, which is 14 Play-Doh. That's like 10, 56 or 5 hmm. or something like that. Oh, especially um, going dry. That increasingly rare in German, but some oh, American craft breweries now regularly produce... This, oh yeah, we kind of already talked about that. Like, Go that, America. That might be that might be fun to make a fourteen play though Berliner. Try to do the uh, historical champion yeah. of the north. But maybe do a lot of it through uh, some good uh, decoction, long boil, Maillard reduction. Do we know any any really short Germans that can dress up like sh- like John Snow? Hmm. Uh, hmm. Maybe. I don't know. I know some short people that we could pretend they're German. Okay. Yeah. 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 We can call them the Napoleon of the North. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. There's a joke like in there that. somewhere. I almost made yeah, it. It's. <laughs> uh, characteristic wheats. Uh, ingredients. Wheat malts. Typically half the grist. Um, when we do ours, I think we just usually do wheat and pilsner. Is that pretty much you just? Wheat, wheat and, and pilsner. I think we probably did a 60-40. Uh, okay. Mostly to avoid uh, Stuck st- stuff. mashes. Yeah. 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 All the extra gummies. Um, symbiotic fermentation with top fermenting yeast and lactobacillus, various strains, provides some sharp sourness, which might be enhanced by a blending of beers yep. of different ages. Um, hop bitterness is nose. Decoction mashings with the mash hops is traditional. Um, German brewing scientists believe that Britannomyces is essential to the correct flavor profile, but this character is never strong. Again, there's, there's a lot of recent iterations of it. They're kind of popping up all over there. But overall, it's you know it's a nice refreshing champ- yeah. champagne of the north. We used yeah. a, a, a Kolsch yeast with uh, some some uh, lacto. Yeah, so, so nice and clean. Yeah. Yeah. Keep it delicious. Um, <laughs> they meant what? Did they, they just mentioned something about. Uh, it's right below it. style comparison. Comparison. Oh. Compared to uh, lambic, it's generally not as acidic and has a clean sourness. Sourness with restrained to below sensory threshold funk. Also lower in alcohol content, and honestly, this is a beer I would not compare to a Lambic uh, because of everything else that goes into a Lambic. There's more complexity, structure, and uh, acids that are in there, longer fermentation times uh, for it. And in the Berliner Weiss, it's just that nice, light, and refreshing. The bread, and it really shouldn't, again, it's adding to the acid. Uh, it's converting other flavors back into more of that acid bright flavor rather than any funk going into it at all. Um, and it, I mean, I kind of agree with the uh, German brewing scientist. Brett adds to the character of it too, fermenting out some proteins to make it even cleaner, a little uh-huh. bit less meaty in there. Uh-huh. And again, that's turning it into acid rather than any of the funk. So. Comparing it to Lambic, don't, because those are two wildly different beers. They both have acid in them. That, that, there you go. That's a, that's a similarity. Yeah. Um, mash hopping, they also mentioned. And that mash hopping, by the way, can be a whole new topic, because now there's a, a – Omega just did an entire like series on mash hopping. So we should talk about that, but not right now. I'm just I'm making a mental note so all you guys out there in the world can did, remind did me. Do you guys do a lot of mash hopping? No. Um, Somebody was telling me, I, I saw a video on this, and somebody said they did an experiment where they, they added hops to the mash, and then they took another, uh, in the other boil, they, 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 or the other mash, they threw the hops away, and they said they got the same, the same impact. 
So the uh, whatever uh, the thing that Omega just came out with basically says that there's a way to do a mash hopping. So we don't do mash hopping partly because we want to give our grain to farmers yeah. and hops are oh, poisonous right. to yep. Yep. Uh, cows. Feed don't cows, feed yeah. animals hops. Yeah, it is not good for them. No bueno. Uh, mm-hmm. But the Omega uh, video went into a little bit how you can use the mash hoppings specifically with certain yeasts um, that uh, uh, will thiolize huh. um, uh, compounds to actually post-fermentation or during fermentation express the hop compounds um so there's a way to make it actually have an impact but that's it's a much larger topic that i honestly haven't even researched that much and so there's some fun stuff there but i think that needs to be a separate video yeah something to think about let's talk about adjuncts in beer um you guys threw donuts in beer right we have not thrown donuts in beer we made a donut beer made a donut beer okay yeah but it didn't have any any donuts in it what do you use to get the donut flavor uh, if that's not a trade secret. No, it's. Uh, <laughs> uh, we, we think we're the first brewery to ever use uh, this milk sugar. We call it lactose. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm. We use lactose. Uh, we use uh, vanilla, and we use uh, maple to create a maple donut beer or a maple maple bar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, I think the trick to making it taste like a donut is uh, artificial uh, extracts. Oh, nice! Yeah, we we uh, we are all for artificial extracts. We right. n- natural extracts too, but whatever yeah. it takes, yeah. we like to as naturally get as close to flavors as possible. Right, and then if we just need to, if we need to kick it across the line, you know, kick it across the line with a little flavor. Mm. And and you know when you're when you're going for an artificial flavor like a maple bar donut, yeah, right. tastes nothing like actual maple. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, it uh, basically it was a uh, a sort of a pale ale with a, a bunch of lactose uh, in the boil, and then. Uh, at, at brightening, uh, vanilla and uh, and uh, maple extract. Yeah, lactose beers. For those of you who don't know, are uh, when the brewmaster is a double amputee. He only has his arms. He's lacking toes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, dad jokes. Yeah. Dad jokes. Good one. Um, yeah. Was, uh, so talking about uh, stra- not stranger, but uh, yeah. atypical adjuncts. Because normally you think about adjuncts as uh, you know, oats or you know all the different grains that you can add in there. Bread, right. like we added bread into the beer that we did Friday. Um, but uh, there's a range of other adjuncts out there that are just their flavor builders. Yeah. Um, like we've talked, we've done like monk fruit sugar. Mm-hmm. Um, same kind of thing as lactose. It's going to not ferment until it builds sweetness, but just in a different way. Right. Um, we have flavor extracts. We use a we use a decent amount of them. <clears throat> yeah, we have a beer now. It's a strawberry basil uh, light wheat beer. That uh, yeah, that's. Uh, meant to be a one-off but it was popular so we we do it every year you got sucked into doing it multiple times well that's it and i think initially uh we had a we had a, a guy working in our tap room uh eddie and uh eddie asked us to brew a vanilla beer and we said great we'll do it and he had tried one i can't remember cali creamin probably yes yeah and he said can you do something like that and and we did and uh it was popular so it's you know something we have constantly now we have all the time. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, probably our second biggest selling beer. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. As a uh, um, people in, in the brewing world, I think usually it's like whatever IP you have is the number one. Right. That's right. And then maybe something light is number two. It's right. like brand like neutral. Right. Do you guys have Bud Light? <laughs> yes, we do. And then we become known as the people who put a bunch <laughs> of shit in our beer. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a fun way to do it though. Which we we okay. got kind of known as like a weirder brewery too. We, uh, yeah, we yeah. like to... Not give people. Well, no, we like to give people shit that come in that ask for 
you know, ask for certain beers or ask for uh, like well, if they ask for like a right. like Mac and Jacks or something like right. that, or if they come in and they ask for a beer that they had like four months ago because we don't make the same beer twice. Right. So we just tell them, oh, it's probably not on. And they're like, what? I really like that. I had one guy tell me, um, he he says, you know, I'd come in a lot more often if you guys had. And he found, so I, but here's the thing: he found a new beer that he liked. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, it's, we're almost done with this. So this beer's probably never coming back. And he's like, well, if you made this one again, like I'd come in here a lot more often. <laughs> and I just said, you're probably just not the right customer for us then. That's right. It is a it is a funny thing. We have a lot of folks coming in who are who are saying, you know, listen, I'm visiting. I'm in the Northwest. I want to drink IPAs. And they have an IPA, and then we give them a sample of, you know, our vanilla beer, which we're going to trace in a second. Or we have the, the raspberry version of that. It's basically the same beer with a uh, raspberry puree. And suddenly they love it. And, yeah. you know, you just wonder. Some people don't really know what they like. Uh, yeah. I think other people uh, just haven't explored. Right? There's exactly. a lot of people who get stuck into a lot of keywords or drinking things because that's the beer you should be drinking you can look in the wine world sideways came out everybody needed to drink pinot noir and you couldn't drink merlot right well yeah (laughs) like really why why can't you why can't you drink merlot well because it was in the movie that paul giamatti told me i couldn't uh yeah you know Oh, I'm trying to think of a stupid one that he was into. I was going to bring up like Independence Day, but I don't think he's in that. <laughs> he's you not know, in that, like no. movie movies are there for entertainment purposes only. Come on, son. Like it, it's okay, and it's okay. Sometimes people don't know what they want. They're like, oh yeah, I really love citrusy IPAs, and like I, you just described pretty much every single IPA. Thanks, dude. Somebody in a bar told you, this is a super citrusy IPA. It's what makes it unique. And they're trying to sell you a beer. And that's a, you know, person that was taught talking points by their manager. You know, exactly. That's what it is. That's why I like beer novices coming in because they, they don't know what they like, but they don't have any preset notions of what they should like. You need to set them on a different path. Yeah. Yeah, movie, movies and TV, they're, they're getting knowledge from movies and TV is great for uh, randomly winning at, at Jeopardy questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, not great for dictating your life. Fun fact. You yeah. know, I mean, gener- generally, generally. Generally. I do. The generally. King of the, king of the North. Yeah. yeah. Right. The opposite of that? I do tend to live my <laughs> life by the Princess Bride, though, because that, that just seems There's accurate. wisdom in that one. That's yeah, real. That's, that yeah. place exists, and you cannot convince me otherwise. What, Narnia? No, no well. I don't, I don't think that's called Narnia. No, not, I mean, depending on which way you think about it and what you believe in, then Narnia exists, yeah. yeah. It just, you know, it's a shining giant being instead of a lion, but... No, no. The, uh, you know, the uh, flaming swamps Will that shiny and, giant being get mad at you if you pet him? That is a great question. Philosophical questions here, guys. Yep. All right, let's move on. There's a Warren in chat. Warren, what up? <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's go. No more rhymes now. I mean it. I think we've talked a lot about adjuncts. If you guys got more questions on adjuncts, uh, by the way, we've talked a lot about where we get a lot of our flavorings from. It's vanilla, um, so, and we so we get extracts from vanilla and use it for a lot of stuff, including our seltzers, especially extracts for vanilla. You said. Uh, so well, just vanilla is the name of the company. Vanilla. But, so vanilla yeah. covers that. We make a cream soda with that vanilla. So um, into some of our beers. We've used a natural because it's fucking close to water. Sorry, it's Reverend KY. <laughs> Reverend KY. <laughs> Why, why is Coors Light like having sex in a canoe? Uh, like All right, so I came by this uh, as a Monty Python joke from like the 70s. And they were doing the Bruce's. Hey, Bruce, why is American beer like having sex in a canoe? 
Because it's fucking close to water. Ah, I love it every time. Every time. All right, Sorry. continue. Pretty good. Uh, vanilla. No, you're talking about the... Oh, vanilla, yeah. So, you know, we've used, uh, we've used a paste. Uh, we've used an actual extract. And we've used the uh, straight-up fake extract. And honestly, I don't know that people know the difference. And what is this one? Is this, the, this tastes to me like it could be the paste. Oh, okay. It, t- it tastes like it's it, the fake. It's the fake. Yeah. It's got no. It's got some real vanilla quality too. I can almost get a little bit of maybe an alcohol. And it doesn't notes. have the woodiness underneath, and it's very flat on the bottom. Very high notes and yeah. butterscotch, yeah. but it's flat on the bottom, and it doesn't have the wood. Yeah, it's a fun beer though. I can drink a lot of it. We, uh, you know, I, I did uh, just just some some internet research on uh, baking and some studies and. Americans prefer fake vanilla extract to real vanilla extract in baking, and because of that butterscotchy flavor yeah. that's yeah. in that. Well, and it's and if you're gonna make, you know, you're ordering a lactose vanilla beer. I don't know that people are trying to avoid the butterscotch sweetness. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's when using ours, uh, and like our cream soda, legitimately is water, sugar, and vanilla. And I use a blend of uh, Tahitian, Madagascar, bourbon vanillas, and then well, their base vanilla flavor, which basically Benilla takes all of their vanillas from all their different farms, takes the beans that nobody will buy because they're ugly, mashes them all up into a round vanilla. And they call it a vanilla flavor. It's right. all still vanilla, but the way that they put it together, it's pretty much exactly this. And it's that vanilla ice cream, huge, round, kind of butterscotchy vanilla. Right. And use, I can't use Mexican vanilla, or I can't use Tahitian vanilla in those, because people will be like, ah, oh, it's just not the same. And you're like, you're getting a better vanilla here, people. But that I love that vanilla. That's actually one to look. All right, a gallon of it is $128. So stupid cheap. And wonderful. Yeah, I mean the but. fake extract, the gallon of the fake extract is more in the lines of about twenty dollars. Yeah, that is a that is a difference. Do is a difference. But how much do you, do you use a larger quantity of it per batch? How much do we use for a one barrel of or a half barrel of uh, cream soda? A half like barrel of cream soda, I use like eight ounces. Okay. Yeah, so uh, we're just under a pint per barrel. Okay, so that's pretty much the exact same ratio. Relatively yeah. the same. Yeah, or uh, mm. and we did this last in a 10-barrel, and I think it was one gallon. And it was sufficient. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. Um, Do you happen to know where your vanilla is extracted from? Yes, uh, the URM. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you that don't know, have fun on the internet today. <laughs> It's one of my favorite facts about uh, vanilla and where it comes from. Yeah. And uh, I will say that the stuff that's used in the food industry normally does not come from that particular source. And I'm not going to give it away. You guys need to go look it up. It's absolutely wonderful. Most yeah. of the time in the food industry, it actually comes from wood sources and things like oak and stuff like yeah. that. But yeah, the main uh, main extract for vanilla. Go, go have fun with that, guys. Yeah. While you're Googling, though, also, if you want to know where lemon extract comes from, go to lemonparty.com. And then, uh, yeah, look look that look that up. Lemon party. Yeah. All right. I'm guessing it has nothing to do with lemon extract. Let's go to some questions. Reverend Ky is taking a <laughs> uh, liking to almond extract uh, when he couldn't get vanilla to do what he wanted. I no, like that idea. Almond extract's pretty good. I love almond extract too. Almond. 
is beautiful. I love almond stuff. So, Esteban yeah. Andrade Z. Hello, folks. Would you recommend adding natural lactic acid instead of using mixed fermentations? Recommend add natural lactic acid? So adding lactic acid directly to uh, your mash or your bright tank? Uh, I mean, you can add it to your boil at any, any point. I suppose you could do that. Yeah, I've always, for uh, people who have done that in the commercial world, I've always noticed that it tastes a little bit less... Uh, well, t less complex. Less. Right. Uh, it is way more linear. There aren't as many flavor esters that go through fermentation that are attached to it. Uh, if you do it, uh, if you're adding sourness in there, I wouldn't say a straight lactic, mostly lactic, and then maybe hit it with a little bit of something like citric uh, or malic at a very low level so you can build some different complexity and kind of take it away from a single linear note. If you want to build straight lactic naturally, then do the actual kettle souring method and don't go mix firm. Just hit it with the lacto by itself, let it sour for a minute, and then come back and uh, hit it with sack. Hit it with some sack. Although I did read an article about that. Uh, it was written by a guy who won an award with his Berliner Weiss, and people were very excited about the complexity, and he came out later and said it was entirely lactic acid at bottling so there's a way to do it it's a way to do mm -hmm. it uh yeah you got to just really probably there's probably a decent amount of trial and error we've used lactic acid on a handful of occasions uh for i mean for different purposes but that usually comes with uh not for not making a brand ice for us it's like hey do we want to turn this sour? we want to like fruit this sour or this ipa or random, right. random beer and so we add lactic acid to kind of bump the sourness up for the and fruit it's almost always in conjunction with other acids, trying to mimic the acids that are in fruit to right. make the fruit taste more real. I think the extracts have that complexity that real fruit does in there. Uh, yeah, Pamela Hockelhead. Sorry, I got distracted by this and I love the idea, but it's also something about almond I need to add on to. Uh, I'm considering adding uh, Orzet, Orgate. Almond yeah. syrup, uh, or Zed, I think is how you actually say it. But you have to say it with the French, so or, it's Orzet. Orzet. You imply the T without saying it. Tanner's asking uh, about blue waffle extract. Yeah, don't. Uh, blueberry waffle. I don't know what that means, but that sounds great. Google it. <laughs> Google it. Just Google that. Uh, Google that. What, anyway. Blue waffle extract? Yeah. yeah uh, no, I'm, I'm on a rent. Okay. Right. You, hey, we'll you guys should Google that. You should not. Uh, she's considering adding... Uh, Almond syrup to an imperial stout. Wonderful, wonderful idea. Uh, also along with that, if you find that you're not quite getting the almond impact that you're wanting, little tiny touches of cherry extract will help pump the almond up into a bigger range. It's, uh, cherry and almond are extremely close together. And if you want to make a cherry flavor thing, a little bit of almond in there. If you want to make a more intense almond, a little bit of cherry in there can help out. If you are aging on cherry fruit, save the pits, age on the pits, and that's going to give you a really nice amaretto flavor going along with it and boost your cherry flavor too. So. Pamela, that sounds absolutely amazing. Uh, don't go overboard on it because almond can get out of control pretty damn quickly. Uh, but if you're finding you're not quite in getting the roundness out of it, just tiny little touches of cherry could really help that out. I like that idea. I, I did a, a cherry, a dark cherry beer. Um, it also has some coffee in it and added mm. a little almond. And it was, it, it, it really did accent the cherry. It was perfect. Yeah. 
it just brings it up into a bigger, richer, rounder flavor. Um, makes some more complexity instead of uh, one-dimensionalness. So, yeah. Uh, all right. I think there were some <laughs> way up here. Yeah, a lot. There's a lot about the uh, the sour stuff that was kind of answered each other. So there was some uh, talking about using Quike. Um, but. Oh, one mention uh, I just ran across, the, across this original culture of Quike that can, uh, contains bacteria to co-ferment a wheat beer. Would you still add lacto? I would add lacto before the Quike, probably a day before the Quike, so it actually has time to work. Quike huh. will we, punch lacto in the face very quickly. Yeah. yeah. It, some of them will kill it. Yeah. Other ones will just ferment out faster than the quite can actually, or the uh, lacto can actually move, and you won't get very much tart or sourness because or, or then it'll there's become nothing too tart over time. Maybe, yeah, maybe, yeah. Well, so, if it dries it out too much, then all that tartness gets extra, extra. Yeah, yeah. My my biggest thing would be depending on the lacto strain um, and what you're making. Uh, I guess in a Berliner ice probably wouldn't matter all that much, but uh, having the alcohol just inhibit the activity yeah, of the lacto in the first place. Yeah. Um, plus, it'll be competitive. Shannon Tageron. I'm going to say for sure that's how I pronounce that name. Genius, bring your hands down. The best brewing channel I watch. Yes. Nice. That's right. That's all. That, that, that wasn't yeah, a question. That was, it was just, that was just nice. a statement. It's just no, a matter of fact. Uh, Tanner Cole. I mean, I know this is a statement for something else. What's the closest thing to Coors Light that you've got? You hear that one all the time. Uh, I specifically make Genus Tone Light because of that. And not even kidding. The thing is half flaked rice. And people absolutely love it. And it thrills the ever-living poop out of them. And, uh, you know, keep coming in and do it. And since it's craft, they don't complain that it's $6 a pint. And I'm like, cool, you came. You could have this great delicious beers up here for the same price or you go you go for this you come to yeah i'm sorry that's my soapbox for the day the first iteration of the of the genus online was a really fun experiment the very first one that we did we tried to do a completely raw light lager Mm. oh yeah so just like and like break all the rules so it was it was a hazy grist it wasn't even Mm -hmm. like it wasn't even normal grist it was a bunch of wasted grains Mm -hmm. and then we ended up uh doing Mm. it raw uh, adding like enzymes to the mash, mm-hmm. adding clarity firm during fermentation, mm-hmm. adding clarifiers at the end of it, mm-hmm. and just like everything we could do to clear it up and get a light lager out and clarified in like, I don't know, six, seven days. I think it was when Lutra first started to really come around. Yeah. We we're like, hey, let's do this. Let's push it. And uh, it was great. And I mean, legitimately, these people are getting, uh, most of the time, I still do that with Genestone, and they're getting an incredibly well crafted beer that's not easy to make that also just happens to taste like Coors Light and you know just you, you could have tried everything on the lager. board and instead of trying something you go immediately yeah. for a light lager we like, have a, oh, sorry go ahead. I was just gonna say that's one of the things that irritates me sometimes is like try I don't care if you don't like any of the beer but at least put it in your mouth before you decide you don't like it you know, you may have tried an IPA once. That doesn't mean that his IPA tastes exactly like our IPA. It could be something way different, way better. And yeah, ours is way better. It, I'm just know, kidding. Right? <laughs> well, I mean, it really could be your flavor buds. And 100%, you can't be turned off just because of what somebody else did, especially if you're unwilling to try something, man. That's just yeah. unfortunate for your life, I guess. We've Go. Got- uh, I was going to say, uh, not close to Coors Lake, we, we have a Japanese lager mm. right now, uh, uh, cold crashing, and uh, we've tried it. It tastes delicious. Uh, 
So, I mean, it really is uh, just it's jasmine rice and, and yes. filter malt. And this, it's very dry and it's, it's going to be great. I mean, it's Does the jasmine come through? It does. Um, mm. It's it's funny. It's like tasting a, a Budweiser on crack. I mean, everything is just better. It's just better. Yeah. yeah. I mean, everything kind of just feels like better. You, you're you're crack, on so. crack yeah. and then you <laughs> taste Budweiser. So it's much better. That's what we're talking about. Are yeah, you open that, on Sundays? <laughs> yes. Somebody came to the tap room once and they said something like, oh, reds are my crack. And I'm like, oh, okay. like, what's your crack? And I'm like, it's crack. crack. <laughs> it's crack. <laughs> the real one. Yeah. Uh, I was gonna say I just remember when my mom made uh, Oreo truffles for a family friend and gave them, and he's like, "Oh, these are better than crack." And then my mom immediately turned to his like young kids and he's like, "Not that your dad's ever done it." <laughs> Wink. Wink. Warren. No, but they, you should actually say, "Yeah, your dad's done crack, and you shouldn't do crack because you should just eat these because right. he knows and they're better." Right. Uh, See, w- See, Warren Gillis, Gillies, yeah. Giles, Giles, Giles. When adding things to beer like breakfast cereal or things that have sugars, how do you account for those sugars in a recipe? I usually just take the weight, pretend it's sugar, and then I divide like by eighty, like just like take eighty percent of it or something like that, because there's other stuff that's not just sugar in there or fermentables. Yeah, I think uh, yeah. I think I do something similar. I, I imagine what it would be if it were grain, and you know, say I'm getting sixty percent of that or something. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. It's usually about right. And if it's not right, I pretend it is and tell you that's what it is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The uh, world is what we make it. Uh, doing cereal beers and stuff like that, you can 100% do it. Look at what's in there. You can put those into a lot of uh, recipe builders as far as like the base grains. Take the grams of sugars per servings. Multiply that all out with math. Put it into your recipe and you'll get a heck of a lot of work for an approximation of... Same. Hey, if I'm using cornflakes, I can just say it's flake corn and take a gravity reading and see how wrong I was. I'm All dyslexic, right. so that adds up to me. Yeah. I mean, yeah. legitimately, those two things are the exact same thing. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, wow. Gold, what's the one with the frog? Because uh, those are puffed rice. Snaps. Sugar snaps. Sugar yeah. snaps. Yeah, those are so good. So, I mean, like, sugar snaps. That's puffed rice. Count it as flaked rice in there. Add a little bit uh, extra for the sugar on the outside, and away you go. Crunch berries, I think, would be a nice, mm. uh, nice one. Did you guys ever use those? Uh, we did in one uh, one beer, and it ended up tasting... I don't think we ended up tasting it that much. With the berry flavor. Yeah, yeah. well, you I, think have, that, I, think I think you have to use the oops all berries. Yeah. Rather than the actual Crunch Berry Captain Crunch. Yeah. Does, does all berries? Is there I, something? I, I believe yeah, I've berries. seen that at URM. Yeah. Oh, really? URM. Mm. That's uh, your favorite store, I think. It is. My, it's well, hey, we, it's we, one of my favorites, too. <laughs> we do things there. Uh, right? In the back room. I, I, I'm a, I, I have not done a cereal beer. Uh, aside from, I mean, using some, some uh, you know, Beer for your morning. Yeah. <laughs> but but I'm excited to try a Fruity Pebble beer. Uh, I yeah. haven't done that. Are you, are you, so is that something IPA. you're going to do? Yeah. Is yeah. it? So I, I haven't done it. I would like to do it. Um, for the love of God, had one. I don't know if that was. Was it Fruit Loops? Pebble? It was Fruit Loops, yeah. It was. Uh, and I liked it. It was indistinct. I mean, it uh, was so much like drinking the milk afterwards. I think it just. I, it, we kind of lost a little bit because it was all of it mashed together. Yeah. Uh, which wasn't bad. I mean, I did enjoy that one. Actually, I drank it. I drank two of them. Um, but, yeah, 
but you know i mean if you ever really need to have an excuse to do a cereal beer i know some people who do it and could collab with you on i it. love that so, idea yeah yeah so. I, I do like your uh, count chocolate beer it's uh Reese's Puff is coming out. Oh, that's a uh, genus brewing news. If you guys are still here, you are going to get the uh, secret news now at the end of the show. So this week we're going to have a release of Reese's Puff Porter coming out mm-hmm. that we do with natural 20 made oh. with Reese's Puff cereal. Uh, she'll be coming out on the 18th. We might even throw on a keg, last keg of the barrel aged version of that. Uh, I believe our chef extraordinaire is going to have a new cheesecake special. Uh, maybe a wrap. I, I know he's been working with some peanut sauce. At least I saw peanut sauce back there, and I've been eating it. Uh, but, yeah, so this week we're uh, coming out with a Reese's Puff Border. So. It is Trigon. I didn't, so I didn't put Trigon on. That just naturally came on after whatever I did put on. Because it's awesome and should always be on. Yes, he'll have cheesecake with chocolate and peanut butter drizzle. Uh, yeah. Oh, I'll, uh, maybe if I go over to URM, I'll get you some of those uh, Reese's Crumbles. Mm. Mm. Oh, yes, that. Mm. Mm. Fruity Pebble beer, though. That sounds really great. I mean, like, I there's Fruity so Pebbles many. I think Pebbles are a great cereal. I love Fruity Pebbles. Yeah. I do. There's so many great directions you could go from that, too. I mean, IPA, cream ale will be all right. Uh, sour honestly jumps into my mind as well. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That'd be a. What kind of color would that be, though? Which one? A Fruity Pebble? A Fruity Pebble. It's, like, uh, it's a rainbow of colors. I know. I don't know how you get a striped beer. Um, yeah, I mean, there's probably a way. Layering? We tried to do glitter, uh, the rainbow glitter, but we didn't add enough. It, it's very expensive, uh, Yeah, the glitter was. Um, it was a, a collab we did with Millwood. We did two, two beers, and they were basically sort of some kind of fishing theme and one was meant to look like you know like a rainbow rainbow trout sort of thing and the other was mm. like i don't know it was a black beer with gold gold flakes and yeah. uh you know i think the trick is you got to spend more money on more 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 yeah the trick to doing anything better pretty much is just more money more, more, more money. money yeah uh, more flavor has a uh, uh, has a uh, uh, gold glitter now that's actually pretty affordable. Affordable, yeah, yeah. yeah. Beer glitter, yeah. Uh, I love using fruit in my beer. The last red was a dragon fruit beer and turned out a nice shade of red. Dragon fruit be a fun one. Oh. I didn't know that was very colored though. It didn't seem doesn't seem like yeah. the colorist of things. But dragon fruit, yeah. Uh, if you it's actually use the skin, so I've seen this and I really want to try it. Is people uh, peeling off the actual outside of the skin of the uh, dragon fruit, right? And then making teas out of it, and it is absolutely gorgeous 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 color if you had enough of them i believe you could probably actually flavor it really well um i would just maybe be worried about the tannins going along with that if they're making a tea out of it is it more fruit is it more tannic um you know are you are you gonna have to use so much it detriments the beer for the color right um but i've seen it and it's gorgeous and i want to do it i've used beets uh for red we did a um Probably the, the most extract beer, not extract, sorry, the most adjunct beer we've done is uh, Red Velvet Cake. Oh, yeah. Mm, yeah. And uh, involves uh, lots of lots of roasted beets, um, basically steeping, um, steeping in the wort prior to boil, and then um, ch- chalaca, 
Chalaka is how you say it, right? Chalaka. Chalaka, Chalaka and uh, some vanilla and, uh, yeah, and uh, maybe even a little bit of coffee. And it Ooh, really, okay. it tasted like you were eating a cake. And believe it or not, that was our Ales for ALS beer one year. Oh, nice. <laughs> which we sprinkled with uh, a few other hops. Yeah. Um, because we we were naming, we were doing a beer for uh, a friend of ours who died from ALS a few year, a year ago now. And uh, we were going to do an IPA and name it after him. And his wife said, you know, he didn't like IPAs. And I was like, well, what did he like? And she told me he really was a fan of Dark Persuasion. Oh, okay. When we, and she said, can you do that but do it red because he loved red, red, red velvet cake? And we're of course we can do that, right? So, Obviously. Yeah. yeah. Easy. Yeah. So as far as we know, we had the only Ales for ALS red velvet cake beer. There you go. We got that going for us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Johnny Young. No, there is a white fruit and or a red fruit. He's talking about the dragon fruits. And actually, I've seen this, too, uh, that the flesh on the inside was red. Oh. And I have oh, seen the dragon fruit? Before. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, you should send us some so we could taste test. Not the beer, but also the beer, but also the fruit. Are you, um, getting a lot of, are you getting a lot of red from the dragon fruit? Like a lot of red color? You might. Yeah, I mean, he yeah. did. And he did. He did. He did. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, Toast well, Crunch Beer, beer would be nice good. Red, yeah. Cinnamon so. Toast Crunch Beer would be good, and it is good. Uh, especially when your yeah. minions make it and they actually succeed. Uh, it was a delicious beer. We did that. Uh, Shannon Tejeron, Te- uh, uh, would peanut butter cups come through in a stout better than PB powder? And maybe, no, but no, you use. don't want to use them because oil. of the fat and oil. Oil, yeah. Oil is um, the enemy of yeast. That they PB powder is, is pretty good. Uh, I, we, we do a peanut butter and jelly beer, and we used a, a good amount of the, the PB, I think it was PB2. Yeah. yeah. Protein. Uh, it, it is kind of expensive. We used a lot of it and then uh, used a, a natural uh, fruit puree for jelly. Fruit jelly, yeah. Peanut butter and jelly beer. Um Although I, I've also heard folks say that the peanut butter extract is a little bit more effective in getting a peanut butter flavor, but there's a couple of them uh, that we've used that, uh, especially in Reese's Puff, there's a few of them that I absolutely love. Olive Nation has a Texas peanut butter flavor. It's an emulsion that's in there, and for me, it tastes like peanut butter ice cream. Yeah, and it is incredible. It's already emulsified in there, so it blends really well into your beer. Uh, it's super, super easily controllable, and it gives you that sweeter peanut butter instead of the kind of roasty nut flavor. Right. Uh, Nature's Flavors also has a really nice peanut butter extract that's uh, emulsified into a liquid. It's easy to blend in, and it gives you a beautiful flavor, a little more nutty than the Texas peanut butter on it. And then in all honesty, the great fallback for that, if you really need to boost it up, is coffee syrups. Yeah. Torriani yeah. and Monin. Uh, we prefer to use Monin. Monin. They taste yep. a lot better than any of the other ones. 1883 is awesome, too, if you haven't used those ones. The French double folds, those them. are incredible. They don't sell those at URM. They sell them. They, 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 they do they? Yeah. I know we get the uh, Out here, anyway. Out here, <laughs> yeah. anyway. I don't know if they do downtown. They're a double fold French syrup, very much like the Monin, right. like that. Sure. Just a little bit. They're amazing. They have a, like, uh, 
toffee peanut one that's incredible right. for that so uh shop around for it peanut butter itself is really hard to use because of the fats and oils in it that will destroy your beer so don't use like the real peanut butter cups that's you're not going to be happy with that and the pb2 using the pb2 <coughs> in a natural uh puree um and then combining that with uh some toasted malts or mm-hmm. just just using the sandwich yeah darker darker munich it really does taste like like your elementary school lunch i mean smokers yeah, yeah. uncrustables right yeah yeah putting some extra uh weedy proteins into your beer can really help come across we had a peanut butter and jelly sour and the way that we made that taste like a peanut butter and jelly sour was putting cranberry juice into our sour and the wheat meatiness and that sour was enough to give you that peanut butter flavor protein coming through. Yeah, that one came through as like bready and almost yeah. peanut buttery because of the high uh, high protein. And we did it as a raw ale too. Yeah. 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 Some high, the, high adjunct load in a raw ale kind of came across a little bit. Some of Alex's mashing <clears throat> techniques. And we did it with four egg guys. So yeah. some of yeah. Alex's mashing techniques really helped out. Yeah. Turbid mash. We should, do, we should go to some <laughs> elementary school and just take... Like after their lunch, just take, take all, all the all leftovers from their peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and dump it in there. Eh? Yeah, that could be that could be interesting. Yeah. Oh, Warren wants to know what kind of base beer was your peanut butter and jelly beer? It was like an amber. Oh, okay. Uh, an amber. Ale. John P. Do you happen to live next to Ale Smith Brewing? Because when you say Vietnamese coffee stout, the first thing that uh, jumps into mind is Speedway stout, and if it is Vietnamese speedway then you need to immediately send us a case yeah i don't know vietnamese coffee case what the vietnamese coffee stout yeah have you have you uh, had the ailsmith have you had speedway no oh homework homework for you ailsmith is i mean probably speedway is in my top for in my top for stouts because it's not super sweet like if you get like uh you know some of the fremont stouts or whatever like a big yeah, Woo Girl beers. Right. They're good beers, but they're very sweet. Yeah. Um, but Speedway is one of those. It's like a good balance of roast and sweetness. Like yeah. It's, it, everything kind of comes up to the, to the level. It's uh, uh, they do a series with their Speedway. So the traditional Speedway style is just a coffee imperial style. It's around twelve percent, and it is stupidly incredible. Right. I would put it against barrel aged stouts <clears throat> in that range, and it will beat it almost every time. Sure. Speedway's awesome. Right. Then they do a series with it. Well, they'll change it around. So they change sure coffee's around a lot in it. the vietnamese is one of my favorite they do some single bridles but then they'll do like the mexican speedway is with mexican coffee mexican vanilla aged in tequila barrels oh. uh the hawaiian speedway i believe has uh coconut uh in it um isn't a mexican so. coffee generally have cinnamon in it it might have some cin- well i think so yeah, yeah. well the, the mexican, cinnamon, uh, it, mexican chocolate hot me- chocolate Mexican chocolate, Mexican hot chocolate, the way that I know it is, generally has uh, cinnamon, maybe some nutmeg in there, depending on recipes. I love the nutmeg and uh, cayenne. Uh, John P. says it's not Speedway. Ah, dang it. Well, you should uh, send us some anyway. That way we can compare it to Speedway. It is, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Hey, there is a damn reason for that, and I, if people want to compare it to Speedway, they should send us Speedway, Vietnamese Speedway, and their Vietnamese coffee, and I will, I will definitely judge that. We From will, at afar, one point in time, we will get through all the beer that's sent to us. Yeah, we need to have a very, very long live stream someday. Is that right? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. You should check out that. We need to do beer. a Tabor video too. Sometime. Yeah, we got a we got a beer box from Tabor. By the way, uh, Tabor sent us a beer box, and we're gonna do a video on that. Tabor. 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 Speaking of beer, does anyone want some more beer? Yeah. 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 That's. I mean, we still got. Yeah. Oh, we've got a beer. Guy. Yeah, we've got a beer guy. We got a beer guy. All right. A bearded beer guy. I tried to bring beer with adjuncts in it. Uh, the, the, that one there does not. That is a. That is a, a, a Weisenbach. Doppel Dunkel Weisenbach. Which is, as far as we know, is not a real style. A double, so it's basically saying a double Weisenbach. So it's already, a, a Bach a, already being relatively strong. What's the ABV on that guy? Eight. Yeah, okay. it's a little over eight. Yeah. I mean, I, did, well, I would classify it. I, did you do some decoction? No. Uh, they call Long it uncoction, boys. actually. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's uncoction these days. Uncoction? Uncoction. Oh, okay. That's a new way to pronounce it. All right. Oh, that's actually really interesting what Stefan just said. What's that? Uh, FYI, I cannot confirm nor deny Berliner Weissen thing. People in Germany don't brew it anymore. Not because of Reifischkabal, but rather no one drinks the ancient styles anymore. Huh. As well, but I mean, when you can't, I'm not saying at all, I mean, I'm not arguing that point, but it's a lot harder to brew something when it's illegal to brew it as well. So that whole fallout of style, and I mean, I get it, when you have a really nice, well-brewed German lager sometimes sitting next to a Berliner Weiss, like, I'm going to grab that Helles, because it's just going to be great. Well, I think but, one of the, the advantages of, you know, brewing one or two barrel batches is that you can brew things that only need to stick around for a month or yeah, things that uh, are not going to be the most popular beer coming in. That's kind of a, a little bit of a trap, especially for some of the old family brewers and uh, ancient or not ancient, but, you know, right. older, older world like Germany or Belgium that you now have a couple hundred barrel fermenters that you have to fill beer up with and if you got to have 100 barrels of Berliner or Pilsner Pilsner's gonna win Stefan is American style beers are they happening more over in Germany I think I saw something uh, some episode of something with like Stone Guy or whatever um, that went over and did a trip to Germany and they're making like American style beers yeah. like using Mosaic and Simcoe and all those big hops now is that getting more popular over in Germany answer that question I know it's not gonna be automatic because you know internet and stuff like that but we'd love to know Stefan Stoudemire is from Germany. Ah, very nice. Yeah. Or message me on Discord since me and him talk on Discord now. Yeah, one of those things. One of those things. I'm uh, curious how prevalent American-style beers are over there. Well, it's, a, it's something that actually uh, I would say we're seeing a little bit in the American market. Some style is falling just out of style and becoming rare. Pale Ale is one of those. It's, it's a shame. It's, a, it's just my favorite style of beer. It, it's yeah. just the way to... I mean, it's... To me, it's the the exciting part of the pale ale is the uh, matching of the malt and the hops because you can really taste both, uh, you know, and the, the complements uh, between them. Pale ales, you know, it's a boat beer. It's a, it's a beer that you're supposed to have out on a boat. I mean, or any time in the well, any time of the year, honestly. But it's a beer yeah. that you, you know, when you're drinking yeah. all day, you probably don't want to drink IPAs all day. Right. You want a pale ale? Yep. Sierra Nevada pale is still just massively, massively tasty. 
It really is. And it's one of those things that I see that people are putting out, if they're putting out pales, yeah. they're putting out extra pale ales, which right. are just shy of an IPA, which is all right. right. Or weenie pale ales, That's you pretty much just made a blonde ale or, right. you know, a cream ale or something like that, which you should have just done and kind of missing that middle ground. And that's a consumer thing. I think that's really consumer driven because it's either not hoppy enough or it's not light enough. Like, that's the point. It's right. not hoppy and it's not light. This is a good beer that I can just drink a lot of. Um, that, pale ales yeah. also they they they, uh, they they save you from palate fatigue. If you want to taste good hops, pale ales I think save yeah. you from that palate fatigue you can get from you right. know an IPA. I was yeah. say last night that was the last beer I had in Yakima before I headed home. Pale ale, and it was a multi pale and not a yeah, which I was so happy <clears throat> that fact that it was a like the Northwest Yakima. style. I was yeah. Yakima, so I was expecting a super, super hop, hop dry hop bomb. Yeah. And no, it was really nice. Uh, fifth line brewing in Yakima, which I've never heard of until I was randomly wandered into Single Hills for your anniversary party. Right. Ja yeah. Feel, fastest beer mile, 536. Yeah, it's, um, I mean. That's your fastest beer mile? Beer mile, yeah. And, 536. And what, is that, what does that consist of? Uh, four beers. They have to be over five percent. Uh, twelve ounce. Uh, four beers. Four laps. So you one drink the over. beers bef- prior. No, one per lap. One, one per lap. Per, oh, on a quarter mile track. Okay. Yeah. And there's an ex- there's like a, a chug zone, so you can't be outside of the chug zone while drinking. Reverend nice. KY, thank you so much for the super chat. Nice. You like this episode? We like you episode. Yeah. Also, Reverend KY, are we? Am I seeing you in June? <clears throat> probably probably oh Stefan I uh, also thank you for answering the question earlier about the Berliner Weiss we appreciate that and he says he can't find a Stein beer in bottle shops to save his life which is a uh, yeah it's unfortunate yeah we'll, we'll make one with you there you, there you go mm-hmm. alright we All right. people starting to come in so let's finish up the, the rappy uppies um, also winter warmer ginger I'm, like, I'm getting like gingerbread kind of yep. Uh, yep ginger cinnamon clove um, allspice Pretty much all the winter oh, went uh, the spices. Nice. Um, yeah, ten percent. Uh, yes, you can come in. Look at it. Simple, lots and lots of malt. Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, well, well thank you for uh, um, watching. Thank you, thank you for bringing beers. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Everybody. Shout out all your social medias, and then we'll shout out ours as we're closing out. Follow his social medias. You got Instagram. We do. Uh, Mountain Lakes Brew Co. Um, and follow us on Facebook. Yeah, Facebook Brewing Company. You do, um, do we need TikTok, Twitter? Uh, you know, I do TikTok, but in another world. Yeah, yeah. no, I'm just yeah, kidding. Right. Uh, no, that's it. <laughs> do the uh, uh, late at night TikTok. Yeah, that's right. That's right. right. Scroll up, across right. your FYP at you know after midnight. Subscribe to his premium Snapchat. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that's right. Don't you guys have an? Uh, you can sign up for a newsletter from you guys, right? We do. Yes, uh, you can sign up for newsletter. I think on our website, Mountain Lakes Brew Co. Um, also, uh, you can email us at mountainlakesbrewco at uh, gmail.com. So, there we go. All right, guys. Uh, when you're in Spokane, go visit Mountain Lakes. They do some awesome things. Look for them at festivals. They will pretty much always have the most interesting festival beers, guaranteed. That's why you wait in the line for them. Uh, and, uh, yeah, drink the beer. Send us the beer. And thank you for uh, smashing the like button and liking us. It reaffirms our our self worth. Or at least considering us moderately passable. 
Yeah. Warren, uh, come and say hi to me on Friday nights when you're at Sound Lakes. Thanks. Yeah, definitely. Good. Good. All right, guys. Toodles. Myself over on Matt's phone. Uh. Welcome to the Genus Brewing live stream. For those of you who are new to this, we're going to go over some Genus Brewing or general beer news for a little bit while we wait for people to log on. Then we're going to jump into a style of the week and then talk about a topic, which today's isn't really a secret, but we're going to go over some brewing secret, home, some pr professional brewing ha hacks, hot tips for for five dollar footlongs. Uh. Hacks may not be the best word for that anymore. Apparently, young people, uh, hacks means masturbation, so. Oh. FYI. Well, if you're going for a hazy, I guess. Could make it a little creamy. <laughs> um, Genius Brand News, what all, uh, what all we got new going on this uh, week? Uh, well, you wouldn't know it, because our media guy failed when I told him to uh, do his job. But we had Reese's Puff happened this week that got uh, released on national Reese's day uh barely managed to get the barrel aged on there too over some other breweries beers but we got them both on there and they're on tap now so both versions of Reese's puff are here and ready to drink Reese's that's puff. pretty awesome yeah national so national Reese's day by the way was the 17th right 18th 18th um and uh, yeah, we got Reese's Puff cereal porter and uh, and barrel aged version from two. Was that last two year? Two years ago. No, it's two years ago. Yeah. Last year's was a uh, year old out of the barrel. So well, technically it's a year and a half ago because we switched it from October to May. But you know, it was two versions ago. Two versions ago. Um, well, we also uh, got a new fence up. I don't know if you guys uh, have been to Spokane, but if you have and you're around town, you might see a new patio fence going up around, which makes our patio look a little bit more attractive and official. It's really pretty. It is really pretty. Uh, if you were watching the uh, live stream I did with CH um, on the hoppy hour, I probably I panned over and showed that. Um, yeah, anything else that's maybe a, going That's up, up over there, and uh, yeah. Uh, next week we're going to be live streaming from a different location. Next week we're going to figure out how to do a big batch live stream with a fun little twist. So uh, stay tuned. That'll be fun. Um, Definitely. Matt, you got anything in, in your world in the uh, um, in the I'm about to be a brewery world? Oh, uh, so those of you who don't know about the live stream, I am going to start working with a new brewery here in Spokane Valley. Um, Not instead of us, just like, you know, wait. for the for the real brewing-y parts. I'm going to be making beer. Yeah. Uh, other news was Spokane had its first uh, Lilac Beer Festival yesterday. Yeah. Did you, did you make it down to that? Yeah. Nice. How was it? It was great. I was going to say, people hated from the rain, so I could tell who were really from Spokane and who weren't. Yeah. That was fun. I saw. I only saw pictures. I was at a track meet all yesterday. So yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, it was a lot of 
it was a lot of fun. It was a lots of good beer and stuff, and I'm excited to see where it goes because I think that they have the opportunity to expand and grow it into a cool way. And obviously, I'm still going to go with you guys to June the beer fest over in Redmond. So any PayPal money that people want to send our way to help cover costs of stuff. For every PayPal money, we will throw one beer at you. That's pretty good. That's pretty yeah, good. That's pretty solid deal. Yeah, you can be running or not. Yeah, target practice is fun. I think that covers it for uh, yeah, spring news. There's not a ton of other major beer news in. Which means let's jump into our beer, beer of, of the week. Bum bum bum! Beer of the week. Yeah. Talk about English barley wines today. English barley wines are not an easy style to. I mean, they're a simple recipe, but they're not an easy style to make good. Not at all. And uh, specifically English barley wine on that, because that's the big barley wines. Generally, when you're finding barrel-aged barley wine, stuff like that, that's pretty close to what you're drinking. American barley wine is just not quite as popular and kind of dying off as a style. There's a few still good ones out there, but English, especially because of the barrels, is taking the cake on it. Yeah, and it's got a lot of dynamic complexity underneath it, depending on if you brew it correctly or not. Um, And if you brew it correctly, I think it takes on that barrel character even more. And it ends up being a pretty shelf-stable beer, too. So these are the ones that, like, if you get a proper one, it can be five, six, seven years old and still be getting better. Or it could not be. It could, you know, there's some styles that probably will peak out at that two, three years. But if they're brewed right and they're boozy enough, they'll get better. They should. It's an overall impression of uh, multi-richness and complex, intense flavors. Chewing rich body with warming alcohol and pleasant, fruity, or hoppy interest. When aged, can take on port-like flavors of wintertime sipper. Uh, and I don't agree with the wintertime sipper. It's just a nice sipper anytime. Yeah, it's a, a summer sipper. It's yeah. a just what? got down your zipper sipper. Well, you got to be seasonist like that, <laughs> BJCP. That's right. Just sit by a warm fire right next to the hot, smoldering lake. Call it a day. I definitely drink that in the 100-degree weather. 100%. Uh, appearance color may range from rich gold to very dark amber or even dark brown. Uh, often has ruby highlights, which comes from process. Don't get me wrong. It's not a thing. Um, but should not be opaque. Uh, this thing has been aged long enough. It should be pretty pretty clear. You pretty should, damn uh, clear. have all the stuffs settled out. Low to moderate to off-white head. Uh, may have low head retention. Uh, may be cloudy with chill haze at cooler temperatures. Uh, again, that has to do with aging process, not necessarily how it's made like other beers might. Um, generally clears to good uh, brilliant clarity as it warms. Um, the color may appear to have great depth as if viewed through a thick glass lens. Uh, high alcohol and viscosity may be visible in legs when the beer is swirled in a, gla- in a glass. So this thing is, it, it can be a thick boy, but it doesn't always have to be super thick. Uh, along with that, even if you're getting that chill haze on it, uh, if you drink it at proper temperatures, you should never be drinking it with chill haze because the chill haze will disappear when the beard reaches the right cellar temperature to drink. Not a beer you should drink cold. It's a drink you should drink at uh, cellar temperatures for the best experience. Yeah, 48, 55, you know, anywhere in that range is going to be really, really proper for this. And you want to serve it into a glass that funnels the aromatics too. So as it's warming up, it's just blending the alcohol and all the complexity into the into the nose of the glass and then you can really experience it 
Um, aroma on this is very rich and strongly malty, often with a caramel-like aroma. Uh, in darker versions, or a light toffee character in paler versions, may have moderate to strong fruitiness, often with dark or dried fruit character, particularly in the darker versions. Now, the hop aroma may range from mild to assertive, and is typically floral, earthy, or marmalade-like. Uh, a lot of times, hop aroma could should be dissipated by the time you actually get this beer because it's that aged. But if it's there, that's what it's like. Alcohol aromatics may be low to moderate, but are soft and rounded. Um, kind of disagree with that one a little bit. I think the alcohol can be, uh, it can come across a little bit sharp, a little bit peppery sometimes. Um, it's going to depend on when it is in the aging process. Uh, but also when these things get up, get big and boozy, they're going to carry some, uh, some sherry, some hard alcohol notes. But they, that doesn't mean unpleasant. It's not fusel alcohols. That's just a nice... It's pleasant. like when you can smell the alcohol in port and you're like, mmm, that smells really nice and sweet and this is going to be delicious liquid chocolate. Absolutely. That's how you should be able to smell it in a barley wine. Mm -hmm. Just there contributing well in balance without being overpowering uh, and especially out of balance. If it's out of balance, it's either fermented wrong when you got fusel alcohols or it just hasn't sat long enough and it hasn't aged long enough. Yeah, mill it back into it. Um, the aroma may have rich character, including bready, toasty, toffee, and molasses notes. Aged versions may have a sherry-like quality, uh, possibly vinous, venous, vinous, or port-like aromatics, and generally more muted malt aromas. Um, let's talk about where a lot of those darker, because a lot of darker notes were kind of talked about in this. Um, and I'm personally of the opinion that very little or zero specialty malt should be used in any barley wine at all. Um, so for me, uh, a big English barley wine is just going to start with a nice English base malt. Halcyon works fine. Uh, the Chevalier would work good. That would work a good one. Uh, anything, honestly, in an English character of a base malt on there uh, will work awesome, but you do need the actual English base malts uh, to get that big, round character from the malt to start out with to further caramelize into something delicious. Uh, along with that, I mean, it's taking imperial runnings off of it, doing a really big extended boil to get all of those good, dark, figgy date flavors coming out of it. And some of that comes from the aging, but you're getting the Maillard for your color, the Maillard for your richness, uh, and the Maillard for your carameliness coming out of there. That should still pretty much be a single malt. Uh, and as far as I understood them, the finest of October ales, which is in the English barley wine style, for my mind, technically a little bit different because I'm expecting a little bit of that, uh, as the English would put it, stale character, a touch of Brett in my October ale rather than not having that in the English barley wine. But as far as I understand, you take your uh, best crops of the season and in October malt up your single malt and just make the best beer you can to lay down and drink next year. Yeah, I think so. we did a, a while ago, we did a torture testing the Anvil Foundry when the first iteration of that came out. And that was a more Englishy style barley wine. And I think we ended up doing like a four or five hour boil on it. Maybe even had to start with two different boils and then get it down to one boil. Well, uh, but that's the process, just a lot of work. There's a video on that that you can go watch. Yeah. Phub.com. Flavor. Strong, intense, complex, multi-layered malt flavors mean uh, malt flavors ranging from bready, toffee, and biscuity and paler versions to deep, deep nut 
Um, deep toast, uh, dark caramel, and or molasses in darker versions. Moderate to high malty sweetness on the palate, although the finish may be moderately sweet to moderately dry depending on aging. Some oxidative or venous flavors may be present, and often complex alcohol flavors should be evident. That's what we talk about when we talk about it turning into like sherry, like that sherry-like um, oxidized alcohol kind of flavor. Uh, it's not a bad thing as long as it doesn't turn into like wet cardboard or like something really gross. Yeah. And in high alcohol things like this, usually as long as they're long boil time, they really shouldn't turn into something gross. I mean, art is important. Yeah. Moderate to fairly high fruitiness, often with darker dried fruit character. Hot bitterness may range from just enough for balance to a firm presence. Balance therefore ranges from malty to somewhat bitter. Paler versions often more bitter, better attenuated, and show more hop character than darker versions. However, all versions are malty in the balance. Low to moderately high hop flavor, uh, often floral, earthy, or marmalade-like English varieties. So what they're talking about with the attenuation and how that can kind of push forward um, hop character is if the beer in this one, the low end can go down to 1.018 dryness, which is still relatively sweet. Um, but even at 1.018, uh, when you're getting up into uh, you know, a 10, 11% beer that's going to taste a little bit sharper, a little bit brighter. And so hop character that's still left in there um, can be pushed forward. Definitely. Alcohol is less viscous than water. So, you know, it, it's not as full or sweet. Well, it's sweeter than water, but that's a, that's a different subject. Sweeter like Sunday morning. That's not the song. That's a different song. That's a, that's a, I mean, it, it could be a song. We can make it into a song. It could be a song. All right, someone drop the beat for that and we'll freestyle it. Uh, comments. The richest and strongest of uh, modern English ales. The character of these ales can change significantly over time. Both young and old versions should be appreciated for what they are. That's pretty important on that. Uh, the malt profile can vary widely. Not all examples will have all possible flavors or aromas. Paler varieties won't have the caramel and richer malt flavors, nor will they typically have the darker dried fruits. Don't expect flavors and aromatics that are impossible from a beer of that color. Uh, yeah, they range a lot, so don't be a d-bag and gatekeep about barley wines just because it's the wrong color. Basically, is what's that saying? Yeah, there's uh, a lot of different brands of barley wine, and they don't be barley wine acist. Exactly. Uh, and the young and both, uh, the statement about that, the young and uh, old versions should be appreciated for what they are because they are vastly two different beers. Generally, when you're drinking a young barley wine, be it American or English, uh, it is far more aggressive, far more bitter, far more hoppy in there, not quite as smooth and congruent and can sometimes almost present as a big IPA even. Uh, you're getting the aged versions where the hops have definitely mellowed out of it, uh, and you're getting all the flavors to come back together, and you're getting a much more uh, smooth, congruent beer. It drinks a lot more like a sweet barley wine than you'd expect, and you shouldn't put an aged, sweet, smooth barley wine expectation on a young barley wine. Should you drink a young barley wine and be like, yeah, this is nice and big and hoppy and delicious and it will be much better after a few years yeah uh so that young barley wine i usually say they peak around two three months uh not peak but that's where they present as a good barley wine you're still not pumping them out ipa fast so it's not like a three to five week turnaround it's a little bit longer than that but it still has some of that hop character that was described earlier and then it's just going to get better with age exactly uh humber for life thank you so much for the super jet peter's knoxville ticket fund 
Let's make it happen, Captain. Uh, also, we missed uh, Jung Yuk Hyo earlier. Thank you so much for the super chat. I also feel like he always super chats at the very beginning just to make me say his name wrong. Probably. Probably. I think that makes just the most likes, sense. Just likes to hear it. <laughs> uh, history. You want to do history? Well, there's a really good comment here. Gary Ballard says, I do three beers from a marash. Barley wine, bitter, and small beer. Nice. And, uh, yeah, that's a really nice uh, party guile session there. Very traditional as far as English beers go. Uh, as far as I know, though, in England, there's probably some small breweries, craft breweries that still do it. But uh, of the uh, bigger guys, the only person who does that now is uh, Fuller's. Yeah. They do it for London Pride. They do a multi-guile for that. And that's a pretty... We've done it before. It's a cool way to make beer, and you can get some really cool complexity, especially doing the multi-guile blending back in. Um, that's where we get Imperial from. If you've never really uh, known where Imperial beers come from, it's party-guiling. Your first runnings are your Imperial runnings. Make a beer out of it, send it to the Imperial Court, and drink it. There you go. To the, uh, uh, to the, if you want to get really, really high alcohol, to get three different beers off of it, I feel like you'd have to do a really thick mash and just run off that first part of the thick mash. Yeah. And then get like a the 14 percent and then, yeah, but like a super thick one. Yeah. Um, and then you'd have to get a big run for the medium one and still get a lot of boil time on the, on both of them. And then the light one can just be a, a regular boil time. That'd be a fun style of, that'd be, a, that'd be an interesting like theme for a brewery is every single type of beer they do, they do as a multi-guile, and it's always either two or three beers, so people can kind of see malt profile-wise where they're getting the big and the small. Oh, small beers. Plus, save some, save some time. Save some time, save some money. Yeah. That'd be, I mean, definitely be a lot more work-intensive, but uh, that, that could be an interesting thing to do for sure. Uh, long to go with that, Steven Studemeyer, uh, freezing a barley wine help with the taste fro profile. Um, Eising a beer, Eisbach is uh, the most traditional one to do that. Uh, help is a very strong word for that. It could make it, it will make it taste more intense. When you ice a beer, all you're doing is taking out the water. You're freezing water out of it. So you're concentrating all the flavor and you're concentrating all the flavor. If it's not good flavors or it happens to be a not good flavor that's just under flavor threshold, you concentrate it. Now it goes over flavor threshold and you just made the beer a lot worse. Could, could be fun. Yeah, could make it a lot better as well. Uh, I mean, it's a whole style of doing things with beer. There's a whole style of beer around it. Uh, so obviously it's not always bad and you can set it up to be actually very tasty. But uh, just to do it to a random beer, you might send things out of proportion and that could be in a good way or a bad way. So that maybe... Was uh, I've, with stouts, I've found that's kind of the one that ends up being a little bit of a of a risk sometimes because if it's if it's sweet enough, then it can turn everything into a nice balance and make it a little bit boozier, and the extra booziness kind of like heatens it up, gives you that warming sensation, ends up being a nice stout. We accidentally did that with like iteration number one or two of Count Chocula um, when our thermostat thing on our refrigerator turned into a freezer. Um, and then uh, on the other hand, if uh, it's not sweet enough, the roast malts on a stout can end up getting extra extra bitter. Uh, if you if you eyes it, so that's kind of an example on both sides. Whoa, what's going on? In the, what's what's we're, happening here? We're getting some uh, people, are, people chats. Are, I was gonna say, a homebrew for life is a, has started a donation train for us. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. USMC Ni MC Mike One, go visit Knoxville. Cheers, appreciate that. Homebrew for life. Your double IPA Quake Failvid was my all-time favorite. 
I appreciate Homebrew for Life for posting a video where it didn't work out. Not a lot of people have the balls to do that. Or they'll just make up something and be like, yeah, it worked out, guys. So, honesty, that's great. I was going to say, and people learn from mistakes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, thank you uh, very much, uh, Stefan Studemeyer, for your super chat. But I'm also going to jump back to Jason Granite. He's got a good question about butyric acid. Um, you got butyric acid in his beer, thoroughly washed everything with PBW, hot water, and star sand bath. Should you be concerned about potential reinfection? Uh, normally what produces butyric acid can be killed really easy. And a lot of the time it's literally just a lab bacteria. A lot of the time, uh, lactobacillus. Lactobacillus in the presence of oxygen. Uh, sometimes that creates an acetone flavor, a printering flavor, but it can also create barf. Uh, if it's the wrong kind of uh, lab in there and it's not at the right temperature, uh, most uh, lactos love to ferment above 90 to 100 degrees. If you drop them down too low, they produce barf. The good thing about that is they're super easy to kill. And weak. if you put hops in there, you'll most likely kill it. There's a couple of other bacteria that create butyric acid that are a little bit harder to kill. Most of them die in the presence of at least about 14 IBU. Uh, and I think uh, heat's above about 120. Most thermal death is about uh, 115, 116 for labs, uh, lactic acid bacterias. Um, yeah, uh, butyric so. producers are very weak, and so it's not as big of a deal. Uh, Tim, take off your shirt. I'm guessing he's talking to a Tim that's like next to him. It's probably, probably. like the Tim that he's hanging probably. out. Probably. He has voice to text on. Tim, Peter, what's up with your hinge handle? What's hinge? Is that a, like a dating app or something like that? Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. It, it, it is. Uh, yeah. It's broken. I don't know. Ask my wife. All right. History. <laughs> Uh, strong ales, various formulations that have long been brewed in England and were known by several names. Uh, I actually really love uh, names for English strong ale sometimes, like Skull Splitter and stuff like that. It's super fun. Uh, modern day barley wine traces back to Bass Number no. One, which was first called a barley wine in 1872. Barley wines were darker beers until Tennant, now Whitbread. Uh, first produced gold label, a golden colored barley wine in 1951, usually the strongest ale offered by a brewery. And in recent years, uh, many commercial examples are now vintage dated and offered as a limited release winter seasonal specialty. The original barley wine spiled and inspired uh, derivative variations in Belgium, the United States, and elsewhere in the world. Um, that was, yeah, your big beer. And a lot of time, like we talked about in the party guile, English uh, pub beers, well not pub beers I shouldn't say that, but English beers were always denoted into the big old uh, the old beer, the imperial beer or sometimes even referred to as the stale beer because of Britannomyces uh, you had your mid strength beers and uh, then you had your milds and you know, they were sent out to different places and uh, drank at different times so. Old ales are probably some of my favorite styles and uh Let's see, J, uh, JW Lee's JW Harvest. Lee's that's an old ale, right? Harvest ale. That's an October ale. That's uh, an old ale and October ale for me <clears throat> is a little bit different. They're the same damn thing, but they're a little bit different to me. And uh, JW Lee's, in my Boop. opinion, is one of the most 
amazing October ales that you can consistently get. Um, obviously, there's going to be better ones from other people that aren't widely available, but JWE's, anytime I see it, I'm going to drink yeah, one. It's amazing. Uh, I discovered that one when we had the old bottle shop, mm-hmm. and that was, uh, like, I had no idea what to expect. I just, like, you know, saw it there. I was like, that looks interesting. I never ordered that before and just randomly ordered a case because it was, like, more expensive than other stuff, but not outlandishly expensive. That was, you know, you can, any time of the day, of the day anytime, whatever, JW Lee's, I'll drink one. It's going to taste amazing. It's, it's going to yeah. taste amazing. And that is a beer that's a perfect example of aging perfectly through the ages. Even when in, uh, JW gets a little bit too old, it still doesn't go into, po- or uh, not popcorn, sorry, into cardboard mm-hmm. uh, or anything like that. It loses some of its flavor. You're like, man, I should have drank this a couple of years ago, but... Oh man, but it still is like just like pleasant and subtly fruity in all the right ways, all the good ways. Oh, that's that good. is, and it's a great beer to do vintage uh, tastings of. Um, it's fairly consistent through its brewing. It's fairly cheap to get a hold of comparatively, and uh, you can get a hold of it everywhere. So you can just buy a butt ton of it, buy a case, and then only drink one a year, and then just keep buying new cases. And by the time you get twelve years into it, you'll have like. 12-year vintage on it, you know. Yeah. Uh, 10 Something points to anybody like who finds two vintages of JWLs and sends it to us. Two vintage, like, let's go, uh, all right, 10 points for two vintages. Right. 15 points for four vintages, but you get 50 points for six vintages. Yeah, that's, a, that's an increase. There's some motivation right there, guys. <laughs> yeah. Uh, James uh, Crabtree, thanks so much for the super chat. Uh, also, Jess Brewing in the house. What's up, Jess Brewing? And... Chris Vodica? I only There's know him from the from the H4L watching H4L H4L St- style kit wound. Well, before we get into that, what are we drinking? Uh, uh, this is Tanner Cole's Mexican Lager that I picked up a couple weeks ago. Tanner, oh yeah, yeah, and Tanner was on last week's live stream too. You met him at the Brewfest, right? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Tanner, uh, if you're watching, we're drinking your beer, and you, this is the Morla Dos Equis Amber style, right? Yes. Or the uh, Vienna. Yeah. And I saw him at the start of the live stream. Nice. Well, if you're still there, thanks for the beer. And he just he just gave us a woo. Whoop! Nope, there he is. What up? Hmm. Um. Uh. Style. Style. No. High characteristic ingredients. High quality. Well modified. A pale malt should be the backbone of the grist. You need a good malt backbone for this. Yeah. And everybody talk. Uh, you need malt backbone on a lot of beers that you um, you you drink. You need to describe it as that, and then you take what is the new one? Uh, What's the, where does Cameron work? Beverly's, what? Where uh, does Cameron work now? Yeah. Oh, uh, Cameron is starting a new brewery in Vancouver called Vice. 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 Yeah. Vice. Okay. Well, if you find Cameron Johnson's brewery, Vice, just comment malt backbone on all, all of, of his, his beers. beers. Every single one of his beers, and then tag him, Cameron Johnson, hashtag malt backbone in any related brewing and or rowing yeah. video. If it it's up, got like, a great like stroke on the row, malt backbone. Yeah, absolutely. And that's just how you live your life. <laughs> all right. Cam- Cameron is a really uh, nice guy. We enjoy him. We enjoy his beers. Uh, but... He had a fun rant about not calling beers or not saying the beers have a big malt backbone because that's just a key word and all beers have to have a malt backbone to stand up because it's malt. Yeah. And he's not necessarily wrong, but it's still funny. Yeah, it, it's, it, it is a very universal 
thing to say mm. about beer. So. I want a citrusy IPA that's really hoppy. Awesome, dude. You just described pretty much every single IPA out there. Yeah. So, oh, I don't like beers because of the hops in them. Do you yeah. have anything like a pale ale? That's not hoppy. You're almost kind of right. Yeah, it's one of those things we get a lot as people who both brew and serve beer. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, hey, if you got to sell beer, you got to sell beer. There's a lot of keywords that happens in all the alcohol industries. I mean, there's good barrel notes in a whiskey. Well, no shit. That's the whole point of a whiskey is to taste barrel. Yeah, there's good barrel notes. And there's your soapbox for the day. Check them off on the bingo. (laughs) Yeah, and Uh, we're actually going to have in a couple, in two weeks, a couple, one former sales rep and one current sales rep to come talk about how to sell beer. Nice. I'm I'm good at selling beer, too. It happens. It happens. But that's just because I I strip because I'm lap dances. You know. Boobies sell beer. (laughs) Uh, Anyway. Uh, well-modified malt should form the backbone of the grist with the judicious amounts of should form the backbones of the grist. Dark malt should be used with great restraint, and if at all, as most of the color arises uh, from a lengthy boil, and I like that, should be used with great restraint. There's sometimes that you can use some of the roasted malts to get a little bit of roast character into your beer. I don't necessarily mind that in English barley wine. I just don't think that the color should come from malts at all. Uh, the dark malts, you should get that color from the boil. Uh... English hops such as Northdown, Target, East Kent Goldings, Fugles are typical. Characterful British yeast. Uh, our preferred yeast is uh, the London strain. Uh, it comes from uh, actually Fuller's. I think it's the one they use for London Pride. It's the ESB strain, uh, pub strain and Imperial. It's absolutely fantastic, uh, but it will fall asleep before it's done fermenting. So you've got to finish it out with something else. And in all honesty, sleepy beaver. Yeah, if you get down to the end, finishing it out with any other type of yeast, even something like a high gravity Belgian yeast, you're not really going to taste the phenolics that come off of that or the extra flavors. So, just get a nice high grav aggressive yeast to finish it out, and uh, you should be good. Let the nice soft English yeast go in there and prep it all up for you. Then you come in in the end with a nice speedy aggressive high grav and finish her all the way out. Um, should we talk about this beer real quick? Yeah, uh, I did skip, I mean, I will say I did skip a part of characteristic ingredients in there that I don't agree with at all. And BJCP, you're ruining beers by putting that part in there and you know who you are. Yeah. And if you're reading the guidelines along with us, you know what that part is and just be a better it's brewer. so dumb. Uh, mm. I'm just going to say that it is so dumb to include into a style like this because all of that flavor should be coming from your boil as is traditional because, you know, they had just one type and it literally says right up there a little bit further that you're just using the best well-modified pale malt from the season. Yeah. And then you go and say stupid things. Uh, just boo, boo on you. I will add that that ingredient historically was in this style of beer but it was a different it wasn't the same ingredient as it is today it's it's what they call the completely different that ingredient than today's anyways it's not malted in the same and the only thing that's similar is they share the same name you know it's like 
It's literally like having a Sierra Nevada Pale Ale sitting it next to a Wookiee Jack because it has Pale Ale in the name, even though it's a black IPA, it has Pale Ale in the name. Both of them have Pale Ale in it. So obviously they're the same thing, right? Right, BJCP? We digress. Two but also, boxes. <laughs> but also, also do better. If you can also figure out that. what we just said from the, uh, from the uh, uh, podcast when you can't even see us, I'm pr- double points to you. Double points, and uh, also, if you can figure out what that is, mark it off on bingo. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's definitely a bingo square. Uh, all right, let's talk about this beer a little bit. Uh, so 40% pills, 40% red X, 20% flaked corn. Uh, I will right off the bat throw out that I admire the 40% red X for that amber hue, for that uh, Vienna-style uh, coloration. What did you ferment this with? I get a little sulfuriness. Is that what you're going, going with? Mm, not quite. There's a high production yeast note in there. Like um, that I get from a specific yeast that I'd like to know if it's this yeast. I don't think mm. so if you made a proper cerveza, but Omega Mexican Lager 1. Yeah, it's uh, what I'm getting off of is a little bit of the 05 fermented too warm. Tastes like warm Bud Light. To me, that almost comes across peppery, um, like uh, like jalapeno peppery. I'm not getting the jalapeno pepper, but... That's how it comes on my, on my tongue. Overall, I think the malt profile is good. I think it's a combination. So what I, I think that is is a combination of sulfurs from the yeast and uh, hops. I think the hops might have been slightly... Uh, well, I don't know what hops you use, but it might have been slightly cheesy, or maybe they're just a really peppery hop. And then they came across with the sulfur that are kind of kind of combining to make that note. It might be. I don't know. Um, I would have to use more of the Megan Mexican lager to see if it's something that sticks through, if it's for fermentation stuff. It's not there in the flavor like I get in 05. I hate Chico Strain specifically for that one warm Bud Light flavor you get when you ferment it over 65. It's not as universal as people think it is. You need better temp control to really get a super clean beer off of it. And in fact, I've seen a lot of people describe, a lot of yeast companies starting to describe O5 as actually having yeast-derived flavors at 68 or higher, which is nice because it does. Uh, that flavor is not sticking through. It is a little bit on the note, and I just don't... Ability hop soup. I don't know exactly what what that is. I don't know. I mean... You just nobility. Hmm. It could just be the high proportion of corn uh, in there that I'm getting off of that. Really yeah. nice and pleasant. I mean, overall, I think it's super this pleasant. Is a Mexican lager. Definitely. Um, nobility hops. I'm unfamiliar with nobility hops, by the way. I think they're well. They're definitely new to me. Um. Flavor profile, citrus, herbal, green tea. Yeah, I'm thinking. I think the the that flavor I'm getting is a combination of some sulfurs with the uh, some of the herbal notes from the nobility hops. I know the smell I'm also, getting. There's is a little banana too. That might be what I'm getting. Uh, so it was a little bit of that uh, hot fermented chico, but getting into the banana as it warms note, up the banana starts to come out and it's like that's it, almost the breadiness of 04 yeah. that you get when it's hot fermented that yeah. banana bread yeah exactly just a little bit i was almost gonna say almost, almost german but it's just it's, it's, it's not like it's not full like german it still tastes crisp and clean so 
Yeah. It's interesting. That is very It's a good beer. I don't think it quite hit the hit the Mexican lager mark, but it's a good beer. It's a really good I, you, honestly, I would if say. If you blindfolded me and told me this is a, you know, amber lager, just that's all you said, I'd probably be like, "Oh, yeah, it's really good." Exactly. Yeah, it's just in for Mexican, I think you're right. It needs to be a touch more crispy. Yeah. A touch more crispy. What'd you ferment to that? That's a good question. Fermentation schedule. Yeah. Um, um, what else we got with a style comparison? Well, we were on style <clears throat> comparison. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's it's kind of a good style comparison, but it basically just says uh, English barley wines are bigger and maltier than American barley wines, which tend to be hoppier uh, on it. Yeah. And there is some nice distinction that it has some uh, overlap with British Old Ale on the lower end. Uh, old Ales, by BJCP standards, are actually less alcoholic than barley wines. Uh, I don't know. I mean, historically, yeah. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that because the character, especially the stale or brett character of an uh, Old Ale, I think can carry into the higher alcohols as well and be distinctly different from the barley wine. But BJCP. Um, yeah, but on saying that it, the, uh, English barley wine generally does not have the avinous qualities of age or the stale Brett character, uh, but rather tends to a mature, elegant signs of age, which I think they're just trying to say ages without Brett. You don't get the funk. You don't get the super dry, uh, coming out of it. And Brett in old ale should be very, very restricted very restricted and just a touch of funk and uh, we found it actually if you want to mimic that in an old ale or a barley wine just a scotch of buckwheat honey will achieve that flavor beautifully and give you a little extra free alkies whoa uh but yeah so there we go that's nice there we, um, there we are. Just in general, this thing can go eight to twelve percent. Final gravity can be as it can be as thick as ten eighteen to ten thirty. So ten thirty is pretty thick. Um, but if you got the alkies to uh, to back it up, and if you uh, load the hops up enough, then thirty percent can uh, just taste like a really full, thick, rich, boozy something. So, Stephen Stoudemire, Knoxville, do it. Also, freestyle old ale recipe. Uh, that's going to be super simple. Old ale recipe is. Uh, uh, for a five-gallon batch, like let's call it 18 pounds of halcyon, 20 pounds of halcyon. Uh, I mean, I get if, if you want to go classic and easier to get Marisader. Yeah, Marisader. Uh, on that, that's probably a little bit traditional. Halcyon, Marisader, <laughs> Pearl, uh, Golden Promise, or Chevalier. Yeah, any of those, any of those high flavor, medium uh, protein uh, base malts that just they they, they come packed with a, a flavor, uh, and they're not going to be grainy like a Pilsen malt. They're not going to be super neutral like just a basic two row or pale. Um, they've got a little bit of character to them. Then you can do a ramp mash. Um, you can also do a decoction if you want to. But the easiest thing to do is just. Um, do a, a party guile or just plan on doing a really long boil. So if you're doing a five-gallon batch, plan on running off, uh, you know, 10, 11 gallons. Uh, if you're doing that much then uh, grain, then it shouldn't be that hard to run off that without getting into, you know, overly sparging or making anything astringent come off, which is totally fine because even if you did, it would probably break out in the boil. Not a big deal. Uh, and then just boil it for four hours, five hours, six hours. Get it down to the, the volume that you want. Uh, make sure you got plenty of Maillard reaction, plenty of natural caramelization. Uh, throw it in a fermenter with Fuller's would probably be my favorite. Mm -hmm. um, and then for me, the easiest is finish it off with Irish ale or Irish ale and a little bit of Brett um, and let it age for a year. 
a year. Uh, on that, the hops, just do something traditionally English on it uh, or something indistinct. Magnum could work extremely well here if you don't mm -hmm. really want to worry about the hops. But any of the other ones that we said on this list, uh, the Northdown, Fugles, EKGs, Target, uh, Bramling <coughs> Cross in there. I would keep it English because the massive amounts of hops that you're going to put in there, and you should put a fair amount of them in there. Most of them being bittering because you really need to balance out um, the sweetness of these beers. Uh, if you aren't going to put Brett in it, especially if you're not going to go for the more dry old ale side, you really need to balance out the beer uh, with a good amount of hops. Um, just make sure they're English or uh, maybe something noble on that. Uh, French, German might be getting a little bit low and a little out of character. Uh, and then, yeah, boil the shit out of it. Get tons and tons of Maillard. Even if you're uh, party guiling, multi guiling onto it, still boil the shit out of those and get some great Maillard coming with them, uh, coming from them before you blend it back together to uh, either ferment or post ferment for beer. So. They're super easy. Get yourself an English malt. Boil the shit out of it. Uh, get yourself some English hops. Balance out all that sweetness. Get yourself a great English uh, yeast on that. No, 04, I think, is not the best one for this. Uh, straight British ale. I get a little bit more fruity strain of an English uh, strain. Ferment it out until you can get it down as far as you can go. And there you go, man. Yeah. It's, it's that easy. They're very simple beers to make hard to do because of process but uh very simple yeah uh, and just you got to be patient too uh ibus you're probably pushing an old ale to about 80 ibus estimated i would just do that with magnum usually you can probably go as low as like 60 ibus if you're using like fuggles or a lower alpha hop because you don't want too much hot matter in there mm -hmm. um, but the idea is that you're aging these out for a year and so you know if they're going into the fermenter at 80 they're going to be drank at 20 30 ibus something like that um, uh, Jimmy J says his plan is Maris Otter, Kara Rye, and maybe some DRC Buckwheat Honey. I like the Buckwheat Honey. DRC, I don't hate hate because at least it's, you know, crystal with a little bit of roast quality because that's some extra character. Kara mm -hmm. um, Rye, eh. Eh. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, process is going to make way more of a difference than recipe on these kind of beers anyway. Yeah. So you'll just end up with a darker, naturally sweeter version of the same thing once it's aged out. Um, fresh, I guarantee you that it won't taste to my taste buds. Kerai is very <clears throat> aggressive, um, especially on the rye part. You get less sweetness than you would out of other caramels, less than you would expect associating it with other caramels. And it very intensifies the spiciness of the rye. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, that said, if, uh, Jimmy, I know you make good beer, so I'm sure if it's tasting good to you, I'm, yeah. I, I trust it. The DRC Double Roasted Crystal is uh, nicer, and what we were talking about, crystals being different now than they were before. Double Roasted Crystal is closer approximation to older uh, crystals in the way that they were making them before our modern malting processes uh, so I don't actually mind that that's going to have some really interesting roasty notes to it that's really going to boost up uh, your figgy fruity flavors so that'll be interesting the buckwheat honey and do be very careful with buckwheat honey you can go overboard extremely fast with that it is potent uh, I think we used half a pound in uh 
half a pound in a one barrel batch that ended up being, I think it was uh, 1.1, I think it was about 1.120 or to 1.130, somewhere right about in there. So in overall weight percentage of malt bill sugar fermentable, it's very small. Keep it small. Buckwheat is aggressive. Yeah. I like that though. You know, it's a it's a decent plan for it. Uh, it'll probably make a pretty darn good barley wine that you should share with us. Uh, Tanner Cole says his fermentation schedule on this guy was uh, three weeks at 51, raised to 70 for two days, and then drop back down into keg for it's approximately seven weeks old. Probably needs some more time. I think on a side note, played with ultra firm on this. Okay, um, 51 degrees for three weeks. Personally speaking, I probably would have waited until. Uh, probably only would have gone like i don't know 10 days something like that um once i got the final gravity within a handful of points four or five points of final that's when i would have just gone ahead and ramped it up to that 70 um get an actual finishing activity there um while the yeast is still kind of doing its thing and then it would have dropped it down back into a conditioning phase at 52 ish then down to a lagering phase below 50 and then uh, then in kegs the VDK rest helps. Um, it's not. It, it helps more when you still have yeast up and actively fermenting. That way, the yeast can actively start absorbing some of the bad stuff, as well as off-gassing some sulfurs and uh, things like that. Yeah, it does more than just get rid of diacetyl and stuff like that. It's a. Uh, it, it it helps uptake some of the bad processes. Not bad process, but some of the. Uh, um, if your yeast has a little of stress fermenting, it's going to always produce something that tastes a little off. And so um, getting an active uh, VDK rest can also help absorb some of those. And then conditioning time is going to help too. And then obviously lagering time, as you said, um, mm. giving it a little age will bring out a lot of that. Uh, honestly, I think a little bit more age on this probably would have dropped some of that uh, yeast character that I'm getting out of it a little bit more. Um, would have definitely helped it. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, overall pretty decent beer Feeling i drank it yeah i would drink some more of it yeah. um gary Al alliance of calgon says gentlemen favorite beer live stream yay thank you we yeah. appreciate that he also says fuggles not fugles yeah i'm gonna you know because we've got fugle. Some, fugle. we've got some fug and love fugs it's the fugs are fugs are delicious the uh, golden fuggle <clears throat> mix gary ballard for in uh, english old ale yeah that uh, that sounds delicious. Um, just keep in mind when you're using low alpha acid hops on something that you have to get high. And we have another question down here, Stefan Studemeyer. He asked us for a quick recipe IBU on that. Um, you know, we like to track actual perceived bitterness and uh, hoppiness rather than IBU. But if you're going for a number, the statistics on it uh, are actually 35 to 70. It's very deceptive. 35 seems low, but that's when you're chucking it all in late and you still have the giant hoppiness to counteract the bitterness in there. You just need to balance out your beer. Um, but the Fuggle, uh, again, talking about that, the Golden Fuggles mix, when you get down uh, into low alpha acids, because you have to add so much hops to it to balance out all the sweetness in these beers, uh, do be careful that you're not loading it down with plant matter and or extracting green chlorophyll flavors rather than your good hoppy delicious flavors. <clears throat> uh, 
but yeah, the, the Abbey used a very, very pretty widely on that. And again, that's going to be one of those things that if you can impart a lot of perceived bitterness or a lot of perceived hoppiness that's going to stay, has a good staying power through it, something like Warrior, which I don't think would be traditional in this. And I don't think you should use Warrior. I mean, you could. That'd be all right. But if it has a lot of staying power, you could hit lower IBUs. That way, as it's aging out, it comes into balance a little bit better. But uh, you're looking for balance more than a number. Which is what you should be doing anyway with, with hops. Balance your beer. Don't, numbers are deceptive. Yeah. Unless it's like a hazy IPA and then you're just like going for flavies. And then, yeah. Well, a different kind of balance. But. Yeah, different. I mean, it's a, a super big hoppy balance. Some would argue that those are extremely hoppy beers just with no bitterness or IBUs. Yeah. Kind of how IBU <laughs> is a myth. It's real. I mean, it's not real. That one. It's real. I mean, it is real. It's the international bittering unit of alpha acids converted into isyl alpha acids in pure water. Like, I don't know if you guys know that, but when they did these, they did it in water, not not beer. So you're getting a number for water. It's, you know, it's good for calculating your blonde ale to just get, you know, not too bitter, I guess. A guideline. A guideline. Let's talk about topic number one. Topic number one. That's the only topic we're going to get to today. Um, but uh, it's kind of a fun topic to talk about. And it's uh, why pro brewers, especially pro brewers that are confident in what they do, uh, what gives them the confidence to try new styles? Like how can we, a lot of people ask us, how can we be on a you know, 10 barrel system or something like that and try something that we have never made before? Uh, so let's go and break down a little bit of what goes into us, knowing that we're gonna make a good beer, kind of no matter what we're trying. Uh, and then I think that goes with the barley wine um, pretty well because barley wines are kind of a risky style. You're spending, you're, you're risking a year of your tank space um, and a, you know a really long day of your life because they are very time-consuming to make correctly uh, into putting into these beers. But I don't think we've ever we've never failed on a barley wine. They've all turned out great. Mm-hmm. It's it's cushier doing a bar, uh, barley wine. There's more things to hide behind. Uh, but at the same time, if you don't make a great barley wine, you're the, you're not going to sell it in a professional setting. Yeah. It's a beer style that uh, is very, very susceptible to uh, craft beer nerds, aficionados, and uh, people are very discerning about good beer on that barley wine. It's not something like IPA where everybody has an opinion on IPA and they all love them and they half the time are drinking oxidized things that they shouldn't be drinking. Most people who love barley wines love barley wines and they love good barley wines and won't settle for a bad barley wine. Yeah, if someone's coming in because you posted, hey, barley wine, you know that's going on untapped in like 4.5 seconds. Yes. And if you haven't put it there, they will put it there. Yeah. Uh, along with that, most of these people are going to buy cans and or bottles and things like that and age them out for years to come. That's another hard thing for a brewer is we have to expect these people to not drink our beer fresh. They're going to drink one fresh and we need them to enjoy it fresh. And we need most people to enjoy it fresh, but the target audience we're really going for, uh, are not drinking it fresh. They're drinking it years down the road and we still have to be able to please them years later, kind of like being married. Uh, (laughs) you know, and it's all in the tongue work. You start doing the ABCs and when she grabs your hair, you stop on that letter. Uh, (laughs) But anyway, 
But, you know, at some point you're not drinking it fresh, and so... Yeah, uh, they build it up, and those are those are beers that become whales. People trade them across state lines and stuff like that. It's a, That's a hard market. Uh, are we still talking about being married? <laughs> this got into a traffic joke. Traffic I, I don't know. know. Uh, but anyway, that's a it's a it's a hard style rather than like oh yeah, I put citrus and mosaic into my hazy IPA and then it sells immediately because you said the keywords hazy, citra, and mosaic. You throw galaxy on there and it's already sold. I mean, you can't yeah. keep it on the shelves even if it's good or not. You throw HBC four seven two on there and people are like mm-hmm. huh? You're like what the, what is that? Who's- the, your favorite hop you never knew you needed to brew with. Yeah, um, here you go. But yeah, so that being said, like Peter was talking about, uh, there's a lot of breweries, uh, Icicle Brewing up in Leavenworth. Their pilot system is five barrels. They make 150 gallons at least as their experimental batches. Uh, I, you know, how do they do that? Like, uh, the confidence to be able to do that to not just be like oh yeah i made a one barrel batch and people absolutely loved it so let's jump it up like no bro these these guys do their test batches bigger than most people's breweries what gives them the confidence to do that besides just sheer audacity of being a brewer I mean, and part of that stuff that we've talked about before, I think that the number one thing that lets us try, especially new styles that are somewhat familiar to us, uh, is just, you know, we, we, we have a locked in set of techniques that we're going to use on every single batch of beer that we know is going to kind of guarantee the beer is made good. Part of that comes with equipment that's specialized to us making good beer. But a lot of this is stuff that is very, very easily translatable to even the homebrew scale, 5, 10, 15 gallons. Um, and these go into just things that we talk about, uh, it, that make it so that there are fewer things that can go wrong. Uh, yeast health, obviously being the most important thing, is a big one. And so when we're doing that, we talk about always doing a starter. We will never, ever not recommend a starter. Even if it's, even if you're like, can I double pitch? And the beer is only 1030 and it's a two and a half gallon batch. Like, yeah, you're probably fine with out doing one, but we'll never not, we'll never tell you not to do a starter just because that starter is going to make your yeast active by the time it goes into your beer. And it's going to eliminate a period of time that is a, a risk factor. So the faster your beer, your yeast acts on your beer, the faster they're competitive, the faster they get rid of any potential for bacteria, the faster they push out oxygen and the fewer, the, the, the more consistent you're going to be making clean commercial beers. And so a big pitch with a starter, and oxygenating your beer, not aerating, oxygenating your beer are kind of the three easiest things for home brewers to be able to do uh, that commercial brewers kind of just have down pat. We know, we understand that we need to do this every single time uh, that make good pitches. And we kind of <clears throat> have to do it to make beer on this scale. Uh, it's something that when you get a, when you get a pro pitch from Imperial, you pretty much get exactly that fresh off the tank from them in a giant container that we can just dump in. Uh, it's like I'm going to make a really good analogy here because it should be uh, should should be relevant to some people. Uh, it's like say you're out high schooler, you're on the track team, you got to meet today, and uh, you didn't get good. To, you know you. You got your sleep last night, but you get there, you're, you're throwing discus and your event isn't till three o'clock in the afternoon, even though 
you as a team player had to uh, get there at say 11. Now you you know take a nice nap on the uh, sidelines and then immediately wake up, walk to the center, grab your disc and chuck it. You're not going to be very aware as if say you were prepared the whole time taking a few uh, warm-up throws on the side, definitely pegging the annoying kid in the stands, and then walk up and actually throw your disc out there where you're nice, warm, loose, relaxed, and ready. Uh, That's what you're doing to your yeast. You're just straight waking it up and saying, here, get in the game. And it's like, oh, shit, okay. Instead of being like, all right, coach, put me in. Put me in, coach. Also, I want to take a uh, side of my, because I just uh, song uh, Michael Grooms, Hey from the uh, ABQ. Um, I'm assuming ABQ is Albuquerque, and don't correct me if I'm wrong, because Albuquerque just has the actual, like, best city song ever, like, the, the song about the city. It's from Weird Al Yankovic, and if you've never heard Albuquerque, you should do yourself a favor and... Uh, Listen to that song. I was going to say, that's where I was born. It's, uh, well, hey, yeah, Albuquerque has the best theme song ever. Albuquerque. Anyway. Is there a fence bowing on that top thing? Uh, It's coming in, but um, that's actually throughout a lot of them because of tension, maybe swelling and stuff like that. Yeah, they locked it in and didn't think about that. Oh, well. Well, that and what naturally swells in wet environments. Yeah. We'll see what like, happens. Like our, our rainstorms. So uh, in addition to uh, good yeast, part of the locked-in set of set of tools we have in our tool belt as brewers, as good processes, to make sure that we know no matter what beer we're making, it's going to taste good, um, are things like Lodo or pressure transfer. And so having a sealed system where we know we can get our beer into our next package without picking up oxygen and being completely sealed, so no risk of bacteria. Uh, that's another t- uh, tool in our tool belt. And then heat sanitation. That oh, that is specific to pro brewers or people who want to spend a lot of money on the home scale. Um, that one, if you're using stainless, you can put boiling water in it, and you can kind of guarantee everything is going to get killed, which you can't always do in plastic and definitely not glass because glass is going to crack. Uh, unless you spend far too much money on uh, thermal shock proof glass like Pyrex and <clears throat> I mean, congratulations, and that is amazing if you do it, uh, but that's expensive. Yeah. And, you know, that's <clears throat> uh, fire kills everything. There's nothing that ruins beer that survives through heat sanitation if you do it properly. I guess barrels, like old school barrels, could technically be fit in that same category. Uh, uh, you can heat sanitize a barrel. Yeah, I mean, that's there's a lot of reasons why old styles of beer using equipment that you wouldn't think should be able to make good beer made good beer and still does and it still does it it would there is an actual reason why all beers were not infected with brett even in the olden days even though everything was pretty much done in wood is through practices like this like heat sanitation you pour boiling water into your wood and you get the outside of that up to at least 150 degrees ain't nothing gonna survive in it that's gonna be dead and then you can create clean beers and wood with no problems. Just and like, if you put your wood into boiling water, then no it, more. It swells up. Yeah. I was going to say it, it, it kills the clap. It, well, yeah. I mean, it does. It does. It does. Uh, Life hacks. Yeah. 
So basically, uh, coming back to topic one, it sounds like you're talking about good yeast process. Good yeast process is the biggest. Uh, I mean, yeast health is the number one. Oh, and process in there. If you can perfect your process, you can almost always move that process to any other system and be successful. Yeah. Uh, if you're keeping those same process points in there, it may look different on different systems, but as long as you have that same process point in there, uh, for example, the Lodo transfer, pressure transfer uh, on our seven barrel system downtown, a lot of the time I'm using CO2 purging out lines with T's connected together going on uh, to uh, collab on Natural 20's new system with Mike Tatar, uh, and he uses perichloric acid to do it. He'll clean out a tank with perichloric acid to get it nice and sanitized before using it. CO2 pressure out uh, down the line, but leave the liquid in the line for that, and then you push beer back through that line until you push all of the acid out and then start transferring it into your tank. So there's no gas in there at all. Um, and that's a process he developed at several other big breweries. And that's something that, uh, as a home brewer, that's really hard to watch your beer go down the drain. You don't have a lot of it. As a professional brewer, we lose a couple of gallons and that's literally the drops you lost on your floor to us. Yeah. But it protects your beer so much. Uh, how much are you willing to sacrifice to protect your beer? Yeah, firstborn child. You, uh, I mean, uh, uh, hey, you know, it never complains when I make it pregnant. <laughs> um, Although my wife had a right to complain when she was pregnant because that looked miserable. Yeah. It did. It did. I don't want to do that. Definitely no Mr. Moms here. Yeah, we can work on it. Come on, Arnold. Uh, Post-brew techniques for correction. So there's also, if you, let's say you don't have perfect technique, uh, or you do have perfect technique, but something else still doesn't seem quite right during the brew day because it's an experimental batch. You're trying something you haven't tried before. Um, new malt, new mashing technique, new uh, hopping style during the whatever. You're doing a side boil, you're doing a decoction, whatever you're trying, um, you get something new into the fermenter. Everything else is good, like you know it should be. And, but for whatever reason during fermentation, it's just not going right. Let's say it's a high alcohol batch and your yeast is getting sluggish or stalling or something like that. There's still some techniques for coaxing your beer into being a good beer during fermentation after you've actually brewed the beer. And this is something that we know and utilize on the commercial scale as a just in case. It also gives us the confidence to know, hey, we can try something. And if it doesn't work, we have methods for pushing it to still be a good servable beer. And uh, this should be in number one, but also in number two, in post-brew and pre-brew <clears throat> techniques is proper nutrients. Mm -hmm. um, we have uh, one in the front, we'll get into that. And I think before that, uh, trying that as proper nutrients and proper set of nutrients, uh, using something like a GoFirm in your, um, excuse me. I was almost going to sneeze there. Using something like GoFirm in your yeast starter, which is a very specific yeast nutrient or something like that, that helps get your yeast rehydrated up and healthy and fermenting before you pitch it in. Using a yeast energizer when you know it's going to be a big, unstable batch, uh, using the, uh, the right nutrients, the right type of nutrients, and the right type of beer, if you know, hey, this is going to be a quike, and it needs a lot of extra oxygen, it needs a lot of extra nutrients in there, uh, or 
man, this is USO5 Chico and a 1045 OG Blonde Ale. Eh, let's, we don't need extra nutrients in this guy. Um, in the pre, that's something good to know. How is your yeast going to perform? How you can give it the proper fruit, uh, food, minerals, and nutrients to get it to perform in the best way. And then in post-brew, knowing when to throw it, uh, some of those things in, like uh, an energizer or uh, waiting for a third sugar depletion before throwing in your yeast nutrients on barley wines, things like that. Nutrients are extremely important for yeast health on the front end and reviving yeast for slow stuck fermentations on the back end. And important if, especially important if you have a low nutrient, uh, um, nutrient dense uh, growth medium. So that'd be if you're ever doing seltzers, if you're doing a graph, if you're doing a uh, sizer, something like that. Yeah, anything that uh, reduces the nutrients, you have even less, and so it's even more important. There's some natural nutrients in beer, uh, but still, there's going to be stresses on living in alcohol. It's your own waste product. Um, so having the right nutrients, even on any beer, is going to be helpful, but especially important in low-growth, uh, low-nutrient-dense growth media uh, or high-alcohol beers. Uh, or sluggish, Belle Saison, uh, Belgian yeah. Saison. Certain yeasts. Throwing in an energizer will be super helpful to you it'll help the yeast not go into the uh, sluggish phase that normally does uh, and you know some things like that so any cooter bikes yeah uh for there's a couple good ones in there we'll get that into a minute post brew techniques for correction the first one uh on there repitching yeast and not being afraid to repitch yeast on there i know so many home brewers that want to go through 20 different things before they just repitch a five dollar packet of yeast and that just seems so silly yeah. Uh, sometimes. I mean, sometimes you're like, okay, man, you've been working on this for a minute. Opening that up might be a little dangerous. But most of the time, the best thing you can do is just chuck more yeast on top of that. Yeah, you're making sure you have it in a big enough pitch, especially if you started that second yeast. It's going to get active right away. Um, you might be just getting through the lag phase of your first yeast, but either way, it's going to end up either helping ferment or being more nutrients, worst case scenario, for the yeast that you already have going in there. Uh, and there's also times where you might just have sluggish yeast in the first place. And so uh, there are times, like, for example, if you're doing a barley wine with a yeast that you know is going to fall asleep, or if you're using Bella Saison, which you know might fall asleep, um, where you're just ready to pitch a hot, hot and heavy yeast right afterwards, it's going to be a strong fermenter and guarantee that the entire ferment gets done before there's a long wait time of no activity, which is going to risk bacteria, which is going to risk oxidation, things like that. Uh, and going into that, uh, to achieve some other characteristics out of your beer as well, uh, additional pitches of yeast uh, to take care of our brews. If, uh, you know, um, that's the thing with the barley wine. We're throwing it in the pub, the ESB yeast, to get that super good English fruit characteristic that that yeast produces, knowing that it's going to fall asleep. And then on the back end, throwing, throwing in something like Irish ale that's going to go really dry and provide you just a touch of that funk in there. Uh, I like the uh, Trappist High Grav, uh, Triple Double from Imperial. Uh, you're not going to get very much phenolics out of it. You're not going to get very much esters coming out of something that doesn't, uh, because it doesn't have very much sugars left over. But it's going to super attenuate that down and give you just a little bit of touch of like Belgian fruitiness in there. 
And on the bottom of an English barley wine, that's awesome. It kind of gives you that little bit of extra age characteristic right out the front. Uh, if you know Belle Saison is going to go into a leg phase, you know that happens every single time. It ferments most of the way out, hits its leg phase, hit it with a French Saison, uh, or even maybe a wit yeast or a travesty, something like that. Finish it all the way out, getting some extra character and depth to your beer is something awesome uh, that you should consider doing. Um, uh, another way to kind of coax fermentation along, if you know you have a low attenuating yeast, um, you can also use this to pre-do clarification, to avoid diacetyl. Uh, there are enzymes for pretty much any scenario, and enzymes are a good tool to have during fermentation just to make sure that nothing goes wrong. Um, these include enzymes that do reduce the, the production of diacetyl. Uh, these include enzymes that are going to continuously break down long chain starches to make sure that your beer or whatever yeast you're using initially uh, doesn't run into a wall. It always has simple sugars to eat. Uh, and then it also includes enzymes that will break down proteins during fermentation that will make it so that your beer clarifies. Because sometimes a little bit of extra yeastiness, a little extra proteins can make your beer taste bleh and it's not something you want. So enzymes are the, uh, the second post-brew technique. Yeah, uh, enzymes are in there. Um, Tom Stills uh, will answer your question along with this because this is uh, also Tom Stills got a uh, bingo apparently. Oh, nice. Uh, nice. Bingo. Boop, 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 bingo. Bingo. Matt's going to send you a brand new car. Yeah. Uh, no. His car in particular, <laughs> yeah. with him in it, so he can pick up all the beer you want to give him, and then he's going to try. You don't get to keep the car. Uh, you maybe can keep the mat, but you don't get to keep the car or the beer. That's <laughs> coming back say, to us. As long as you feed me and give me beer, I'll, you, you, I'm, I'm good. Me happy. Yeah. Uh, so Tom Stills was asking, how do I counter low efficiency when using a Brazilla, uh, Brewzilla? Uh, Brewzilla. Brazilian it, wax. It, you know, I mean, hey. Uh, any of the all-in-one systems I'll include into this, Brewzilla, Digiboil, uh, Mash and Boil, uh, the Anvil systems, Grandfather, I don't know, there's a couple more out there. Uh, they're going to be less efficient because they have a very tight, narrow, and tall grain bed, which compacts it more and doesn't allow as much enzyme activity over the uh, grains, as well as the basket in there means that there's water on the outside of the grains and not touching the grains. So that doesn't quite get as much enzymatic activity. Uh, the enzymatic activity goes great with enzymes, what we're talking about. So some ways to combat that, a uh, little bit more liquid to your grist uh, ratio. We like to use a 1.25 quarts per pound grain in a tall vertical system most of the time we're using 1.5 quarts per of uh, water per grain uh, of grist ratio in there a little bit more a uh, little bit of recirculation i would not as you said in there uh stir mash more often um, i like to let my grain bed sit when you stir up the mash you disturb the grain bed you're disturbing all of the settling of the grain bed and making sure that you have a really good lauderable system if you have the ability to do a Vorloff in the end, uh, you know, the last, you got your mash done, 40, uh, you're about 45 minutes into it, do a Vorloff for 20 minutes on the end, a recirculation over the top. It's going to super improve clarity, flavor, color, condition of your beer, as well as uh, increase the enzymatic activity because you're getting the tumble around in there. But enzymes, adding enzymes, 
to these systems is also another great way. Adding in the amylase enzymes will help really help you out. Uh, adding in prote uh, protease, um, cellulase, uh, beta-glucans will really help break down proteins and glucans and all that stuff in your mash will make the lauderability better make the flowability of your mash better you're gonna get more sugars out of there so this is a way for you to increase the efficiency off of uh, your bruzilla basic ways to increase that just a tiny scotch more water in there don't stir your grain bed please but do do a Vorloff in there. That's going to massively improve it, as well as adding enzymes. Yeah. Clarifiers. I believe there is actually another question right below that. Yeah. Esteban. Yes. Hey, guys. I'd like to use some gelatin to clarify my beer. How and when do you recommend using it? Convenient, because the next step on pro brew fermentation techniques for correction is clarifiers to be fair we actually don't use gelatin here because gelatin does involve a little process of uh you know heating it up to a certain temperature and getting it clear pre-clarified and then ready to go into your beer we think that's too much work when there are clarifiers that are squeeze a measurement and poured into your beer ready to go um, and so we actually use a combination of kiesel saw and kytosan i believe kytosan is the one that's the same polarity as gelatin um, regardless, mm. one of them is, uh, so they functionally do the exact same thing and you can add them at two different times. Uh, so one for grabbing positive ions and one for grabbing neg negative ions. And those will basically take the gamut of everything that's in there. Obviously you don't add them at the same time or else they'll cancel each other out. Um, but add them 24 hours apart and then they'll take everything out of your beer, especially if you do it under pressure. So, um, yeah, clarifiers are a great, great way to just make sure that you're going to get some crispies soon or, you know, at all, if you need to. Uh, it'll also do some other things on there, uh, like the Mexican lager, where we're getting just a little bit of yeasty character coming out of it. If there's mm. some clarifiers added in uh, or is clarified out all the way through lagering, you may not be getting those characteristics coming out. It will help change the flavor of your beer into something a little cleaner and crispier. Uh, when we're adding them in is basically uh, either before <coughs> brighting, generally before brighting. Uh, before adding CO2 and stuff like that uh, to it. Um, that way, if we do a long extended aging period time on it or a lagering period, we're not aging it on leaves or yeast cakes and getting any autolysis coming back or the risks of it. It helps clarify it out just a little bit more. Our process is usually cold crash, add the clarifiers in, and then go over to bright uh, or carbonation or anything on that. Um, Another reason I don't like to use gelatin is I, if you go overboard on that, you can strip flavors out. Uh, it's something that... It's filling up with haze. Yeah. Something that uh, I've also... Uh, I mean, if you don't care, you don't care, and that's fine. You do you. It's not something that's necessarily personally for me. Uh, but we do have a vegetarian uh, employee that works here, and she's made comments, oh, please tell me which beers you use certain clarifiers in, just so she's aware of it. Uh, I had a guy that didn't want a beer because it had a non-vegan clarifier in it, which is 100% fine. He can do that. I got him a different beer. I'm not upset. I don't care at all. But it, may, it got me thinking about it. Because we do. It's silifying. It's the same thing as Kytosan. just comes from a, a vegan source on that. And that's something as a professional brewer, I started thinking about like, oh, crap. That's, I'm accidentally leaving a group of people out of this because I decide to use gelatin instead of 
Kaidazan psilocybin or something yeah. like that. If you need gelatin, just so. use whole live lobsters, I think. It's oh, the, yeah. Actually, that is a beautiful clarifier. Cause the rest, uh, that's the best answer, I think. The, the shell's in there. That's another, I mean, there's clarifiers all over the place. Uh, oyster shells. Oyster shells actually work really well. That's very similar to what Kaidazan is. Um, very yeah. similar. It's got a lot of the same stuff on the outside. Crab shells. Spiders. Uh, spiders actually would work. Uh, tomato bugs, the little roly polies. Yeah. Those are closer in relation to like shrimp and lobsters than they are to bugs. Fun faps with Timothy. If you want a mini lobster boil, just get a whole bunch of tomato <laughs> bugs. Wonder how that would taste. But yeah, that's a that's another thing that I thought about. I mean, if you're a professional brewer, that's also something to think about. You know, a cool thing to put on your label. Hey, vegan beer. You know, I mean, naturally most of it is, but clarifiers is where it goes non-vegan, and that it was just, you know, something different to think about. But anyway, we got a lot of good questions, so I'm gonna rattle off the last things on this list that I don't think we need to go into a ton. Uh, but I want to get to the questions after that. Uh, the last three things we haven't mentioned yet in post brewing techniques for correction, just making sure your beer tastes good. Uh, filters that goes along with clar clarification. Uh, flavors or referments that can be either extract flavors that are added to kind of build a new flavor, or referments would be like if you added a fruit and actually like a uh, fruit with sugar content and refermented it with the sugar with the fruit. Um, same thing would go with like maple syrup or brown sugar, whatever. Another level, level of fermentation can have the yeast help clarify things. And then blending is another option. Um, we've talked about all those before, uh, but to get to questions, just in case we have people coming in, let's go to the next question down the road, which was uh, from Revan KY. Y'all add more newts, nets? That's no, with an umlaut, uh, Stefan Stoudemire. How do you pronounce that? Around 40% of your fermentation, it depends on the beer. Or what we're doing. And what you're intending with that. Yeah. Uh, difficult ferments or low-nutrient <laughs> environments like Groff, uh, Braggit is a little bit in that, a little bit less. Uh, seltzer, things like that. Uh, after about a third sugar depletion, or that's kind of... Um, what he's saying 40% instead of like 35% or 20 or yeah, 30% yeah. right around in there. Uh, yeah, that can really help out. Uh, the reason why you would do it at third sugar depletion is it really helps your yeast stay active. That would be about the point that yeast is starting to struggle to find uh, nutrients as well as food. You're starting to see less activity going on in there. Your krausen is starting to fall and the nutrients can stabilize that fermentation. It's not like it's going to kick it back up and make it more vigorous, but it's going to stabilize it into a good fermentation so it can keep coasting on that. They've also been eating pretty simple sugars up to this point because they're going to eat the simplest sugars first and then the more complex sugars later. So it's kind of like, you know, you raise your kid from the age of zero to six and he's been eating nothing but McDonald's his whole life. And then you introduce him to multivitamins. Still kind of works. It still, still ends up growing works. into a full-grown adult at some point. So. At some point. Uh, yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, uh, are you gonna, yeah. Party time brewing. Anybody here try Phantasm with Thio Libra or uh, Cosmic Punch and thoughts? Uh, the Thiolized yeast are pretty darn awesome. It's really cool to see, especially as a brewer, to see the whole process, tasting it the way it whole way through and the way that it thiolizes hops, ferments out some of uh, those terpenes and oils and stuff like that, rearranges them and makes different flavors. 
They're awesome. I really suggest uh, playing around with it and taking a recipe that you know really well and works really well and applying a uh, thiolized hop to it and seeing what happens. Yeah. Uh, and then eventually we will probably do a video on, Ryan, if you're watching, on uh, um, mash hopping with thiolized yeasts. Um, mm. The reason that we don't usually do mash hopping is because we want to save animals' lives and not feed them hops, and we give our grains to animals. So. Yeah, uh, we'll have to do that on the five gallon batch, not on a big batch, because if we do a big batch, we definitely want to be able to feed some cows with that grain because we get meat from that cow meat grain. And, and we want them to be nice and healthy and alive yeah. to be able to provide that for us. So that's pretty important. Uh, but we will be at some point in time probably doing a five gallon experiment with the five gallon yeasts and some or five gallon batches uh, and hop mashing, mash hopping. Yeah. Stefan Sotomayor, not exactly sure what I'm doing wrong, but every even three-year-old fermentus packs still work fine here. Maybe the fridge is too cold. Um, yeah, it could be. Uh, or you just live in a magical zone where nothing ages. You're in Never Never Land. Well, he's also in Germany, and fermentus comes from Austria, so he's getting very, very <clears throat> fresh yeast that hasn't been through many hot colds, hot colds, more than likely, uh, on that. And to go along with that, you're using dried yeast, which is extremely shelf stable. And if you're doing Even past expiration dates, yeah, <clears throat> uh, it's especially cold. Uh, and if you're doing a yeast starter on that, you really only need a couple of yeast cells to get it back up viable and going. Uh, we found that out. Some are better than others on that, but we've revived yeast that's been several years old, liquid yeast as well as dry yeast. So you're like, man, this is there. No, this is dumb. There's nothing left in this. And yeah, get it up fermenting and making a great beer. Although uh, the Never Neverland uh, theory is probably more likely. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's in, well, he's in Germany. I won't say that's Never Neverland for beer because that's but it kind is of a magical land. Well, uh, the deal about that is I'm going to say that Never Neverland or the Disneyland is just a little bit further east in Belgium because they're like, hey, can you imagine this? Now it's a beer because Belgians, uh, Germans are like, I mean, that's like, well, I'm trying to get a good equivalent, but it's just so goddamn tasty because they're so good at process. What's well, another magical uh, magical realm that people don't age? I know, I know. I'm trying to think. Oh, no, not us. Because everything I think about is a little odd and funky. And you're like, okay, yeah, that's crossing the border too. Willy Wonka, everything here is beer. That's also a little bit Belgium. Um, yeah. But Germans are, oh my God. He's, he lives in an amazing, perfect, ooh, we the good place. Willy Wonka. It's oh, like yeah. the good place. And everywhere you <laughs> go just, just has amazing beer. By the way, you're actually in hell. God damn it. But it's heaven. Oh, God. I'm not. He lives in an amazing, magical place that they just produce great, great (laughs) beers and should be sending more of them to us. Uh, All of them to us. All of them to us. Daniel, oh, heads up. A beer drop this week is coming. Uh, Sending over something, uh, including a smoked hazy, which I feel might need to be a tradition at this point. I'm down. Smoke Daisy. Make sure that you market Matthew. Yeah. Smoke Daisy. That sounds yeah. great. Make sure that Matt knows about it so that it doesn't get accidentally drinking without anybody else. Scott Nutcake. Um, great Nutcake. show. <laughs> Nutkick is what's on there. And, you know, just because we like mispronouncing things to irritate people like Eagle. Nutcake. Cake. Cake. Uh, anyway. Uh,. Repitch known active yeast twice into a stuck ferment at 5 Plato, uh, 1020 
Gravity pushed air, CO2 into cone, and even another fermenting batch into the spear, but still hanging up. Any suggestions? Yeah, done, son. Uh, one, 1020 isn't that low. Yeah. There's something in there that's... Or isn't that high, I mean. Yeah, it's not... It, there's uh, probably most hazies that are out there, especially on the uh, professional market, are around 1020. Um, that's not... Hey, that's a finishing gravity. Maybe not for that particular beer that you're doing. That's not an off-finishing gravity. Uh, if you have pitched known fermenting yeast into it twice and a fermenting batch, I'll comment on the other stuff in a second, you're probably done. There's probably something... Uh, toxic in that environment that's going to kill the yeast be it alcohol acidity or anything like that some yeast are known for creating a toxic environment uh a lot of diastaticus yeast do that they're known as killer strains but if it was diastaticus it'd definitely go down below 1020 uh and at the same time you may not have sugars that you're able to ferment anymore you're all starch at this point too complex maltotrios uh maltese malt gross big big chain starches that yeast can't get after so it's not necessarily like you're done you would either have to throw in a very powerful big pitch of diastaticus yeast uh something like french saison uh or enzymes uh that's some amg amg if you needed to go down lower amg uh, or diastaticus strains are going to be the only thing that can do it but you might just be done you might just be not that not that high Honestly, at 1022, I wouldn't be afraid of throwing champagne yeast in there. It's extremely tolerant to most environments. It's a killer strain. It's diastaticus. That will ferment that sucker out dry if it is able to be fermented. If champagne yeast won't touch it, EC1118, you're done and you can't ferment it out anymore. So, if it's a, if you're looking for you know a pre-ferment solution. Uh, you might just try mashing lower next time. We even if your thermometers are a little bit off, we recommend ramp mashing for a lot of stri- uh, a lot of uh, people. Just because uh, if you can ramp mash, first of all, it's going to be the most consistent thing to do. Uh, second of all, not everybody's thermometers are consistent. Even if you calibrate them, you know, every so often, um, getting uncalibrated is not that hard for thermometers to do. And so if you just start a little bit low and then ramp, so let's say you start at 145, 145 and then ramp mash to 165 as your mash out, and that covers your your range pretty easily. You've got all your beta and alpha amylase working, uh, and then you get up to a mash out temperature. So um, if you're looking for some pre what to do, uh, techniques that'd be an option. Um, Dave Dempster, having a first experience with diacetyl from dry hopping. Tips to avoid this: uh, increase temperature during dry hopping, uh, or add. A, there's a dry hop reducing en- or a diacetyl reducing enzyme that makes it so that your okay. yeast can't make diacetyl in the first place. All right. Nitrogen or aminos depletion. Bartender Brewing didn't use enough mash hopping on my batch in 1.5 instead of 5-ish grams per liter. Um, at Dave Dempster, did a split batch. Ooh, two beers and so different lots of great aromas. That's a conversation that I'm not involved in that I know of. There's a great question towards the bottom that I'm getting the answer for. How does one send you guys stuff? Depends on the stuff. Um, if it's strippers, you probably got to call a local agency. Um, or just call Tim. 
he can come in. But I just posted the address. Oh yeah, or that address right there. So, it's beer. He's sending us beer. If you're sending us beer, that's the way to go. And again, uh, we do recommend putting uh, uh, Matthew on the 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 attention too. Uh, yeah. Genus, but then attention, Matthew. Yeah, if you're sending us beer, send us beer. Label it, Matt. That way, it'll get organized. Uh, Seven Sotomayor, how often do you trub dump during a fermentation on your big equipment? Um, we will do it once, but we're very, very careful about when we do it. And it also, I guess that kind of depends on if we're adding anything during fermentation. So uh, if we're dry hopping, generally we're dry hopping hazies. And if we do that, we're going to be doing all that under pressure. And then we will try to trub dump uh, three days after the dry hop. So very shortly before packaging. All right. Did I miss any questions? Anybody see any questions that need they needed they needed answered uh, before we start working on getting opens? No, I was gonna say just I I all have my question for my brew day today, but that's about it. Which is I'll, I'll ask it. What's a what's a good as someone who doesn't brew a lot of IPAs? What's a good hopping schedule for a classic West Coast IPA? For a classic West Coast IPA, uh, hopping schedule actually the first thing that I ask is how fast you can chill down. So if you can chill down very, very quickly, meaning your chill down time is less than 10 minutes from, you know, the end of boil to the time that you're almost ready to pitch or like, let's say down to like 80, 90. If you can do that in less than 10 minutes, then a good West Coast hopping schedule is a classic 60. Uh, and that's going to be a good chunk of your IPA, uh, IBUs, about half your IBUs. Uh, and then I like to go somewhere between 15 and 20, somewhere between 7 and 12. Uh, somewhere between three and five, and then I like to do a flame out. Okay. And all those stay in there. Yes. And they're relatively consistent uh, for a um, – so it's a small – It's so if I'm doing hazies, it's like small, tiny edition at 60, and then big, big editions at Whirlpool. If it's a West Coast, I'm doing relatively that consistent editions throughout, maybe slightly bigger towards the end. But it's like the difference between like 1.5 ounces and 2 ounces for, a, for an edition – not like 0.5 ounces to three ounces. Sweet, thank you. Sweet. Yeah. I was gonna say, I figured since we're closing out, I was like, I can actually ask my question live. Yeah, and that's a good question else. too. What's too long to leave a high ABV beer in the fermenter? I'm at two weeks around 9.5% and it's still slowly bubbling. Uh, yeah, I don't know, five weeks. Just make sure it's done. Uh, we have to I was gonna say I would I would say just from my experience, like any day, once it's done, if you just like leave it like maybe another day or two, and then you're not seeing any activity, and then yeah, yeah, there's no risk if you're going to the kegs. There's no risk in kegging early because you can finish off fermentation in the kegs. Um, so if it's still slowly bubbling and you have nothing left to do, depending on the beer, if it's an IPA, obviously you want to make sure it's a low dose transfer. As an IPA, I would recommend getting in kegs as soon as possible. Just like yeah. make sure it's under pressure and sealed and no oxygen in there. If it's a big Imperial stout that can take a little oxygen, I'm not super worried about it. So you can throw a rack and cane in it and just transfer it into a keg. But if it's still going a little bit, that's totally fine. Air on this. If you don't care about a little bit of trube, a little bit of sediment in the bottom of your keg, Air on the side of racking it early. It's not going to hurt nothing. If you're going into bottles, then you got the bottle bomb risk, and then it's a little bit more of a different equation. But I, I don't know why yeah. you looked at me when you said bottle bomb okay, risk. 
specifically. You might have some experience with that. Yeah. That sounds good. Yeah. Th- that, that's one of the nice things about now starting to go professional is I won't actually be bottling. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's right. going into kegs. Sounds good. Yep. All right. I think we are uh, oh, yeah, going into bottles. Um, uh, yeah, I would, I would definitely then recommend my a couple days after it's stopped. Yeah, is is going to be my recommendation as someone who. And just for the oxygen pickup sake, um, I mean, assuming hope and hopefully this isn't an IPA. Hopefully it's like a stout or like an old ale or a big some other big beer. Um, but I would still recommend getting in there relatively early uh, and then just undershooting your carbonation level just a little bit. Mm-hmm. So like let's say, uh, you know, four ounces or three and a half ounces of priming sugar if you're using priming sugar for the for a five gallon batch. Belgian Belgian golden, Belgian golden. In that case, I would say go five ounces of priming sugar and then put it in, in a high-pressure bottle. If it gets extra carbonated, that's good. That's what you want in a Belgian Golden. Um, so if you're going into a, a bottle that can handle high pressure, then mm. yep. don't worry about a little extra carbonation. Nice. And uh, then just drink it. Don't don't sit on it for way too long because yeah. that's the longer you sit, the, the, more, the more beer you're going to lose. <laughs> But it could be more deliciouser. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 oh, did you talk about how, because uh, I was on the phone for the guy, how bubbles may not be fermentation? Yes. Okay. Bubbles are... A guideline. Yeah, they are, hey, I can kind of see something, but uh, that could be heat, t- heat temperature. That could be atmospheric pressure changing. That could be the moisture in your air doing something different. That could be your airlock just trying to tell you that it's possessed by a demon that could legitimately be dissolved co2 in your beer you get a tiny bit of evaporation out of your airlock now the pressure difference is enough for air to finally escape and it's just going to keep releasing because you passed the pressure point uh so you could be fermenting and have no air bubbles coming out because the way that the beer is large enough that uh, all the co2 is going into the beer they're a guideline, but they tell you that there's gas escaping. It doesn't tell you that CO2 is escaping. It tells you that gas is escaping, and that's all it tells you. So, you know, do measurements and actually have real data to do things with. Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, we're about to close out because we got people coming in. Uh, there are 54 people watching and only 36 thumbs up. If we do not get to 45 thumbs up by the time we close this stream out, we will not do one ever again. My, we'll fing- my, my fingers were crossed, but a, a thumbs down, yeah. except for people with cool names. So Esteban and Stefan Studemeyer, you're safe. You're you're safe. The rest of you need, need cooler names. No, that's not. That's the only that's way to be true. safe. But also give us a thumbs up, and then you can be safe. I was gonna say, Peter, have you liked? Have you given the stream a thumbs up? Yeah. Okay. Oh, I have. Oh, we just jumped to forty-two. I have. Woo! Good job, gang. All right, we'll see you next week. Uh, And I love you. Yes. Yes. Did I say it too soon? Oh, God, I said it too soon. Ah. Okay. Bye. (laughs) That would help. Rub and running. Go. I was going to say, yeah. I'm not supposed to read. Read what my fans are saying. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's see. I guess I can pull mine up. Yeah. Hello. Okay. Hey, we are live. Cool. Yeah, we're live. Hi, peoples. Uh, yay, we're live. Uh, Peter is turning off other stuff. Um, Makes me less loud in Oh, wait. <laughs>
You put. If you want less loud. In the wrong spot. No, he said he was moving over there. Okay, I'm switching then. Yeah, I was wondering. I was like, let us know if you can hear us. Can you hear us? Anyone in the? Why is there no one? Henning, are you there? I don't see no one. Where are my chatters? There we go. KO. Yay, David. Thanks, buddy. Okay, awesome. Uh, well, welcome to the Sunday morning GNS live stream that we start at 8:45 every morning. Prompt. <laughs> you guys exactly. just weren't here. Yep. Yeah. We were. We were. We started it. You guys just. Uh, you missed out. It was really fun. So we're all closer back on now though, and we're getting rolling. This is the live stream where we talk about beer and beer stuff. Today we're talking about selling beer, so it's gonna be a little bit of a twist. Uh, um, it should be a good, good little crossover. Let's jump into some Genius Beer news. First of all, actually, let's jump into. Do you have any news? Anything new and happening around? Well, first weekend. of all, this is Marcus. <laughs> also, hi guys. Yeah, that's hey, guys. Yep. Uh, Marcus, what, you were, tell us a little bit about your history in the beer world here in Spokane and elsewhere. Oh man. Um, <laughs> so I started in the industry working for Orlison Brewing. Um, what year was that? 2015, I think. I think I was still in the old shop. I remember you coming in when I was still in the. Yeah. The old spot. Yep. And then uh, started. To, uh, as a as a taproom manager there, and then a year later moved into sales and took over the um, Eastern Washington, Northern Idaho market, and then about a year later after that, I ended up taking over the west side of the state as well. So I had the the whole region for my sales area, and unfortunately, uh, Orison is no longer around. So then I've been bouncing around. I uh, worked at Perry Street Brewing for a little bit. I help out at TT's um, Old Iron Brewing here in Spokane every once in a while, and now I'm just. Uh, pouring beer at community pint on Sundays usually so after this we'll be I'll be headed to work <laughs> <laughs> nice just I can't seem to not be a part of the industry it's a fun industry to be a part of but I think since you've been both repping and uh, person to person you kind of have an EQ's perspective on uh, something that a lot of people that get into the really nerdy side of beer don't really know and that's how to take everything that we try to learn as beer brewers and translate it into people who think they know off, you know, they're, they're <laughs> yeah. 20 minutes of Google research and then just, you know, they, they know a little bit. Yeah. Wait, are you saying brewers don't also do 20, 30 minutes of Google research to pretend they know what they're talking about? That's true. That's true. <laughs> Maybe these guys do less. They just heard that one guy at the bar say it one time and think they're experts. Yeah, uh, that's that happens a lot, actually. You're just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, diving in. So any any brewing news? That... Um, not that I'm really aware of. Community Pint, anything going on? Anything uh, TT's going on? That you're aware of? <laughs> Um, I don't know about TTs, but Rachel would be a much better person to ask for that. That's true. Um, yeah, I usually just help with events and stuff, pouring for them, because that's what I like to do. I, I like being behind the bars, talking to the folks and handing them beers. Nice. Yeah, that's good. Uh, well, uh, with TTs and us and a handful of other Valley breweries, we just started the planning phase for the Valley Cup Part 2, which is going to happen oh, in yeah. the fall. Um, I think we settled on a pretty fun topic, but I can't disclose it just yet. Um, <laughs> I'll John ask Hockey, you for thank it later. You so much for the super, I, super like, well, chat. I want to know. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> thank you for hey, the yeah, super chat. Um, yeah, uh, other than that, Genius Brewing News, we're planning a brew day at 45 degrees north. Uh, where'd we no, end 45 up? degrees brew house. 45 degrees south. Um, <laughs> one of the <laughs> brew house. Uh, Matt, why don't you talk about where we landed on that and what happened on um, – Yeah, uh, the, again, follow-up, uh, I think – me and Tim haven't finalized recipe quite yet, but we're going to go with a, a, a steam IPA. Um, so take the classic American steam beers and do an IPA twist, which is 
even more American because we Americans like to add hops to everything. Um, so that will be uh, for uh, Stefan Stahmeyer. That is also going to be your your special live stream. Yeah. So we still want to do the the live stream, maybe a little bit less complicated, but live stream where we do kind of do some of the things where we're running through the system and talk about yeah. how we find gaps in the system and get a little bit better there. So, but yeah, we're we're working on that. So, uh, yeah, that's that's it. And then as soon as their one barrel system gets uh, the transformer gets installed for that, I will be starting to brew more often there. Nice. So uh, regular updates will be on everybody's Instagrams and discords and all that. Yep. And uh, yeah. And we uh, with that, we have decided in the discord, uh, the brew style for trying to brew a beer as close to style this month is going to be the British brown ale, which I'm going to try to do on the one barrel system. Um, so get your recipes, get your beers brewed and then send them to us. So that way I, we, me and Peter can actually do hopefully a sit down side by side of my British brown versus all your guys' British Browns. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. So, um, we got Bruce Fest in Washington and over in Seattle, wherever it's at. Uh, Redmond. 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 Yep. Barrymore Park. You going to be there? No, uh, no, I won't be. You're this year. Out. Yeah. yeah. Um, Matt will be there. I won't be there either. It's a bummer. Yeah, that's a, that's a fun <laughs> one. There's so many good beers there. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say. It's incredible. Instead of staying with the rest of the Genus crew, which is their, their Airbnb is a 20-minute drive, which will take donations for their Airbnb costs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I am. I work a full time job, so I just got a hotel that was a twenty minute walk. <laughs> because Smart. I am not driving, and I'm also not crashing with four other people. Yeah, in an Airbnb. I, I can think of worse things. Uh, and then Iron Bre- uh, Iron Goat Brewing Company, one of the oldest breweries in Spokane. Uh, were they before or after the No Line name change? They were after. Ooh, before. Ooh. <clears throat> Because I know that used to be uh, that used to be uh, twelve strings kind of claim to fame because they were before the no line name change and so they counted it as a different brewery because different owners different name. Yeah, no. And I, so then the twelve string would tell everyone that they were the oldest brewery in Spokane. <laughs> that might technically make Iron Goat if they're before the. No, I think it's it. I think they're after it because uh, Iron. Goat, I remember when Iron Goat opened and it was no lie when I moved back to Spokane. Okay, well, top two. Yeah, so, yeah, um, yeah, because it used to be Orlson was up there for a long time and then. Yeah, well, I mean, if it's a new name, new brewery, then it, yeah, because Golden Hills was around for a long time. Yeah, I remember Golden Hills started when I was still down at Pullman. <laughs> oh, uh, the header's wrong, Peter. What's the head? Oh, you didn't change the header. I thought that was natural. Hey, we're going to talk about uh, uh, beer. Uh, well, uh, th- then the other uh, news is we have our Belgian Brett Ale on. Uh, the whatever it is called i can never pronounce the names of the beers here so um well peter fixes the title mitochondrialitis Mitochondrialitis. um it is absolutely delicious and amazing and everything and uh me and marcus decide we're gonna go coffee beers this morning yeah the coffee culture is fantastic yep and i have the uh coffee stout uh both are with uh caster munchers with the uh warren's coffee too right Yep, so nice. Warren, Warren, the amazing, arguably one of the sexiest people behind the, uh, the, 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 ta- the taps here. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's, it, that's why I said arguably. <laughs> hey, no, I'm the man in the chair. I turn, my, I turn the pad on while I'm over here, so if I'm talking, people can hear okay. me. Okay. 
Yeah. Um. So yeah. Um. But yeah. Uh. And then uh, other news I forgot to put down is uh we just had our first uh major ales for ALS event here in Spokane. I know a lot of the breweries have participated in the ales for ALS, uh, brewing for years. Yeah. Um. But we just had our first actual like event where Humble Boat legitimately shut down. Had it was only the event and they had jockey boxes set up in their uh, their doorway front doorway they opened up their garage so people can get in and out then they had it in the garage and then they had their actual taps oh fun so that was a blast um all ipas obviously because it's AL, because that's what people do with the als i think there's somebody who made a not ipa like a really hoppy there was a uh, uh there's i was just talking to somebody who made like a dark beer yeah oh no uh precious things the black ipa yeah no it was uh oh nice uh, the, it was the pastry people um you know what I'm talking about. Downtown, Tim and uh, David. Black Label? Oh, yeah. uh, Mountain Lakes. Mountain Lakes. Oh, Mountain Lakes, yeah. Yeah. They made like a, they made like a German chocolate cake or something like that. Well, that was a... That was on the last live stream. It was that ALS for ALS West. Yeah, but they also did uh, an IPA for the event. They did a session IPA for the event, too. Well, I like, to, I like my part of the story better. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. I say, yeah, the German uh, chocolate stout. Yeah, that was... That was profile. Oof. Yeah, I was going to say, that's... I... I, I I love that we like we do the IPAs with the AS for ALS, but I also like seeing what people can do with non-IPAs for yeah, that. Yeah, Because for you guys that don't know, it's a custom hop blend uh, by Yakima Valley Hops that they do every year, and they donate the hops to the brewery as long as you donate all proceeds of that beer to ALS Research. Yeah. So really cool um, and everything, but yeah, that was a super fun event that happened. And if you see those up in your brewery's tap rooms, make sure to have them. Yeah. Hell yeah, because it supports causes. <laughs> and they're always good. I mean, it's a good hot one. Yeah, I was going to so. say, it's, I've never tasty. had a bad one. Yeah. I, I've had like like a couple that I just wasn't thrilled with, but like the hot blend, it's, and I think that was more of just what they did with the malt rather than the, ah. the, the, the hops. But it, again, it was, it's, very, it's always been good. So, yeah. But I think that covers the beer news. So. Which means it's time for our... Beer of the week, beer of the week, And because we're doing British brown ales this, <laughs> I was this month. I about this. About <laughs> I was like, okay, I'll just dance. Yeah, what's going on? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like a dog when you walk in. I'm like, I'm happy to be here. I don't know why, but. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're doing, uh, and thank you for letting us know the title change because Peter is awesome. Woo. <laughs> um, but because we're doing the uh, beer styles, the British brown ales, we fig- I figured let's cover it. Um, so yeah, um, yeah. So British brown ales. We'll kind of speed run through some of the technical stuff. Basically, uh, this used to be the category of I believe it was the Northern English brown, uh, where it is the no, sorry, Southern English brown. Northern was a hoppy one. Southern was a slightly more caramely one. So this is uh, going to be this dark amber to reddish, um, very high clarity brown ale uh, that is medium alcohol, uh, between four and five, between four and six percent. Um, and it's going to have some distinct caramel characteristics, so it's going to be relatively sweet. Um, and uh, we'll speed run through some technical stuff, but then more or less we're going to talk about how you would portray something that's a very specific style within Browns, and maybe talk to about it, uh, talk about it with people that are just like, I want some, I want some Mac and Jacks, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so appearance is going to be that dark amber to dark grayish brown. You don't want to get into that the the kind of the blacks and dark browns at all that's you're definitely in the porter category there with that color um and it's going to be clear like you're going to be able to see relatively through it and the um yeah it's going to be an off-white kind of light tan head on that 
Yeah, and uh, aroma, we're gonna be, it's gonna be light, sweet, malty t aroma with toffee, nutty, light chocolate notes, uh, heady caramel quality. Uh, one of the ways you're gonna look at this is going to be, it's gonna have a lot of the same ruby tones as like an amber. So this is getting into like, uh, it's kind of the difference between a porter and a stout where you're gonna have, you know, either just direct black colors or you're gonna have that amber ruby hue. This is definitely in that amber ruby hue, so that caramel development is definitely there. Um, it's a relatively sweet beer and it's a little bit more alcohol than most uh, than most things in the brown category. Um, yeah, that's all I got. Yeah, <laughs> um, I was gonna say aroma. We're again that you're gonna you're gonna get those toffee, nutty, light, uh, and nutty is actually a very common. I would say a very common descriptor for a lot of British browns. Yeah. Oh yeah. I don't think I've seen one that doesn't use that as a descriptor. Did yeah. you also throw in malt, malt backbone though? You gotta say malt backbone. Malty backboner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's got this huge malty backbone. Um, yeah, and then, uh, so you're going to get, and it's not very hot poured, so you are, but you are still going to get some of those earthy floral hops. Um, I prefer more earthy hops personally. Yeah. To play around with that nutty. Um, <laughs> with that nutty malt boner. Yeah. Uh, and now Marcus is like, why did I sign up for this? No, I'm trying to find the chat here so I can. Um, then, uh, yeah, and then flavor as we're speed running. Uh, you're gonna definitely have that that malt sweetness um, there, the malt boner, um, <laughs> uh, light to caramel co uh, character, uh, some biscuity, just a little bit of chocolate notes um, there, and then medium body. As we said, it's gonna be a fairly clear beer. Medium high carbonation. You know, this is a this is I believe the style that Newcastle will fall under. Yes, yep. Newcastle will fall under. But I will add that, so all the nut ground browns pretty much are going to fall into this, but I'll add that Newcastle uses artificial caramel flavoring in theirs, and it's disgusting. I can never not taste that whenever I taste Newcastle. <laughs> I was going to say, oh, it's great. Now I'm going to go taste one. I'm like, oh, man. Yeah, I, know, I yeah. love this beer, too. <laughs> I can't get over it. It's one, like the first time I tasted it, and then right after I read that, I was like, yep, yep, You're there like, it no, is. That's the, that's, that's, that's the flavor I'm getting. Okay. Uh, yeah, when actually, uh, Adam Chumley, uh, to get into your, to your answer, uh, Kind of the cl uh, classic uh, ingredients are going to be British mild or pale malts. Um, I wouldn't say Mar Maris Otter is probably a fine malt for this. I mean, it is, it's got a strong malty boner. So, yeah. I mean, it's going to be pretty, <laughs> it's going to be a pretty hard malt bill. Uh, and then uh, there may be some, some dark, you could add chocolate malt. Um, what, it's one of the few categories that you're going to get some caramel or caramel hybrids in. It's just kind of hard to get away from in this style. If you wanted to get really technical and make something better, you can do process. But this is, I mean, this is designed to be a session beer. It's a, it's got all the malt big sweet flavors but it's designed to be a beer you can put back a number of them like newcastle what, mm. what would be your uh your quick off the top of your head beer recipe <laughs> if i was selling this to a brand new home brewer uh let's go all grain and i didn't want to go into my whole caramel spiel i'd probably just go 10 pounds of uh you know english pale halcyon would be my go-to because obviously and then it'd probably be just a little <laughs> bit of c75 probably like a half pound of c75 um, I'd add some sort of a biscuit quality to it, either an aromatic malt. I really like Franco Belge's aromatic malt, and a uh, small amount of pale chocolate, small amount of uh, roasted barley or carafa, actually, probably. So um, maybe like 0.25 of pale chocolate and uh, two ounces of carafa. And then hops, I just fuggles. <laughs> yeah, fuggles, just goldings, whatever, challenger. <laughs> yeah, and keep it simple um, and and fairly light hop additions, yeah, you just so you can get that aroma rather than the bittering. Uh, oh, did you know this is a wider ranging category with different interpretations, a lot of them, and then it ranges from lighter colored to hoppy, deeper, darker, caramel focused. 
I'm just trying to read. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of skipped all that. Uh, oh, the history is probably pretty cool. Brown ale has a long history in Great Britain, although different products that name uh, use that name at various times. Modern brown ale is a 20th century creation. Not the same as historical products uh, with the same name. A wide range of gravities were brewed, but modern brown ales uh, are generally the stronger ones by UK standards. Uh, this style is based on modern, strong British brown ales, not historical versions like the sweeter London brown ale. Also described in the historical beer category, predominantly but not exclusively a bottled product currently. Um, so all that to say, I, uh, as I've mentioned a lot of times, I memorized the pre-2015 style guidelines, and this was when they had Northern and Southern English Brown and English Mild. I think – is English Mild still in the ca- – someone look it up in the comments. Is English Mild still in the uh, – uh, Yes, it's actually 13A, I think. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, but that also mm. all used to be like the brown stuff that you can get out of Britain, and now it's uh, – now it's – differently categorized yeah it's uh, because i scrolled past that i think i'm not 100 percent sure cool uh patrick sandy asks caramel uh, malt substitutes that uh that doesn't involve making your own special be with an english yeast would that work um yeah that'd work uh, i don't like english yeasts that are too fruity on this style um just because i don't want it to get super swampy uh, i would say care munich's kind of the best hybrid malt um, I do like the idea of special B, but it'd be a very, very small quantity. You don't want this to turn into like a Belgian kind of feel. So. And then Tom actually mentions he likes using a little bit of brown sugar in it to get that sweetness. Nice. Oh. I can see that. Yeah. A little brown sugar. Brown sugar action. Uh, and Reverend, they legitimately just updated it, uh, I think, October or November. Yeah, we're now to like 2021 style guidelines. Yeah. So. I'm still uh, on 2008. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I refuse to memorize that many beer styles again, though. <laughs> There's that's, a, that's impressive. Uh, the <laughs> app, I'm going to say the BJCP app, is still 2015. Yeah, but they've updated in the app. It just still no, says, no, the app is legitimately still 2015 styles. They don't have the new ones? I thought it updates. No, the website's updated, but not the app. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's harder so, to update an app. That is, yeah, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't know. I was I, like, yeah, it's totally hard. I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't know anything about <laughs> how to update things. Uh, but yeah. Uh, Just hit a button on my phone, update. Yeah, yeah. there we go. That's how, that's how they do it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's talk about selling beer. Yeah. That's our topic for the day. Yeah. And uh, so there's a couple different things that go into selling beer as either, you know, either even as a home brewer, selling a beer to your friends, and so how to talk to beer about people who aren't in the beer world. Uh, and then there's also, I want to say, the commercial side, which you'll know pretty well, uh, where there's a lot more organization that goes into selling beer than people think. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, a lot of people just think it's walking in and all I'm doing is drinking beer all day long. Um, with, you know, which that'd be great. If it was. I mean, yeah, it would be, but my days wouldn't last very long because. <laughs> Unfortunately, you got to drive around town to every stop, so you can't drink beers everywhere. Otherwise, you're only working for like two hours before you can't be on the road anymore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Especially come wintertime when you're getting those big stouts out there. Do you ever time your last stop of the day to be like, all right, this one I'm probably going to like actually sit down in? Uh, yeah, actually, when you um, when you start figuring out your route, your your region, then you can plan your routes. I'm like, okay, I'm going to time it to where I'm here for lunch because I like this cheeseburger. <laughs> and then you just kind of work it and then you're like, all right, I'm going to make sure I'm at this place because I really like this manager, whatever. And we always sit down and have like, you start to learn which places want to taste the samples with you. Right. And which ones are like, just go ahead and leave them on the counter and leave a card and get out of there. And like, here you go. Okay. Yeah, and usually the, the tasters are the ones that are more likely to buy, right? Yeah. Gonna... Yeah. Because if, I mean, sales is, especially in beer the beer is going to sell itself what you got to do is you got to build a relationship with the customer mm-hmm. to be able to stand out you know 
like for the Spokane market, especially, there's so many good breweries out there. Yeah. There's only so many tap handles to be to be shared. Yeah. So it comes down to whether you know, a does your brewery make good beer, and b are you a personable, you know, are you a likable person that's trying to sell the beer? Because if I'm coming into you and I'm being a jerk to you, yeah, you're not gonna buy my beer. Well, and I, and I feel I mean, some people might be into that. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> and I was gonna say, and I feel like a lot of the Spokane sales reps have adopted the mentality of. Is you guys aren't trying to kick each other off of the taps. You're trying to kick the uh, the big the the big names off the yeah. taps. <laughs> yeah, you know, and like, because everywhere you go, most most places are gonna have a few handles that they have to dedicate to whatever ma- macro breweries they have to do it to, and then they'll have a handful of locals. And you know, and especially when I was first starting back in 2015, the beer scene was was exploding here in Spokane. So it's not like it, it's it's probably what half of what it is today but it was still a big market and uh, a very saturated market. But we all kind of worked together and kind of figured out like, okay, this brewery makes this beer really, really well. So they make it a lot better than I do. So I may not go after that brewery's tap handle, but hey, we make this beer really well. So we're gonna go after that specific handle usually. Yeah. Um, you know, especially if we're launching a new beer, then I'm gonna try and find locations that flow with that kind of beer like um we're talking about browns orlison's uh boulder garden brown when that came out that was an easy sell for me because one it was a fantastic beer and two um you know not a lot of places made browns so yeah it was a nice little niche for me but and then the other thing that we all did was like we looked out for each other because mm-hmm. of the macros would come in all the time and try and push us out like hey you know yeah they make an ipa but so do we and here and why don't you if you take our beer, we can provide you with more stuff than they can kind of stuff. And yeah. so us little guys had to stick together and it was kind of cool because we'd always look out for each other. And like, <clears throat> you know, I know um, Kyle Yai used to rep out here too. And him and I would actually travel together. Um, to he came from my alma mater. <laughs> <laughs> I, was a, I, was, I was a PCB startup guy. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he did a lot of different ones. He did Paradise Creek for a while. He did 12 strings for a bit. Yeah. Did yeah. he do 12 strings before he did Paradise I think I yeah, believe so, yeah. Paradise Creek? Paradise yeah, I think, I think he got his start because he's a Spokane <clears throat> guy through yeah, and through, through and through. 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 Gotcha, yeah. yeah. And now now he works with uh, Dry Fly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, he wore, uh, when, yeah, I was Paradise Creek, but, um, yeah. but yeah, uh, when, so when you're, uh, when you're out there, I just <clears throat> hit puberty real quick. Um, <laughs> when you're out there uh, snagging tap handles and talking about, you, you, you talked about, um, trying to help uh, other local old breweries get you know tap handles on uh, that they've got a really good version of it and you've got a good version and they'll kind of help you out too that probably benefits yeah. both rather than stealing a tap handle because then the the keg's going to turn over faster right yeah so turnover is a big deal yeah yeah turnover is huge because you know you don't want your beer sitting there for two months because then they're never going to buy another keg from you again yeah um but and you know the other thing was is the better the smaller guys do the better the rest of us small guys are doing. Yeah. Because, you know, if we can convince places to start pushing those macros out of their tap handle list and it, it opens up more tap handles for us local guys and we get more to share, we get we get a bigger piece of the pie. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and then Jimmy actually had a great question is what are, what are you guys' thoughts on doing like a specific beer for like, uh, I'm thinking uh, Bellwether does the Cochinito Amber Lager. Oh, like an in-house. Yeah. Like, like an in-house beer. Um, you know, those are... Those are tend to be pretty interesting to do. Um, I always enjoyed doing them because it guaranteed me a tap handle. <laughs> it guaranteed me cake sales, so I was always trying to promote it. But at the same time, you know, as a as a sales guy, you got to talk to your brewers and your production staff and 
see if they're on board for it too. Especially, you know, like um, we had a few places that we, we were there designated house beer. Um, and some of them, it was just a beer that we made and we sold a ton of, and we just made new, new tap handles for them and called it what, you know, what it was. Um, and others, they requested us to make a specific one. And those ones are the ones you really want to talk to your brew staff about because yeah. they might not have time to do it, or maybe they don't want to do that style or they don't like to do that style. Right. Um, but yeah, I know at yeah, Paradise no. Creek, they had one that, uh, they did for, that's when, cause I worked at Paradise Creek when I worked at uh, Birch and Barley at the same time where I just left Paradise Creek. And so, okay. um, uh, so, but we did a hand, we did two different beers actually for, uh, um, Birch and Barley down there. And so it was a guaranteed, like, and it, one of them was their house, uh, like light beer. And one of them was a house IPA. Okay. And so yeah. that was like the fastest turning turnover handles too. So yeah. it was a guaranteed, like, a, you know, 10 kegs per beer per month. Yeah. And that's, what was, <clears> you know, they are nice to have because of that exact purpose. And, you know, Anytime you go in and a restaurant has its own beer, you're probably going to go with it. Or at least ask about it, right? Yeah, because, you know, you're, you're figuring their, their menu is probably going to pair really, most of their menu is going to pair really well with that specific beer, so why not at least get some information on it and, and at least try it? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, then it was the uh, the guaranteed keg sales that were always, always nice <laughs> on the back uh, end. What are your thoughts on, uh, speaking of food pairings, doing, like, beer dinners? Oh, those were so much fun. Oh, I do miss those. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, especially you go run one of those, do you, you do you usually get to the um, does the restaurant usually give you some of the food too? To um, yeah, so like all the ones I did when I when I was setting them up, then we I'd have go and have a meeting with the chef and mm -hmm. figure out okay, what are you going to you know I'd bring in everything I I could, and we'd sit there and I'd sit there with the chef and do samples, and he would talk about okay, nice. this is what I'm thinking about doing, and then you know we he'd come up with a menu for it, and then usually the day of arrival I would get there and I would get to taste everything or. And then, uh, then I would, sometimes I would switch beers around because I'm like, you know what, this is actually going to taste better with this and right. move it around a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love doing the beer pairings with food. It was so much fun. And then, and then, yeah, you know, yeah, I'm there for work, standing there talking to each, as each course comes out, talking about the beer that we're giving them and everything. But right. What do you go with? I went with the double IPA to start off with. <laughs> <laughs> okay. As I say, I brought a breakfast. Yeah, I saw. Stout, and then you brought my favorite beer, oh. <laughs> <laughs> the Dark Persuasion. Oh yeah, the darker. Oh, that's ooh, that's the dark. Oh, I haven't had that one yet. <laughs> yeah, that was gonna be fun. Um, but yeah, so you know, the um, so, I son love of a Lisa, Lisa swearing at you. Son of a Birch is the name of the Birch and Barley oh, okay. Wandale that we made. Oh, nice. <laughs> I just assumed that she was swearing at you without actually swearing at you. <laughs> Son of a birch. No, it actually, so it tried to, it tried to, um, I had to unhide it. It tried to like uh, flag it as something that was inappropriate. So I had to like let it, let it out there. Yeah, I, I, I just unflag everything that a regular say. Yeah, I mean, for the most part. Yeah. Feel free to cuss in the chat. We'll, we'll let it go. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, no, I, I, I mostly asked that because I just did Yaya's uh, beer lunch they did. Oh, cool. That's fun. Uh, yeah. And that was, and that one was actually, I felt like a, a little bit of unique because the chef actually used the beer in a lot of the dishes, okay. in several of the dishes. Yeah. Those ones are fun too. Cause then, you know, especially if you're just doing the pairing with it, it makes it really easy. Like, Oh, he used my red ale in this sauce. So now it's paired it up yeah. with it. Yeah. Oh, this is the, they use the IPA for the um, batter for the fried fish. Perfect. We're going to slide an IPA to go with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, IPA and uh, fish and chips are pretty hand that's, in that's, hand. That's, that's a, yeah, that's a, that's a good combo. Uh, here's a fun question from Seven Sadamire. First of all, thanks for the super chat. Um, open up the BJCP app and tell me tell 
you which styles we can't do with Heidi and the bunch of acid malt? That is a great question. And I would love to take that challenge like as an actual challenge. Um, <laughs> do you want me to do just randomly? Do you want him to randomly choose one? Sure. Uh, yeah. You can, uh, I have the app on a, my phone. So. <laughs> <laughs> there, I mean, I, off the top of my head, there's a handful of styles that I think would be very, very difficult to do. But uh, what uh, – so uh, my other question would be what other tools can I, do, can I use? Can I, can I use an oven? Can I use – can I – do I have to just brew it with my normal brewing equipment? Well, I'm thinking like, yeah, it's like as a home brewer, what would you – I don't think there's – I don't think there's a style I can't do. Yeah. Mm. That'd be interesting. Do I have access to enzymes? That's the other question. If not, I could do, an, I could do a mash rest. But yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting question. Wow. And beer style, not the mead styles that are hidden at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you hovering over those for a moment. Well, there's mead on here and there's well, some ciders. <laughs> Go ahead and try, try and do one of these, huh? Uh, I mean, sure, just look at the categories. I'll just start with this category. How about just anything in the strong Belgian ales? Strong Belgian ales. So your Belgian Blonde, your Saison, or your Belgian Golden Strong. So those would be very difficult because of the simple sugar additions. But if I could do an acid rest and do a mash, like a really, really low uh, uh, mash temp, if I could do a mash ramp, I can draw out uh, very simple sugars from just the malt. And I think what I would do is then cook that sugar solution down with some acid malt, invert those sugars, and use it as an addition back in the boil. Um, other than that, I mean, Heidi and... Uh, um, that's how I'd kind of make an invert sugar. Then the Heidi and acid malt would go great just for the regular mash. And he's just saying he just limited you on malty. Any any other processes and techniques? In then then we're good. Like if I can if if I can take Heidi and throw it in the oven, like I can make all my roast malts. Like I, yeah. I, I don't think there's a style I can't make. Yep. And then Reverend actually asked. It'd be fun it. to try though. That'd be a really fun like whole video. Just be like, <laughs> all right, if I only have these two malts, how do I make a porter or something like that? Like, yeah. Well, I hear I hear another video on the docket of. Oh, man. That's actually an exciting challenge. Like I'm, that'd be really fun to do. I will add it to the list that we can convince them. Because everyone's like, "Oh, you've got to have caramel malts in this." Like everyone tells me, "You've got to have caramel malts." I'm like, mm, "No, you don't. <laughs> you don't figure have it. to do anything if you exactly. don't want to." Um, but getting back uh, about like uh, just after Jimmy to comment about the having uh, house beer, uh, Reverend said that is a white lab uh, label project. Depending on your storage or ability to keep up with demand, is it worth it? Uh, is it worth the discount or promotion? Discount, no. Promotion, yes. I was going to say, I never get a discount on anything. Our beers are priced the way the beers are priced because yeah. it just comes down to cost and, you know, labor and time and everything that goes into it. So, you know, each brewery has its own different overhead. So that's why you'll see some variances in the keg prices. And you have to keep that. You have to keep those bills paid to keep the lights on and keep making beer for people. So <laughs> there was never really a discount on it but the promotion was definitely worth it oh yeah well and you're it's, offering value too i mean because you're helping promote like their be their brand by having them have a house beer yeah and so. a lot of times like the you you also like i know bellwether like again because that's the one i know really well here in spokane yeah they also keep that beer on tap at the brewery so that when people ask they can be like oh yeah it's the house beer of this restaurant you guys can head down there which is probably the best tacos in Spokane. Yeah. <laughs> Cochinitos is <laughs> yeah, it's like, good. it's also $7 in, well, pre-pandemic, I haven't been back since pandemic, but it's like $7, two tacos aside, and like five minutes it was out, yeah. out in front of you. 
It's not a bad idea for a smaller brewery specifically because that also, if you have a house beer for a well-known, uh, for a well-known uh, food brand in, in the area, mm-hmm. that adds a, uh, adds value to your own brand. It adds a credibility to yeah, your Yeah, so yeah, it adds, adds a, a credibility and, um, you know, in this industry, reputation is everything. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's why you guys put in all the to work to make sure the beer is good before it even has a sniff of fresh air outside the brewery. Yeah. You know, because... <clears throat> one bad batch can absolutely destroy an entire brewery. So yeah, reputation is everything and well, and not providing only a solid constant beer for a restaurant every time other other restaurants are going to take notice. You're going to start getting phone calls about, "Hey, we know you guys do this for these guys. Can we talk about it maybe doing it with us?" Yeah. And I was going to say and not just the one bad beer tr- destroys your reputation. One bad beer can turn someone off of craft beer. That's the thing is if someone goes in and gets like like a brand new beer craft beer drinker goes in and has a bad beer it's going to yeah. be a long time before they go back and have another beer mm-hmm. like they need to get better friends <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, there's a there's a handful of breweries that kind of suffered that i think for the first year two years of their life just because they you know they started out without getting their feet fully under them uh, they made some yep. bad beers because they didn't understand the system which is totally understandable new systems are hard to learn um but uh yeah, once they do that, then people go there like, ah, I really couldn't drink anything. And it takes a long time to like... To get bring people back, yeah. Unless you got a really, really, you know, awesome area to hang out in. Yeah. I was going to say, well, I'll, I'll give <clears throat> mostly because I love these guys and they know I love them. Uh, Black Label, there was a period of time where their beers absolutely were garbage. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's it came down to is they thought they bought the, uh, the fer- fermentation tanks that were fully welded on yeah, instead yeah. of the screw on. Well, they also had a scorching issue early yeah. on too, because they didn't understand the uh, the heat sink that they made with the uh, with the direct fire burner, mm-hmm. uh, and they masoned around it to fit their HVAC requirements, um, which was kind of stupid for the fire department to make them do that. But also, that made it so they had a huge hot spot right under their kettle. Yeah, and so they had a lot of scorching issues too early on. Yeah, but they've they've turned it around. Their beers are oh, their beers def- are fantastic. They, yeah. yeah, and their environments though, like that's one of my favorite places to go. Like, oh yeah, you just go hang out in the back of the Saranac building. Yeah, and yeah. If they're right next to uh, uh, the comic shop, and so you can go like <laughs> you can you can check out a game for free from the comic book store. Like obviously they want you to buy something eventually, but like you can just go and ask for a game to go play at Black Label. Oh fun! Yeah, I was, I've, I was done. Like I go and I do my shopping at the comic book shop, and then I'll walk. I'm like, well, while I'm here. Might as well have a beer. Right? And also now they have pizza. <laughs> yeah, they got pizza. They, yeah, it's it's a dope place to hang out, and the beers are really good too. Yep, uh, I was gonna say, and hopefully I'll get them on at some point in time. I have a list of people to get on. <laughs> yeah, that'd be dope. It just it, I keep. Sundays, I would always end up at Community Pie, and me and Marcus would end up talking about the live stream, and eventually I was like, oh, I just need to bring you on, because we keep talking about, me and Sam kept talking about getting a sales, like, someone that knows sales on. Yeah. Um, because uh, that's the other thing, is I know you guys are all, like, homebrewers and stuff, and want to get into production, but starting off as, a, like, getting in as a sales rep to to a local brewery is a great way to get into the beer industry. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I knew I drank beer. I knew I liked beer when I got hired by the brewery. <laughs> Other than that, I didn't really know much about it. And um, now, you know, like a lot of my friends, I'm their go-to turn when they got questions about it, which I think is really cool because, you know, especially if you have a passion for beer. Yeah. Getting in as a sales rep or even just as, as a taproom employee is your best bet to get in. And then you could start, you know, talking with the brewers and picking their brains and, you know, really getting to do into the research. And most, you know, especially most smaller breweries, they're going to be pretty rad, especially if you're, good, if you're a good home brewer. They're gonna let you play around on the pilot system every once in a while. Yeah, um, you know, well, like, mostly because the brewer wants a break. <laughs> <laughs> and also, you know, it's 
most brewers aren't just like, no, it's my way and only my way. You know, they're, o- they're open to suggestions. They're open to trying new things. And, and so, you know, if you start out in the tap room and you come to them like, hey, I made this beer at home. And they try and like, hey, that's actually really good. You know, let's talk about it. Let's, let's maybe work on this and, and let's make a batch of it and put it in the tap room and see how it goes. Yeah. You know, I got to do that a couple times. And, ah, oh, man, that was just so much fun to be able to do. Like, and you never know when, you know, a brewer's assistant's going to call out sick on a brew day. Yeah. And you, you get called up. <laughs> and you're gonna learn real quick on how to make beer, or or on a very large system. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> or or you get into that situation where it's like, hey, I know I'm not gonna have position opening, but so and so down the road is looking for an assistant brewer. You've helped me out some. Yeah, I'm gonna lose you, but hey, I want you to grow because that's the big thing. Like, uh, I know that uh, Lumberbeard, which is the beer that we're drinking. Uh, the a cellarman from River City went to be the the assistant brewer at Lumberbeard, and there was no hard feelings. Like those guys yeah. all still talk. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, they're still all great friends and stuff. But it was like, hey, this is a better opportunity for you, and that's what a lot of the small breweries do. And you were commenting about like the sales rep being friends of each other. Yeah. Mostly because you guys also see each other at beer festivals all the time. I was gonna say, yeah, we I mean we spend a lot of time together. It makes out. the after parties way more fun. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, the stories we get into. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. But yeah, and you know that's the other thing is you know most people that are getting into the beer industry are they're they're doing it because they enjoy beer, you know they're not so and they have a passion for it and when they you know as an employer if you see that passion in somebody you don't want to hold them back from that passion because yeah. you know if you think about it you're like well if somebody had done that to me I wouldn't be where I am today so you know like you said when. When they transferred from River City over to Lumberbeer, there was they they were happy for him. They were super excited and stoked for him to be able to have that opportunity to continue to grow in the industry. And you know, you never know. He may end up coming back around. You know, if your head brewer that yeah, he learns else moves on and yeah, someone else will. He may come back around in another position, or you know, la- make a unilateral move and come back as an assistant brewer after learning things, which would be great because then he's got more experience. He's got more experience. You know, he learned from another brewer, so then he can come over to this one and they can pick brains and work and you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, I, I think the, the example is Iron Goats. Three of their brewers are now head brewers at different locations. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say Adam, <laughs> Rachel, and Scotland. <laughs> Yeah, and given the fact that Rachel was a head brewer before she went and worked yeah. for Agrico, <laughs> uh, there is change of ownership that she just decided that it was time for her to look for other opportunities, and now she's a head brewer over at TTS. Yep, uh, making awesome beer. Yeah, as and also, you guys go find the uh, Willet Brew episode with Rachel and uh, boost it because. The more I can convince you guys to boost any of the Willet Brew videos, the more likely Peter's going to say yes eventually. <laughs> they take so long to produce and edit, and they get. I think our number one Willet Brew is like barely over ten thousand views, which I mean, duh, it's not bad, but considering how many hours of labor we put into them, it definitely isn't. I mean, I could probably not put you know four hundred dollars worth of lobsters into beer. That might help bring the cost down. But. <laughs> yeah. And you guys kept putting four hundred dollars of lobsters into beers. <laughs> That was the start of a revolution. <laughs> Putting lobsters into beer is not one of my favorite things to do. It's, yeah. Oh, I got to, I see my wheel started turning as a, as a sales rep. I'm like, oh yeah, just bam, house beer at high tide. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I bet you a lobster, uh, lo- lobster cerveza or something like that would be pretty good. Lobster, uh, light, some, some light lobster beer. I was going to say, you guys haven't done a light lobster beer yet. We haven't. Well, well we, I, did, I, <laughs> we did, well, I think we did it. We did a wheat. No, Damon did a wheat. That wasn't bad. 
And all of ours were like Gruitz, like Braggot kind of things. Yeah. But I think the beer that I made with Octopus, that one would have been a great lobster beer. How did you use lobster instead of octopus? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just switch out the ingredients, boom, good to go. <laughs> okay, please, please tell me, are you guys doing seafood beers as the next Valley Cup? Uh, I will oh not disclose God. that. I will not disclose that. Because <laughs> I know there there's some mixed feelings about that. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally down for it. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, you want to start a revolution, mm-hmm. package it in a cup or a festival setting, and people, oh yeah, will take it. I was gonna say there's a reason. Like there's a reason Mountain Lakes does super well at festivals. Because I don't know why we didn't do a lobster beer for a beer in the Northwest. We got to do it for in the Northwest. That's yeah, oh, yeah, at a Vista, yeah. That'll put our name on the map. I was going to say, or <laughs> actually do it for that and Among the Pines. They're both about the same time. Oh, yeah. Double lobster beer. Yep. Duty. <laughs> now we got to come up. Okay. Brain's going off the rails. <laughs> In general, I think it's a good idea to support all people that you work with and, and, and uh, let them grow professionally regardless. We've got some people that have done that here at Genus. And, like, it's all – if you're the kind of employee slash employer group of people that uh, – thinks that you have rights to any one employee and and that they should stay with you even though you don't support them wanting to grow and be better at whatever they want to do, then that just means you're a bad uh, place to work. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you're not going to last very long in this industry. Yeah, for sure. This is a very <laughs> friendly industry. Like, I, I love the fact that the sales reps are all uh, – I mean, yeah, I mean, even if you do try to steal some some beer handles, which I think is totally fine. I think yeah, how, I mean, it's, that's how the nature. competition is a thing. Yeah, right? that's, that's, that's the nature of the job. You've you got to go after a few of them, but um, – you know, but there's 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 two ways to go about it. There's hey, you know, their beer is really good, but I have this one for you to try as well. So you know, yeah. when that one goes, maybe give me give this rotation, one a shot. Right? Yeah, give me this one a shot. And then there's the the other side of the which these folks tend to not last super long, but they'll go in and just start talking trash on other breweries beers. Like, oh, that beer is such a piece of crap. It's garbage. I can't even believe you guys sell that. You guys need to bring mine on. I guarantee. You know. Yeah. And then they start throwing guarantees out there. I guarantee it's going to sell better than that wastewater and it's like mm, that's not gonna work yeah you're not gonna because that will because if you do that and i follow in and the bar manager's like man you know that person from xyz is really talking crap about you beer like oh really yeah. what beer do they bring and i'll sit there and then we'll just have a personal like they thought this one was better than ours okay yeah <laughs> you know kind of <laughs> like the bar managers and stuff the restaurant managers will recognize it a lot of times so that's why usually when you see a sales rep, whether it's at a festival or at a tasting event or even in the tap room, um, you know, the smiles that are on her face aren't fake. Yeah. It's just who we are. We're generally happy, like fun people to be around for the most part. That's what makes us good at sales. <laughs> I was going to say, my favorite people to hang out like when I'm out and about are actually like, I enjoy hanging out and talking to all the brewers, but I really enjoy drinking with the sales reps. Like, <laughs> the amount of beer fests I've gone to, like gone to get food after with a sales rep yeah. is like amazing and you think brewers can drink sales reps <laughs> really can drink it's literally our job <laughs> it's it's there's it's so it's always a party yeah it's, and again it's because they are happy very happy people and usually it's like oh my god i can't believe like you guys brought that that's awesome yeah i can't believe you were brave enough to bring that or <laughs> yeah. to beer fest it's or, like, or you should get pulled off the side like are you guys really doing a lobster beer? No way. Can, All right. can I try let, it? Yeah, let me know when it's done because I want to come try it. <laughs> yeah, that's the way to go. Yeah, it's um, yeah, but yeah, I was gonna say, like, again, sales reps are like 
some of the nicest people. Like, I can name three of the current or two of the current sales reps in Spokane that like still are sales rep. Well, one that's still a sales rep, Ante. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And then uh, Kevin Green was been a sales rep for years, and everyone loves him. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's selling malt now. Yeah, he's uh, he's been everywhere. He's yeah, uh, yeah he's got works works for uh, the. F- well, he sold me that malt. <laughs> proximity. <laughs> yeah. You can't see it, but he sold the proximity malt. To, um, SBS Foods, something like that. I forget yeah. the company is. All I know is, is I, me and Kevin are going to become very good friends once I start brewing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah. then the like the link, and again, like all the link malt sales guys are awesome like some of the friendliest guys on the market <laughs> i think just any anything associated with like link and that whole group they're just like the humblest nicest people that, yeah like they they're i don't know there's not a bad bone in their body yeah so. and, and that, you know it's when you get into companies like you start finding companies like that they're, they're going to hire employees that are like that and you know because it's their rep again it comes back to a reputation of a company yeah you know your sales rep is your face of your company yeah you know it's the face of the brewery the face of the malt the malter um so you need, you know, you want those people to be smiling and upbeat and happy people. And, you know, like you said with Link, everybody there is just good, solid people because you tend to attract your own tribe. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. and, and they have, I mean, they have a mission and they really believe in their mission too. Their mission is to be sustainable, local, organic, like all, maybe not organic, but sustainable, local, all the, all the, all the things. But like they, they believe it with a purpose. Like what they're doing is not just creating quality everything but it's also just it's creating quality everything with a purpose and it's it's not doing that to shit on anybody else or say anybody else is doing anything bad or wrong it's doing it because if they occupy more of that space then they think the world's gonna be a better place so yeah if they yeah. just do a good job of what they do then they're gonna make the world a better place and they say that in a in, in my from my experience i've said that in the in the humblest way which is that they're not trying to uh, attack or go against anybody kind of like we talked about yeah they're just like hey if we occupy this space and the, 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 we're, we're doing good for the world we believe in what we're doing yeah so. <clears throat> and then i'm just going to real quickly say because it's just popped my head also become friends with your sales reps because when there's a beer festival happening <laughs> they will no they if you're good friends with you as a sales rep and you have your mask like there is a decent chance like i've poured for Olson when you were busy for something i had other yeah because sometimes you just Especially then, in the summertime, you get three, four festivals going on around the state at the same time, and I can only be in one spot. Yeah, yeah so they sent me with uh, their taproom manager um, down to the Palouse Cabin. This is the Palouse Cabin Beer Fest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 I, that was fun. That, that, it, that's a little bit of a shit show <laughs> um, when you're on the brewing side because they just keep drinking the beer once it's done. But, yeah, but like, uh, uh, you'll, like there's a chance that they're like, hey, we're this big beer fest. Like, come with me like so that way i can take a break and wander around and grab some beers or like uh, go sit or grab a quick bite to eat or something because like yeah because you know those festivals can get grueling you know you're on your feet you're, you're there a couple hours before the gates open nbc um i'd be around you folks rep and ky dungeness is greater than lobster i think dungeness would be even more expensive than lobster if we made a Dungeness Crab beer with the amount of Dungeness Crab we'd have to put in there. <laughs> oh, geez. Be... That is a carbonated beer. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have to put the shop up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you could take out a mortgage on the shop. Yeah. Yeah, even just like a two-barrel. That'd probably be like $4,000 worth of crab minimum. Yeah, good. But I let's do help. it, yeah. If you guys donate enough money, we won't make a Dun- Dungeness Crab beer. <laughs> you can only imagine trying to sell that keg to somebody. Like, yeah, one keg of beer, and it's... Eighteen hundred dollars. The right, I mean, the right, the right people. Oh, I mean, that there's there's a market for everything, and it'll absolutely go. And I was gonna say, I'm, right, I'm, I specifically chose this beer for the NBC. 
It's a very small NBC, but we're doing too. it. Uh, mandatory beer chug. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we didn't prep me for nothing, did you? <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, here you go. Cheers. What up? Josh just showed up for all you. Number <laughs> <laughs> for live super chat train. Yeah, if the super chat gets us enough to buy that many Dungeons Crabs, then we're definitely doing it tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was a really good question up here that I wanted to answer, but now I oh, uh, Brett and Leo, when checking the pH of the mash with a recipe uh, where I start the mash hot, how much time do we have to correct the pH? Uh, and then there's a follow-up question. Is it good to start at a lower temperature to have time to correct the pH? Uh, yes. Uh, first of all, don't start the mash hot and don't degrade your enzymes. Um, I, I would start lower just regardless. But um, you have probably, I, th I think I've read studies that say as low as six minutes before things start denaturing. And uh, I would go le less than 10. Seven Sodomer, let's get to Peter's Knoxville travel money, everyone. Hell yeah. Hey, I was going to say, Peter's going to Knoxville is going to drag me along. Hell yeah. I'll do it. <laughs> sure. Like, that's... Also, I just kind of want to meet... Everybody? <laughs> homebrew for life, because, like, I've, like, popped in his videos enough to say hi. <laughs> well, if you go... So, if we, if we go to Knoxville, there's also the Asheville, like, really, really close. And so, see what you're saying? If we go to Knoxville, then there's also, like, a short travel up there, and we can maybe meet with the uh, claw, claw hammer dudes. Yeah, I would absolutely love to meet those guys, as I just... My day job, I legitimately just put beer videos on. So I've watched a lot of your guys' beer videos, those who do internet stuff. Uh, Party Time Brewing, I need to watch your stuff. You're on my list. Party Times are very entertaining to watch. I like watching your stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, also, uh, if anyone can find a wedding for us to shoot in that area, then we'll just pay for our own travel and shoot the wedding with that money that we would make from shooting the and wedding. And I would, so. I would just come along to be the, 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 the drinker, the you, AKA drinker. You can be the sound guy. Hey, I, I'm okay with that. <laughs> like, I've gotten way better at sound. Yeah. So, sound or holding, yeah. holding light panels. Exactly. Yeah. You just got the walk around with the boom just. mic. <laughs> um, yeah. I was going to say, mostly because I'm trying to eventually be able to quit my full time, my current day job. <laughs> NBC or MCC? Dealer's choice? Oh, what are you guys getting me into now? I don't know. What's MCC? I'm guessing Cider Chug. Oh. Oh. He owns a cidery, or he doesn't own a cidery. He he is the head. He was a brewer at a brewery at Woodby Island, and now he's a brewery at a cider a cid, brewer at a cidery. Yeah, okay. a cider maker. Where, I don't know what he, we'll ask Trent in a couple weeks. I will eat that uh, responsibility. Also, Reverend KY, are you going to? I know you were thinking about it. Are you actually going to go to the Washington Brewers Fest so I can actually meet you? <laughs> No, we have. There's two of our regulars in the live stream are showing up to the the beer fest. Oh, fantastic! <laughs> yeah, um, and you you Thank make you. how much Saturday are you bringing Matt? Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. Also, Daniel, if you watch this video or if you're in the chat, how much beer are you bringing me? Because like I am legitimately taking a cooler stuffed full of ice packs that then the freezer fridge at the hotel I'm staying at. That's the other reason I'm staying at hotels. So, <laughs> just have a fridge for beer. <laughs> Um, I'm actually going to talk to one of the breweries there and say, hey, can I just stash these ice packs at your brewery so I could take beer back to a brewery? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm like, one of the brewers and owners, like me and him, when he was over here, got chatting and became semi-friendly. There you go. 
Semi-friendly. Yeah. <laughs> they went to a motel. That rented by the hour. Uh, hey, Reverend, Adam, Adam's willing to buy you. Oh, sweet. Okay, cool. Yeah. I, I was like, I got gas money for Reverend to come over. <laughs> and Boom. Going to happen. And going to uh, make it happen. Three beers. Awesome. Yeah. And we'll... Now you wish you were going, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. That's this coming weekend, though, right? No, it's two weeks. Two weekends. Two weeks. Yeah. Oh, gosh. You're like, maybe. I might have to make it happen. I thought it was this coming weekend. I was like, oh, no, I'm already. Oh, I no, could probably it's, call it's always it. Father's Day weekend. That's it, right. It, yeah, it's, yeah, it's Father's Day. That's right. So, I was going to say, the, 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 Red, the Redmond Inn is completely booked out. Oh, yeah, no, I remember trying to find one. No, but actually, the, the other, there's, the uh, years I went over, there, like, there's the other, there's the other Redmond hotel that was like, still had like four or five rooms yesterday when I booked. <laughs> it might just be one of those, like, Roll a sleeping bag in the back of the Jeep and just yeah, there we go. <laughs> just parking lot camping. I wanna, I want a Class B motorhome, but I mean, a Class B you can just drive it anywhere. Like that's your sleeping area. The yeah. only downside right now is that they're gonna get like twelve miles to the gallon. I was gonna say fuel and is right, so right now gas is like a billion dollars per uh, minute. I don't know, Peter. So what's, did what's we get the Chumley package? Huh? Have we gotten the Chumley package yet? Yes, one of the cans uh, leaked in transit though, so one of the cans is deflated. Uh, but the rest of them look good. Uh, wait, did you toss that can or is it still in there? Still in there. Let's crack that open here in a bit. <laughs> I mean, it's probably super oxidized, but we can do it. <laughs> I, I figured live stream, let's just get it done. <laughs> yeah, why not? After the pastry stout. <laughs> uh, but yes, we did get your package, and thank you very much. Uh, by the way, uh, really quick question. Why did you choose Lumberbeard as three of the four beers <laughs> that you brought? Honest answer? Yeah. That's what was in my fridge. <laughs> 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 um, hey, that's solid. Yeah. And again, Lumberbeard is a great solid brewery. Like they opened right before the pandemic started. Um, yeah, I think they maybe maybe had a, about a year. Yeah, they they were pretty close though. Like it felt pretty close. Like, yeah, because it was. Yeah, because I had just gotten out of Orlison had just closed up, so I had just gotten out of the industry. And when they moved in, and I saw their label, I was like, well. <laughs> I might need to go talk to these guys, <laughs> but I had started going to school for something else, and uh, actually, we thought I was done with the industry, and then the pandemic happened, and my school schooling closed, and I found myself looking for work, and just kept getting offers from my other breweries to come hang out with them, and I was like, if "You're gonna pay me to just hang out and talk to people? Like, absolutely, I'll do that Hell all yeah. day long." So, so that's actually going to lead into a good question that I have is how. Because you can tell when you got someone that it knows what they're t- like, knows what they're drinking. Mm-hmm. You got the homebrew that thinks they know what they're drinking, <laughs> and then you got the person that has no clue what they're drinking. How do you sell like certain beers, or how do you find the beer that's going to be the best fit for them? Uh, well, I always start off with a couple questions. You no, know, usually it's like I usually just ask them, "Hey, what is your go-to when you're not out around? Like, what? Yeah, what's your grocery store buy?" And then, okay, because that, that'll usually t- typically give me at least a style to start focusing on, whether it be an IPA or they only drink, you know, stouts, or, you know, I can start going in there. And then you start, you know, getting into, especially, you know, because we're just going to stick with the IPAs because it's the most popular thing for everybody right now. You know, then you start asking little deeper questions. You know, do you like it more piney, resiny, and dank, or do you like it more citrusy, floral, and aromatic? And as soon as you ask those two questions, you can pretty much gauge on where their beer knowledge is. Because if you say, you know, piney, resiny, dank, and they make this face like, 
that doesn't sound good at all. Yeah. They're probably not that knowledgeable. So then you just start breaking them down to simpler terms. Like, okay, do you, you know, because you can ask, like, do you want a West Coast or a New England? And people would kind of cock their head, like, okay. Then you usually start breaking down to flavor profiles. And then you have to get down even further, like, all right, do you, do you want to be able to see through it or not see through it? And sometimes you just got to get it down to that level. You just got to start talking to the person to figure out, you know, where their knowledge is at. And, you know, like you said, with a, a lot of people, myself included, I'll catch myself every once in a while, I'll get talking. Even though Tim just showed ass. up, he's not going to get on the live stream. He can stand in the background. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too comfortable here now. <laughs> yeah, we got like two minutes. Um, yeah, it's just a matter of, you know, talking to him and, and figuring out <clears throat> where their knowledge is and then just you bringing up, like, thankfully, I, because I've been in the industry long enough and I've been behind the bar and worked with the, as many brewers as I have, I have a very large knowledge of, of the industry and of the beers and styles and stuff. So it's a little easier for me, but... I mean, I guess to get back to your question, it, find out where their knowledge base is mm -hmm. on it, and then you can hold your conversations to that level. Like, you know, you can have this super technical conversation with the brewers and the home brewers, but it just, you know, Joe Schmo off the street, you might want to dumb it down just or, a little bit. Or the home brewer, uh, and if you're a home brewer, Uncle Jimmy, who has no clue what the beers are. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the, the reason I ask that is because I still remember my first. I grew up with having some Moose Jewel and Alaskan Amber in, in the house, which are both good craft beers. Yeah. But, like, what I consider my first, like, oh, God, this is real craft beer was in Bellingham and after my 21st. And at that point in time, college student, I was drinking Rainier, PBR. And my friends that were a couple years older than me dragged me to Boundary Bay. Oh. And the guy sat there and spent a good, like, four or five minutes asking me questions about flavors like what flavors did i eat what flavors did i like yep and then to this day it's still one of my perfect beers like i've had the beer since but it was the experience the time the boundary bay oatmeal stout and so that's why i asked yep, that yep, question yeah and it's and honestly like for me you know like i said i like being behind the bar i like talking to people so if you come in and you're not really sure talk to your bartender talk to you know talk to your rep whoever it is that's back there whoever you're getting your beer from because Nine out of ten times, they're gonna enjoy having that conversation with you, and especially if they're not busy. Like if you go in and yeah, if, if I'm if I'm slammed and you want to talk to me about what the OG and FGs were on this beer, I'm probably gonna give you a look like, dude, come on, really right yeah, now? Like, like I'm trying to move through a line. I will come back to you for a conversation when I slow down, but that's you know. Well, and I was gonna say I'm like given the fact that I'm gonna be brewing for a new brewery, and the guys enjoy beer that are gonna be bartending. They they don't necessarily know beer. Yeah, I, um, and you know, so I'm making this little <clears throat> index card of perfect. And just here's the basic flavor profile. Take them and sit them down with each beer and just talk to them about yeah, it. Yeah, that's exactly as like I'm, you know knowledge is power, and if and that's the you know the other thing is if you don't know something, just admit it. Yeah, and and then <laughs> try, hey, I don't know, but I I will look into that for you. Yeah. I I say that all the time. Or I don't know, and I don't care to look into it. For you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. If you want to find out, here's a good resource. <laughs> yeah, that's you know, because I usually if I if I get stumped on a question, I'm like, well, that doesn't happen very often. Now I got to figure out what what it is. If my level of googling is going to be equal to your level of googling, I'm probably just going to tell you to do it. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Being honest, fair like, enough. Yeah. But if, if I've got some secret, it's like, if it's like I've got a guy that I can call, like I know that guy, and that's why we're, if that, that's why I'm your resource for learning learning something, then uh, I'll 100% do it and like get. Back yeah, to usually you if it's like I, I'll I'll check into that. It's like with the brewer. Know, or something. Yeah, with yeah with the brewer or the specific brewery, you know, kind of thing. But if it's just a like Google, I'm like I, I I'll say it all time <laughs> like I don't know GTS. Yeah, <laughs> no, I was gonna say I, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring this up. Uh, last night at the uh, Ailes for ALS event, my 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 buddy who 
he drinks beer. He enjoys beer. He knows he <laughs> like, but he's not, and he knows a lot more about the process because he's friends with me and he hears me talk to brewers on a regular basis on stuff. But he, like, he asked what is like. He got Bellwether's Brew IPA. Uh, okay. He did not get a good explanation from the person that was pouring it. In his opinion, I gave him the very cheaty answer. Which was just champagne yeast, which I know is not the proper answer. Nope. Mm. Um, but then I then I sat there and I was like, "Hey, I'm friends with Randy. Let me grab Randy and bring Randy over to talk about what makes a brute IPA." Like, because I, I made, I was like, "Here's the super cheaty, quick, yeah. dirty answer <laughs> that's not 100% correct, but it is the base of like this is where the style started." And then I was like, "Let me grab the expert that actually made the beer first off, yeah, and that can really talk to and." My buddy left there, like going, "Oh, yeah, no, I actually now understand. Like when I order a brute IPA anywhere, I have an understanding of what that style is now." Yeah, yeah, I remember that one first one. That one came out first. I was like, "What?" In the... <laughs> I Hang actually, on. I think we were the first people in Spokane to make a video on it. <laughs> you, you were the well, you're the first first people in Spokane to make videos on anything. <laughs> well, okay, there's that I think, too. <laughs> I think we were the first people in Spokane to brew it, and I think we were one of the first people out there to make a video on it. Yeah, well, I was gonna say I know Bellwether's been doing brute IPAs for a while. I yeah. just remember like it came out and I was like, "What is?" I want something new. What the fuck? Hang on. <laughs> what am I getting myself into? Yeah. Oh, oh, okay, thanks. <laughs> you know, it's good to have friends. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and uh, I was gonna say David commented. I always find conversations intimidating. I don't know a lot about beer, and the industry seems to be moving fast. That's the thing is, if you go into like I learned ninety percent of my stuff. Honestly, it used to be Wednesdays when when he finished his sales rep route, he would come into Oralson. Me, him, and the bar manager would just sit there and drink beer and talk beer. Yep. Like we would do that for people to know. Yeah, it's easy. We 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 would do that, and we like they would close up around me. Like yeah. I have closed out more breweries with and without Marcus <laughs> than I care to admit. Like, given the fact I've closed out Community Pint with him. Yeah. And if you're talking about going into a conversation with like a rapper, a beer tender uh, that you you don't necessarily think you're going to be uh, willing to or trying or, or able to hold the conversation. I think on average, I think there's a good rule of thumb for pretty much everything. But just go into the conversation more humble. Like even if you might know, like oh. there's a chance you might know more than the person. Go into the conversation humble. Like, hey, I'm not sure about this, but you know, can we talk about whatever you're looking for in the conversation? Go into the conversation more humble, and then if you end up knowing more, never switch the script. Uh, just be like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I also heard from, you know, offload yourself from the burden of responsibility that it is being the beer expert. Um, and I use this all the time. Like, even if I'm out talking about beer with a beer tender, and I know a lot about beer. You do? But, eh, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I never try to flip the script and be the expert, you know, and, unless there's a reason for me to be. Adam, I might be making that for Genius's little... By the way, if I'm going to just be honest, at the the beer fest, there's two people you're going to talk to about like the beer stuff there. It's going to be me and Warren. Yeah. <laughs> the, the like, I I love Jess and Sky. You're, if you're wanting to talk process, you're going to talk to me and Warren. <laughs> That's going to be more of the people you talk to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Sky's learned a lot actually. Sky's Sky probably... Sky has good knowledge and she's she's yeah. awesome. But it's like it's. Like me and Warren both homebrew have, have been have done the practical part of it, yeah. Yeah. So, and yeah, back on the topic real fast though, like even if you find the conversations to be intimidating, um, you know, start small. Yeah. You know, just ask, hey, you know, 
like I get people all the time like at Community Pint because we rotate through so many beers from so many fantastic breweries. A lot of the conversations start off with, "Hey, where's that brewery from?" Yeah, and then you can just start there, and then you know you, you've initiated a conversation with your beer tender, and then you know, oh hey, you're interested in that beer as a, as as a professional beer tender, I'm going to go, hey, if you're interested in that, you know, hey, this brewery's from here. They do an awesome job with this, 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 and this. I see you're keeping your eye on this one. If I have another one from them, like, try this one from them as well. Or, you know, hey, maybe if that's what caught your eye, then there's your style. That that will even give your beer, your beer tender in the back of their mind. They're going to go, okay, this is the beer he's focusing on or she's focusing on. Let's kind of focus on this style, and we're going to walk you through things. Um, mm-hmm. You know, start small and – you know, like I said earlier, knowledge is power. It, uh, it can start from the simplest things of where is that brewery from to, you know, one of my favorite questions is always, that I always get asked. You do it to me all the time when you come. You're like, what's your favorite on tap right now? Yeah. Well, and <laughs> it's, it's an easy, I, simple and I because and like, I I'm like, oh, I like this one because of this. I like this one because of this. I like this one because of this. And, and I only then I do that. And go, which one are you into out of those? Yeah. And you then, you, then, you lo- then you're in the p- uh, position of learning first before – giving any knowledge or whatever like yeah you're trying to get into a good conversation like you know starting from a place of what's your favorite then you get kind of a gauge of like what your favorite is and you're gonna say why because yeah yeah Yeah. but only do that when they're slow that's that's the key (laughs) yeah yeah do not like it's like like it's or i i or like i've also done this of just pour me whatever you feel like i'm going to enjoy right now like because you know i drink about everything i was gonna say yeah it works when you have that 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 relationship with your beer center but like if you're coming in off the street for your first time into my bar and you say Pour me whatever you think I'm going to enjoy. I'm going to look at you going, I have no clue who you are. And here's yeah. a lobster beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I enjoy. Like, I, I Honestly, the lobster beers, I put a huge dent in those here. Um, I, just, I have a feeling I would probably actually like it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the other thing is, is like if you go into a brewery. So we all know I'm a coffee beer guy. <laughs> we all know that's my, my, yeah. my preferred. I honestly half the time go into a brewery. And I just did this in Yakima. And the guys like sat there, and like this is where the guys' mind clicked up. Like, oh, he knows beers. Like, I had their coffee, so I was like, oh, how'd you guys have the coffee? Yeah. And immediately his gear switched from, oh, he's just some beer drinker coming in to, I ordered a single pint of beer, and I ended up go, like tasting almost every beer at the brewery <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because the bartender kept going. And he's like, hey, can you try this? Can you like let's talk about this? Like, yeah. Because he realized because again it wasn't a. It wasn't a, like, I'm trying to establish my knowledge. It was a, hey, I asked a genuine question that immediately was like, oh. You're interested. Yeah. I'm interested in particularly this topic that I'm very, very versed on because yeah. I've brewed eight or nine coffee beers. I've That's a great way to create a relationship, which it really is. Yeah. Um, and, and, like, if you go in and say, hey, what hops? Like, if you ask what hops are in the IPA, that immediately clues them in and they're like, oh, you have some knowledge. You, you like, without being like, oh, you're not using these hops, like, that I, I am mighty toity and that's the thing is when Pierce said be humble I've seen homebrewers come in and be like I know everything kind of peacock feathers out and it's like yeah. no you really don't <laughs> really don't also the one thing that I will say to never ask and this is like a pet peeve of mine is IBUs just just, just don't ask it uh, they've, they've gone by the wayside so far that I, well, I, I tell people that so I'm like that's that's a outdated you're, style yeah you're beating a dead horse with that one mm-hmm. uh, well I, I, like I already told my brewery that like we're not putting IBUs like no. and yeah. I'm not even going to put I'm not even going to decide like we're going to do I told him I want to do bitterness levels yeah and like low medium high 
Um, okay. Just, that, that could be from roast malts. That could be from hops. That could be from if you have a you know herb in there that yeah. has some bitter quality to it. Or yeah. Well, like, and and again, I think that's how does it taste? How does it how does it perceive to the person who's drinking it? Right. Yeah. And, and Fort yeah. George does it, was the first one to start doing the low medium high. That's all they do. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to just sit there, and the two owners, they're going to sit and taste the beer, and I'm going to say. Do you feel the bitterness is high, low, medium, or high? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not telling you how many IBUs are in it. Yeah. Okay, there's one beer I'm going to say what the IBUs are, but that's also because it's my gimmicky beer. <laughs> I, I'm, tr I'm aiming for 45 IBUs. Thank you, Jimmy, for that idea. <laughs> so it's the 45 because we're 45 degrees brew house. So. Yeah, there you go. 45 SRM. It's going to be blackest night. Yeah, no, actually, <laughs> that's actually, <laughs> I'm actually thinking about doing an English porter. I was going to say English porter or English brown. Oh, <laughs> uh, you have to go way darker for 45 SRM. Oh, that's now. right. Yeah. That's like, so. Stout. Yeah, exactly. Like that's stout, stout. There's probably, you could convert it to EBC. What, what's the one that's. No, uh, yeah, no, uh, yeah, no, uh, Jeff was telling me about that one. So I'm going to convert it to that one, which okay. is. Uh, yeah, there's a way to do it. 45 everything. Um, All right, I think we are getting close to wrapping everything up. Um, any questions? Was, uh, I think there was, there was one more. Um, so I saw something about where to go. Dealer's choice. Jimmy J. Yep. Jim. Uh, who's a local guy? Okay. Uh, yeah. So. Um. Yeah. When you know the person, dealer's choice. You know, that's that's easy because. You you know them, so like, all right, I know you you order the same thing every time, but you want to try something different. I'm gonna find you something exactly next to it. Um, I do it a lot when I travel and I go to breweries. I walk in and. You know, because I, I don't have a set style that I have to have. Especially if I'm trying a new brewery, I want to try as much of their beer as I can. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to do a wide variety, and so then I will, I will, I say I will do dealer's choice, and I don't Ooh. even know the person because I'm in a you know random town. But again, it, if it's slammed in there, I will pick one beer and just say, hey, this is what I want to try. If it's you know empty and I get a moment to talk with the the beer tender, then I'm like, hey, you know. Pour me your favorites. I've never been here. I've never even, you know, like I, I just got back from Minneapolis and went to a couple new breweries and was like, hey, I've never been here. I've never heard of you guys because I'm from Washington State. Like, I want to check your guys' beers out. What do you think I need to try from you guys? And nine times out of ten, it's going to be something like, you know, an IPA or uh, or maybe maybe a good Pilsner if they've got a house favorite there. Yeah. Uh, unless uh, you, there's very few times that it's going to be like something that's not one of their high sellers if they don't know you. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. It's gonna be a, it's gonna be a so good it, seller. It's kind of crowd tested. Yeah, I would say yeah. It, it expect to get you know flagship stuff, um, and then you know. But if you're local and you do start knowing them, and you come you know like Matt does with me all the time. He comes in like just what do you think I need to have today? And usually and it's whatever and, the newest thing on is. Is like that's why I've noticed. It's or like, if, <laughs> or if it's something that just absolutely blew my mind. I'm like <laughs> I know you don't usually drink this style of beer, but this blew my mind. So try it. Yeah, and you know, that's and also another good way to, to get out of your comfort zone and try new stuff too. Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, I'm a strong believer in there's a gateway beer to every style of beer. Like, because I used yeah. to hate brown ales, like with a passion. <laughs> I used to hate brown ales. I love them. Um, <laughs> well, and it's because again, I like there was a period of time where it just it was not, and then I yeah. start, then I found a really good brown. And again, I started off drinking stouts. I hated IPAs for a long time. Also, Me too. I started. I also started drinking IPAs during what was called I call the hop wars, where everyone was trying to ah, see, I call them the hops race. Yeah, <laughs> but the same it was like an arms race, but with hops. But everyone was like a two hundred ten IB, uh, IBUs, and like I was like, you can't taste it. Why are you doing this? Why is it all green? Flash came out with pallet wrecker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we um, added hops everywhere. And then I had Iron Goats Gin Barrel Aged Headbutt. 
Oh yeah. Oh ooh, yeah, that was good. That's one. an interesting way to get in there. Yeah, that was yeah, actually that's, that's like whoa, that was a, that's a swing for the fences on that too. For like that's what <laughs> that was actually got IPAs. me into IPAs. That is legitimately. I I think that the IPA that I found that um actually made because I I was the same way. I used to, as soon as I saw the letters IPA, I turned my nose. I was like, nope. No. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until I was down in New Orleans and had one from a beta called Giacomo IPA, and it was a complete accident. <laughs> I was there and somebody was at the bar and. They opened it to give it, and the guy was like, that's not what I ordered. And so the bartender was like, well, I'm either going to dump it out or do you want it? And I was like, oh, it's an IPA. Well, it's free beer. Yeah. I'll take it. And Let's go for it. And then I tasted it. I was like, no way that's an IPA. <laughs> but okay. You- and then I was like, started, you know, I was dipping my toe in the water and now full-fledged. Hop head. Certified. <laughs> well, I was going to say, it's also what we consider IPAs up here in the Pacific Northwest. The, like, And that was the other thing is I didn't realize the different styles around the country, really. Mm. You know, I just I just knew the West Coast, specifically the Pacific Northwest Coast IPAs that are just they were just bombs of hops and bitterness and you know like we talked about the IBUs being above the wayside you know like you said they were just trying to see how big of a number even though the human tongue doesn't taste after yeah, what well, like 100, 110? Yeah. Uh, 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 about twenty eighteen, twenty seventeen, twenty eighteen, I went down to South or to South Padre Island for work. Mm. So I went to the one brewery on South Padre Island, <laughs> uh, and we have people coming in, so I'll finish up the story real quick, and we'll close out. Um, but I went in, and the guys were originally from Minneapolis, or Minnesota. Okay. So his dark beers were good. Yep. And then uh, his all his light beers were definitely geared towards college students, because it's South Padre Island, so Padre and I was also there break. during spring break. <laughs> yep. I actually was there during spring break. Um, but I sat there, and I had his IPA, and I actually ended up talking to this guy that I didn't realize was the brewer until after I had gotten through. He asked me about what I thought about all the beers and stuff. Yeah. I was like... Yeah, your IPA I could use more more hop. And he sits there and go, he stops and goes, "Where are you from?" That's there. And I was like, "Washington State." He goes, "Oh yeah, no, it's called a pale ale up there." Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. immediately, he he knew. Yeah. I was like, "I'm from Washington State." He's like, "Yeah, my IPA is called a pale ale up there. You, your pale ale is what we the rest of the country calls IPA." <laughs> so, but yeah, we'll go ahead and uh, close out. Um, like, subscribe, comment. Uh, and, and Stefan, yeah, Schwartz beer. I'll look into that. Um, I'm just trying to keep that. Uh, Marcus, do you have any social medias you want to plug other than Community Pints inst- Instagram page? Uh, no, I mean follow Community Pint. They 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 post their tap list every. every I think it's couple Tuesday. Of- I think it's Tuesday tap list now. Yeah, tap list Tuesday. Media, where can they do it? Do you do social media? <laughs> <laughs> um, hang on, let me find out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, and but I don't use it a whole ton, so let me see what my handles are. I was going to say, he might post some beer stuff. <laughs> um, a little bit here and there. Usually just me drinking various places. Um, how do I figure it out? See, this is how Yeah, and uh, right. and Phil, thank you. Yeah, we that's I've learned more being here. Oh, there it is. Yeah, so. So it's uh, the underscore low. So T-H-E underscore L-O-W-E. And, uh, yeah, I don't do a whole lot on there, but I'm – I'm being convinced by my friends to start being a little more active on it. Well, and also if you shoot him, if if you shoot him good breweries to go check out, he oh might. yeah, please, because I mean I travel all over the country and um, yeah. just cleared my passport, so I'm going to be traveling internationally again. Yep, uh, uh, pretty soon. So yeah, then, let me know because I I absolutely love being in new places with new beers. Uh, and then uh, for in two weeks, follow and also just in general, so you can see my journey with this new brewery, uh, Bear Puncher Brews. Uh, that's me. Um. <laughs> yeah, and we will. We'll I'm drinking do that. beers. I'm gonna go punch bears afterwards. <laughs> I'm gonna love those beers. <laughs> I will tell you the story after the live stream's done. <laughs> the bears probably <laughs> won't love those beers, but I'm gonna love those beers. So, yeah. <laughs> in the stream in three, two, one. Boop.
actually was really good. <laughs>